where they had Guerra de Titanes, which won their biggest shows of the year, drawing a sellout five days in advance of 18,500 fans on December 5th for a show headlined by Conan and Rikishi against AAA La Parca in Cibernetico. Rikishi was never announced in Mexico's Conan's partner, only that there would be a mystery partner who's a U.S. star. The one thing Triple A has is they're excellent with the show aspect mainstream. Is there even rival networks that are covering the show like it was a major event and not like it was a big wrestling show? Lots of major TV stars were at ringside. It wasn't much as far as a match, but all angle and mega heat. Cibernetico turned on Parka, and he and Rikishi were beating on him. Payne has been trying to position Parka as his Santo. Company's number one Technico in their face. You know, this show was built on and drew so well based on Conan being back at Triple after nine years. Pena made sure it was Parka, not Conan, who was introduced last to make sure people saw that it was he as the top guy. Smart move. People were chanting like crazy for Conan to save Parka. But instead, he turned on Parka, who was pinned. The idea for Conan to come in for big shows, heading up a new faction, bringing in U.S. talent. Half the world did run in, splitting on Triple L and Triple L, Pena's version of NWO concept lines. Um, the ending of the show was going to be really heated in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Abuso Negro tried to make it safe using a flamethrower. And instead set himself on fire and had to be taken to the hospital in the Bill Goldberg moment of the show. <sighs> I remember this well. It was not good. They also had a debut of a reality TV show star named Pancho de Nigris. Oh, God. Who won a double hair match team with female wrestler La Tigresa over Exoticos, uh, Mayflowers, and Poivo de Estrellas in a foreign object field match that set up another match. As the wrestlers lost their hair in the spirit of WCW war, they had a cage match with Latin lover Heavy Metal, La Fiera, and Hator, where the last man in would get his head shaved. The loser was Perata Morgan who wasn't even in the match. Latin Lover was the last guy in, but since Morgan was in with him, yes, Morgan uh, got shaved. Latin climbed out, Morgan got his head shaved. The reason Dave wouldn't say Spirit of Vince Russo is that Russo would have booked it to where nobody would got their head shaved. It was just an ignore the next day. Hopefully nobody would read that last sentence to Payne in English. Oh, God. Uh, that's the shit that happened in Mexico a lot in this time period. And, I, and, and uh, it's just, ugh. And in a match like this, too, where you have two guys who seem to be there designated to do the job. Yes. Yes. And, and instead, you throw in a guy who's probably in the upper echelon of most hair match losses, right? Yes. <sighs> the original plan was for Rikishi to turn on Conan, but Conan's turn was such a major deal among the wrestlers that Pena felt allowing him to be positioned as a top technico would be more problems than it was worth, so he healed him. It's probably a defense mechanism as well, as if something happens, and it always does, it's always better to lose over heel than a top face. The reaction to Conan returning was similar to the Finn W and TNA when Hall and Nash were brought in. It was so bad that even the wrestlers abide by the face heel kayfabe in the magazines and super luchas meaning that triple h's top stars were vocally negative about conan coming back 
Many didn't like him because they felt he was a bully when he was paying his right-hand man in the formation of AAA. At worst, the first thing Conan did when he got there was reading the magazine, saw Octagon ripping on him, saying he beat up women, beat up fans, had fought with police for years and was deported from the country, and no promoter would touch him, so why would Pena bring him back? <laughs> the new Parker said that Conan was a great star, but his time had come and gone, so why is he coming in? What hurt Conan the most was longtime compadre Junta Guerrero, who even ripped him, knowing he had heat with a lot of wrestlers, and if he came back, it would cause many people to be upset. A lot of the wrestlers who were climbing the ladder when Conan was the top guy are now the stars, like Heavy Metal Letty Lover. They cold-shouldered him. Pena ended up calling a meeting with his top wrestlers and told them that he has plenty of reasons to, take, to hate Conan, and he is not his friend, but this is business. And bringing Conan back right now is the best thing for business. He told the guys, if you don't want him here, don't call the scene in the dressing room, don't screw up a match in the ring, because if you do so, you're messing with business. And you, if you want to do that, he pointed to the door and told people they were free to leave. Nobody got up, but nobody said a word. i tell you what, that's pretty stand-up by Pena. You know, at least telling him, says, okay, you got a problem with this? Hit the fucking door. Because we're here to, what what does what CM Punk say, Bix, in the close out his promo Monday Night Raw? Not here to make friends, here to make money. Exactly. And first you know thing, what, too? First, thing first, wrestling is business. Of all the people who could have beef with Conan coming out of everything that happened in the past, Pena is the one that has the, you know, the most right to it. Because... Conan basically went out and called him a guy who sexually harasses minis. He did a lot. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Conan did a lot. Which, I mean, look, we know Pena had some dalliances with wrestlers, so I'm not saying he is above potential abuses of power, but I think we can agree that the minis thing seemed designed to be a way to call him a child basically call him a child molester without calling him a child molester, right? It's the implication. Yeah, so... If he's willing to have Conan back... I mean, it's almost like the, well, if Vince is able to take these bumps thing, Vince is gonna, you know... Which isn't always true, but, like, the if Vince is gonna do all this stuff, then we should be able to do a thing. It's here, it's like, if Pena is willing to have him back, why would anyone else not be willing to have him back for business? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where wrestling today is different from the old days. You know, where the guys were, I mean, it was a business first. Yeah. But I would also now say. It's all about, now it's mainly about friends, French championship wrestling. I mean, the, you know, the obvious example is the Bucks and Omega not wanting to exactly. even meet with Punk until there had been no incidents for months, which maybe six months was too long. But I, I get their sentiment that they there needed to be a cooling off period and the clock keep resetting. Well, of course. Yeah. But there's also the thing we need to remember and like. If you, like, especially, like, if you've ever listened to Tony Schiavone on podcasts and stuff, including the AEW podcast, like, there are a lot of people in AEW who are big on the idea of 
the company treating the talent better than other promotions have ha- have in the past, having a better work life balance, Tony treating them more like you know humans and not circus animals or whatever. So I think you do have to put it in that context as to why the Bucks would maybe be more averse to working with Punk than others in a similar position would have in a previous era. But you also couldn't have you noticed about your face. Because, I mean, you you put aside the differences that you may have, and you go out there and you do a big money angle, you're getting paid. Not need, been- well, and it depends on how everyone's contracts are structured. You know, AEW really... I, I think some of the wrestlers have pay-per-view bonuses, but other than that, I think the incentives Those are pretty guys much just would have gotten paid. Those but, guys would have gotten paid. No, what I was going to say though is that the main incentives though are are the merch. So yeah, but those guys would have got probably paid. yes. And but we're not talking about Lee Moriarty here, Bix, or guys like that on that level. We're talking about guys that are executive vice president no i know but i'm just saying because we punk i mean you know there's been no lawsuits or anything that would require it so like we to this day we have not seen what an AEW contract looks like but you know these are these are people that are more than just talent no i know no what i was about to say like you know what did tony tell me when they were starting like i think it was in one of the early deadspin articles that they were willing to have relatively customized contracts in a way WWE was not in ter- as far as the terms being negotiable. So yeah, we don't know. But anyway, going back to 2004 though, yeah, I mean, it's it, this is Kenya putting business first. And you know, honestly, when does Kenya end up dying? 2006. Yeah, and I'm trying to look up the exact date. Um, Okay, October 5th, so less than two years later. And by this point, I think we had heard all the stories about him having his mysterious health issues, his doctor telling him to move out of Mexico City because of the air quality and all that. Whatever he has that kills him, especially if you think it was... HIV related stuff or just uh, call it outright AIDS, you know, illnesses, whatever. He presumably has that already. He probably knows he doesn't have that much time left. This is probably also wanting to bring back the guy who was, you know, his co-booker in the early days of the success of the promotion and for when he's gone. The, fa- the face yeah. of the promotion. The original face of the promotion, yeah. So... I think, knowing what we know with hindsight, it's probably as much that as it is anything. So, yeah. But anyway, Pena laying the law down. All right. Uh, let's continue here. Well, the results, full results. Los Barrio Boys, Alan, Billy Boy, and Desness. <laughs> Won a three-way over uh, Los Espantaparros and the Cumbia Kids. Cumbia Kids, excuse me. Yes. And Cuervo Escoria and Oles. Then Abismo Negro, Tiffany, Sexy Cesis, Emilia Abismo Negro. 
defeated Mascara Sagrada AAA, Lady Apache, Mascara Sagrada AAA, and Pippinetta Escalata in the Relevos AAA match. And I guess just because we haven't done this era that much, we should be clear. So uh, Mascara Sagrada AAA here is... I forget, does he end... It's or he ends up being Super AAA eventually or something? Um, I always forget with the last Sagrada's. It's the triple A version of Mascara Sagrada. Let's just leave it at that. Yes, right, and and Mascarita Sagrada is. Uh, Mr. Aguilar and Charlie Manson. Yeah. Then we have Poncho de Negros and Latte Grasso and Mayflowers and Puyo de Estrellas in the hair match. Prato Morgan lost his hair in a cage match with him Metal La Fiera, Latin Love, and Hitor. And Conan Rikisha over La Parca, Triple A, and Cibernetico. Yeah, well, I was just going to say real quick that Masquerita is Masquerita Sagrada Dos Mil, who is, yeah, Masquerita Dorada. When Conan came out first, the reaction was like Hogan in Toronto for the Rock match, but when he turned, the people violently turned on him. Well, it worked. Between the sellout, which came head to head with a soccer game involving Mexico City's two best teams, as well as CMLL booking a cage match around Coliseo, it led to Paco Alonso two days later calling up Jeff Jarrett. And wanted to put the deal together, since he's aware of the problems Pena and Jarrett had, but saw the potential of cutting in AAA. Jarrett wants to use it as a way to force Pena to put more TNA talent, and basically wants Pena to book him for his big shows, where he'll open up discussions with Paco Alonso. And they do briefly work with CMLL. Triple, uh, TNA does. Yeah, but Jeff is getting what he wants, though. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, Garza had already been there. That's right. Yeah, I was actually about to say, wait, if Garza's already there, yeah. at this point, Garza's not a AAA guy, so yeah. they've already that worked together. Through, yeah, yeah. yeah. So through. this is just, this is about it being more than like a one shot, because I think it was just for the World X Cup or whatever it was. Yes. All right, December 3rd, Rin Mexico saw Kanek of Dr. Biden Jr. in a singles match, two straight falls using a low blow in the second fall. Kaneka's brutal enough just tagging in, let alone working a nine-minute singles match. Wagner challenged Kaneka to a mask, Mascara Contra Mascara match, and uh, Kaneka accepted. No word on when that battle take, will take place because there's only one big show left this year, and a Kaneka Wagner mask match is huge. Well, guess what doesn't happen? And I think in the grand scheme of things, Wagner ended up waiting for the right time to lose his mask, both because he ended up getting, it ended up being like a quarter million dollars or something, right? He wasn't going to lose his mask and neck. No, but also, it end, he ended up getting a massive payoff. I think at the time, the word was it was the biggest payoff in Lucha history, right? And also, by that point, his son was ready. So it made sense for him to go without the mask and being older and with the look he has now. It worked. And his son was able to get the the gimmick and everything worked out well for both for- Results, Espiritrito, Pequeño Valencia, and Perafito, Pequeño Olimpico, Suki, and Sharcito, Tote X, Hudagan, and Nitro, over Felino, Safari, and Volador Jr., Paraguayo Jr., Vampiro, and Peroff, over Paul Dantesi, and Carlos Mascano, just move by disqualification, Black Warrior, and L.A. Park, and Ultimo Dragon, over Heta Garza, Tarzan Boy, and Terrible, and then Kinect, over Dr. Banner Jr. I forget, was there an angle to set up Piera teaming with the Technicos against Los Capos? Uh, I don't remember. There was right, something. Sale, I just don't remember what. I called sale on the fifth. I didn't put the results in the notes, but Shaneke and Troll over Conde Dosmil and Rasta Boy. 
Rios Tapatillos 1 and 2, Antigua Metallica over Coriano, Heke and Rammstein, La Mascara Maximum and Virus over Guerrero de Futuro, Loco Max and Mr. Mexico, Black Warrior, Bupanto, Satanico, and Ultimo Dragon, over Bestia Savaje, Black Tiger, Silver King, Jorge Romero, and Super Crazy, Cien Caras, Pascalano, Desmond, Ultimo Guerrero, over Atlantis, Barroso de Plata, and Royal Escudo Jr., and then the cage match, which Dave was talking about, which went head-to-head with AAA, Shigeo Okamura lost his hair, a match that featured Negro Casas, Riba Cunero, and Tazan Boy. Uh, the, uh, at this point, at least, traditional uh, hair match to close out your, your learning excursion. Yeah. All right. Uh, another legendary wrestler, Jerry Strada, looks to be wrestling's next major tragedy. One of the sports all-time premier bump takers is now almost totally crippled just a few weeks before his 47th birthday. He can barely walk. It's a terrible pain. It needed back surgery would have destroyed L3 vertebrae and an L5 that's pinching a nerve. He still wants to wrestle after surgery. Last week, he was at Rena Colosseo in Monterrey asking if any wrestlers could loan him money and told everyone he would never put himself in such the same position if he didn't need it. Promoter Carlos Elizondo would be doing a benefit show for him, and his family members who wrestle in Monterrey as Apollo Estrada, Sr. and Jr., are putting together a banquet for fans to meet top wrestlers while the proceeds go into Estrada. Elizondo is also talking about hiring him as a trainer. Estrada spent his wrestling money during his career as fast as it came, as he was a heavy partier and had major alcohol and cocaine problems, while continuing to be one of the top working rudos for two decades. Yeah, just a sad story of guys like him who worked on some very hard rings, took some very hard bumps on the floor, and just... Put their bodies through punishment, but he's still alive, folks. Sixty-five years old, still going. Somehow, yes, um, still going. You know, and in his case, it's not a secret that he definitely seemed to have. He has some. He had some issues where his issues led to him harming others. So yeah. I, I I feel like we do need to mention that this is not someone who just hurt himself, but but yeah, like this is. I feel like you know you need to point out like the luchadors who had the most issues physically at what would for a luchador a relatively young age were all the guys who took the more big American-style bumps. His last known match that that we have a result for Mm -hmm. was in March of 2019, where he beat Stuka in a ring of Monterey. Old rival Stuka. Yeah. There are are lineups with him on there, but no results. So we don't know if he actually worked the matches or not, but... He was booked on shows up to August the 31st of this year. He worked a legend show at Arena Manco in uh, November 2018. Yes. Five years ago. Yeah. So I, f- I forgot he ended up wrestling again, but not much, at least, because at least I am looking at cage match, at least. And there's a huge there's nothing between uh, May 04 and August 2013. And then, you know, very occasional stuff after. But going back to what I was saying, though, like, and there are guys, you know, obviously a lot of these guys took risks, but, like, 
it's insane to look at, like, you know, Satanico's an outlier, but still is kind of the model, I think, for what someone can be as an older luchador. But then the ones who really didn't make it there and were just really broken down by their late 40s, early 50s were Jerry Strada, Paraguayo, guys who were taking a lot more, like, non-lucha-style punishment. Yeah. All right. Um, IWRG ran a Nakapon on December 2nd. Octagoncito and Vododocito over Pentagoncito and Paratita Morgan. The Mexican State Trios titles matches Coco Blanco, Coco Rojo, and Coco Verde, Los Payasos, beat uh, Los Oficiales, Cibor, Guardia, and Oficial to win the titles. Matrix, and Pantera, and Valero Jr. beat Fazza Guerrero, Nitro, and Veneno. IWRG Intercontinental Tag Titles, American Gigolo, and Mazada defeated Cerebro Negro and Dr. Cerebro to win the titles. And then Dos Caras Paraguayo Jr. and Mascara Sagrada Original beat Kinect, Negro Casas, Scorpio Jr. by disqualification. Yep, and uh, I guess American Gigolo is the trivia question of who was the guy who first brought Skyda to the United States? Yeah. Who, uh, you know, quacked, then made the deal around him to get Skyda to come to Pennsylvania and work for Russell Factory. Yeah. And <laughs> trying to figure out the best way to say this, you know, the, as far as, because I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying Quack was any better in comparison, but like, it seemed like it would have been relatively easy to do because at the time, uh, let's just say American Gigolo did not have the best reputation and was not particularly well liked by other American wrestlers. Like, I remember one specifically telling me that the nickname for him around indies where guys had gotten familiar with him was Asshole Chad. Yeah. So. so. But he was getting regular work in Mexico, so there you go. Yes. And uh, what is it? If you you want to hear his side of everything, though, it, it is very interesting to read. It's in the comments of the big post on Lucha blog that Cubs fan did years ago when Sky to quit Chikara. Tijuana, there are four promoters who alternate Friday nights at Auditorium Municipal. The biggest right withdrawal in the city remains Santo. So one of the promoters paid Santo a $50,000 sign-in bonus as well. It's guaranteed him a $1,500 per show to work exclusively in the city for him. Santo's last appearance drew 4,000 fans, but the feeling is if he comes in too often, he'll burn himself out. And the promoter's going to try and book him every time he gets a date. Well, if he's only running monthly anyway, I don't know if that would necessarily burn out too much. That said, <laughs> which promoter is this? Uh, well, you had Mora, which ain't him. Uh, Exloom. Baja Stars, which I think that's who it was. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Fuck, I can't remember the other one. But um, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Was, this was an alternating once a month deal, basically. And then some of them were running more than that because they would run the Palaneke. Right. Um, did Baja Star have uh, more connections with certain kinds of local businessmen, maybe, than uh, the others did? 
I mean, with it's that, possible. They I mean, with did. that signing bonus. Well, I'm sure they all did, but in even for Sato, a $50,000 signing bonus and $1,500 a shot U.S. to work, you know, just to be exclusive for Tijuana, like, that's that that stands out. Yeah, well... This this little thing here don't last very long as the cartels start taking over and wrestling in Tijuana becomes uh, pretty sparse for a while. So yeah, I mean same thing. It doesn't become as sparse, but it also hurts. It. I mean Monterey's of getting hit in a similar way, right? Worse. Yeah. Because the big stars wouldn't even come to Monterey anymore. Yeah. The big stars would still come to Tijuana. It just wasn't that many shows there. Uh, yeah it's Puerto Rico now let's go there let's start with IWA prelim wrestler Mike Youngblood jumped from WC to IWA yes that is the same Mike Youngblood that worked at Carolina Andy scene in the 90s and still works today I have no recollection of this person saw him live Saw he's the one that I saw here that uh, threw a chair and I forget who the dude he was wrestling threw a chair and he had to fan the face Oh, that's always fun. Yeah, that show stopped. Fan was busted open. <laughs> yeah, that was quite the experience that night. When was uh, that, roughly? Oh, God, that was, what, 2018-ish? This was America or something else? Yeah, it's before COVID. Yeah, WrestleMerica. Uh, I mean, just to show you, you know, the scope of this stuff and you know what these sites have and what kind of indies are running everywhere <laughs> he obviously has a lot more career matches but Mike Youngblood only has 44 matches on case match well, he worked a whole lot more than that that's what I'm saying yes that it's it, working I feel, in the 90s yeah that I know that's what I'm saying it gives you some good perspective I mean it shows him working for Count Grog in 94 and SCW and working for NWA 2000, working for Steve Martin in the original version of NCW in North Carolina. So he was around, he was around with like all the, you know, Omega and other work rate guys that were coming through there. I see him working with Kid Cash, David Jericho, Champagne, guys like that. And the fan, uh, they gave the fan like uh, free tickets for the next show and all this other stuff. They were, they were, you know, really kissing the fans' ass. And the fan I would hope so. <laughs> the fan understood. They didn't put up no big fuss. And the fan wasn't hurt, really. I take no, no. I mean, just busted open in the, in the head. <laughs> I don't know if they, had, they got a concussion or not, but uh, but yeah, they they were they were you know cool with everything. You know, it's part of the thing. They were ringside, standing up right there as the guys were brawling at ringside, and that happened. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's my Michael Youngblood experience. He wore wild side uh, in the early days, too. So, yep. All right, uh, as we continue here. IWS sent a press release stating that Apollo is still in the contract and told other companies they can't use him. Good luck. WC, Diamante returned to WC after more than a year as this past weekend's mystery wrestler sent in by Carlito Colon to get a brother Eddie. 
81, the December 4th in Caguas. December 3rd, those show in Yabacoa was canceled due to a problem between the wrestling company and Midway Trucks, which they advertised for an exchange for them hauling the ring. There was a dispute. So the owner of Midway Trucks unloaded the truck of all the WC belongings and left them at the warehouse parking lot. Those see how to know the truck to pick it up, but it didn't get to the building in time, so the show was canceled. Don't fuck with the people that deal with your trucks. <laughs> the no. lesson. Oh, yeah. Brent Dale beat Alice Montavo in Caguas. On, it says the third, but it was the fourth. To win the WC Junior title. Last we heard, Montavo had lost to Juventud Guerrera and never heard Guerrera dropping it. Juve had asked if he could bring the belt with him to Mexico to get publicity with him. Uh. <laughs> and Eddie Colon, who heard about Juve's reputation for collecting belts, told him the belt stays in Mexico. <laughs> well, says Puerto Rico, excuse me. <laughs> well, g- good on Eddie there. Ratings for the past weekend saw WC do a 7.6 and 7.3. IWA was way down to a 6.0 and a 4.0. SmackDown did a 7.7. I forget, did both of the WWC and IWA shows air opposite each other or just one? Just one, I think. I forget if it was the Saturday or the Sunday show, but I mean, yeah, for most of this, like the the peak of this promotional war, they were head to head. Yeah, and drawing the you know huge ratings. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to remember how well I, either is drawing at this point, but still, like, I mean, again, even if here, like. IWA is down and they're still on like you know on one of the top stations in Puerto Rico doing like it you know fairly high rating well now it's time to introduce our guest as he's joining us now um a good friend of ours who's been on the show before and is a pivotal part of this uh, segment that we're doing right here and uh, when I did the notes for the show, he is the person I thought of to have to be on this. So uh, we are joined by our dear friend, the f- artist formerly known as Taro, <laughs> Kevin Lyon. Kevin, welcome to the show. Great to be back. Looking forward to just talking about some good old days of Rep Pro. The end of Rep Pro, actually, yeah, <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... We have some other things to touch on in this indie section first before we get to that. As Ring of Honor returned to the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey on December 4th for the no time limit Samoa Joe vs. CM Punk match. Steering from their 60-minute draws in Dayton and Chicago. Showed your 750 fans with Joe retaining the title in 31-33 by submission with a choke. A lot of people were expecting both a title change and another 60-minute match, so they weren't ready for the finish. But it was another great match with great reactions. It also hurt that Joe and Punk didn't even get into the ring until 11.40 p.m. Punk was busted open early and bled heavily. Match had the same superheat as the prior match. After winning, Joe challenged Mick Foley, who was advertised as attending but didn't, and who said he was making an appearance at a hockey game, to come to the next Ring of Honor show and come face-to-face with him. Ricky Steamboat ripped on Foley for not being there. He wasn't scheduled, as he had this appearance scheduled for the Miley Hockey game. I mean... Wait, Dave just contradicted himself. What? <laughs> no, he just repeated the exact same thing. No, he <laughs> said Dave, he said Mick was scheduled. No. He oh, he said no, was advertised as attending, but didn't. No. 
in, in the first one, it says he was... He was advertised as attending, but he... Oh, I see what you're saying. He wasn't scheduled. Just, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, here's the thing. This What this is telling me is they were false advertising him on purpose. That's very... I mean, I'm not saying they're above it, but that seems... That's very out of character for our Yo, age. Abs- oh, absolutely it is. That, not, that doesn't sound like our age at all. There's something just, missing here. Uh-huh. Well... I mean, yeah, and then Ricky Steamboat ripping on Mick. You have the two like nicest guys, two of the nicest guys in wrestling, and I'm like, what? Well, that was a, no. Yeah. They were they were doing kind of a program. That that's a that's a work. Yeah, that's right. a, I, yeah. I just, it's just weird seeing Steamboat being like that way towards someone else who's just as beloved as he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a weird program. The Bobby Heenan Jim Cornette debate saw Cornette at first put Heenan over, but then turned heel on him. Saying he's sick and tired of being told for his entire life that he was the second best manager of all time, but he wasn't as good as Heenan. Cornette said Ring of Honor felt like home to him, and Heenan coming in ruined it for him. He even said that even even though WF and WCW had cancer, couldn't kill Heenan. That's actually a funny line. That he wished Heenan would drop dead. Jack Evans and Roger Strong went after Heenan, but Cole Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs made the save. The segment was said to have been tremendous. Fans gave Cornette and Heenan standing ovations when they came out. The whole segment went 16 minutes. This led to a tag match where Heenan managed Cabana and Jacobs against Cornette's team of Jack Evans and Roger Strong. Cabana and Jacobs won. And at the end, Cornette, who had hit Cabana with a tennis racket, had the racket taken away by Heenan and used it on Cornette. Cornette bumped like crazy for Heenan. The crowd loved seeing this, which was the first match ever where Heenan and Cornette were involved in the same match. Cornette's work at ringside was said to have been unbelievable by people who never saw him live in his heyday, and even by those who had. The semi-main event saw Brian Danielson beat Homicide in 25-29 of a great match. The entire Rottweiler group, Homicide, Loki, and the Vanna Pitbulls, all attacked and beat down Danielson. They did a unique finish in the pure title match, as both champ John Walters and Jimmy Rave had run out of rope breaks, three allowed each. Walters got Rave in the sharpshooter. Rave made the ropes, but it meant nothing. Raven then pulled himself out of the ring, but Walters kept the hold on. Ref counted both men out, but Walters released the hold and jumped in the ring to beat the 20 count and retain the title. Loki and Austin Aries had a 20-minute draw. Gary Michael Capetta then announced as the crowd chanted for five more minutes that Ring of Honor manager approved five more minutes. Loki then walked off. The crowd hated it. And, uh, some blamed, uh, and some blamed it for killing the next match, where Ricky Reyes and Rocky Romero kept the tag titles over Nigel McGinnis and Chad Collier. In a good match with no crowd reactions. Go ahead, Bex. What are you going to say? <laughs> a draw, huh? Those two. Yeah. Shock- yeah, just- yeah. Shocking. Yeah, because yep. yep. the first time that uh, Loki came out west, he, w- he, d- he was supposed to wrestle. He was wrestling Super Dragon, and he wouldn't put Dragon over. You didn't know who he was. So they did... Again, something like this, like a twenty-minute draw or something like that. Yeah, it was a it was a dime-limit draw on a Millennium Pro show, yeah. Yeah. and of course, that is the show that gave us the infamous uh, story of Key walking into the locker room, emphatically, dramatically plopping his bag down and announcing, "Gentlemen, I am here to fight." <laughs> and, and I when I was at that show, but unfortunately, I was in the audience. I wasn't actually. <laughs> Backstage, but I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Later on, you would hear those stories, like, "Yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds about right." <laughs> well, I mean, you may or may not be related to the person who I think told the person we originally heard the story from. 
Yeah, you know. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I can safely say that I'm the cousin of, of one of the guys in that match. It's fine. I, I think people know that Dragon's my cousin. I think that I think I can say that now. It's been 20 years, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. All right, Slash Venom from Puerto Rico, who is also known as Flash Flanagan. We're at a second match under a mask using the name Weapons of Mass Destruction, managed by Prince Nana, putting over Jay Lethal. Crowd wasn't in the first half of the show, but largely was in the latter half, and Super into Punk and Joe. Next show is December 26th in Philly, with Steamboat and Foley continuing their angle, plus Joe and Aries for the title, and Loki and Danielson. While not confirmed, they're trying to get Spanky to return for the January 15th Boston show. All right, full results. Davey Andrews and Shane Hagedorn and Anthony Franco and Matt Turner defeated Deranged, Izzy, Dixie, and Angel Dust, Special K, Jay Lethal of Women's of Mass Destruction. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Oman Tortuga and Diablo Santiago won a scramble match over Dun and Marcos, Dan Moff and BJ Whitmer. Well, that's a team. And Logan DeVito. John Walters retained the pure title by count of a rave. Austin Aries draw with low key. Pitbulls over Nigel and Chad. Tag titles. Trent Acid over Jerk Jackson. Who? Jerk Jackson. Who's Jerk Jackson? I don't <laughs> know who that is. Okay, Chris, do you recall who or know who Jerk Jackson is? It's Bobby Fish. Yep. Wow. Okay. I, have, I had no idea. I've never heard that name before. And it's like, why is this match so high on the show? I mean, I'm guessing because of Trent Acid, you know, but wow. Interesting. Thank you. And Bobby, Bobby Fish was, I'm not even going to make a joke. He was 28 at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Had just turned 28 in October. Cole Cabana and Jimmy Jacobs over Roderick Strong and Jack Evans, Danielson over Homicide, and Joe over Punk. You look at this show, and you look at where these guys are at 19 years later, and boy, they're, the careers of some of these guys have taken quite the turns in many different ways. Yeah. Like good and bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, the big thing that jumped out at me first here, though is relative to the business they've been doing in Elizabeth, just how poorly this show drew. I mean, it's a good indie house, and it is a good ROH crowd, but I'm pretty sure they drew a good bit over a 1,000 the month before for the Liger show I was at, and, you know, Mania Weekend, they had done, what was it, like, and again, that's Mania Weekend, but still, it shows their potential. They had done, like, 2,100, and then, you know, it should, we saw them do over a thousand without Mania. So being that you have the biggest match in the promotion and the first Joe Punk match in the Northeast, uh, the Cornet and Heenan thing, I feel like that's got to be a little bit of a disappointment, right? It's not a bad crowd, but I feel like you would have expected more, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what would cause this. I yeah. forgot how big the Rexplex even was. Like, oh my gosh, that's right. And I'm seeing yeah. That it was a huge like I'm trying to remember actually what the like space that ROH used was normally reserved for. Because for those who don't know, the Rexplex was like a big, like one of those like generalized like indoor sports facility places mm -hmm. where there's the indoor soccer field and the roller rink and also there's an arcade and stuff like that. So I guess they were in like the roller rink, right? Something like yeah. that. Okay. But that it was a big, big, big place. Um and I mean as far as what else is on here, 
I have no recollection of the Outcast Killers ever getting a win on a big ROH show, so that surprised me to see that result from the four-way. Um, yeah, Damop and BJ Whitmer as a team sure uh, reads differently in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Walters is a guy who I almost kind of want to go back and watch his stuff because at the time he felt like a guy who was technically solid but didn't really have anything else and that he didn't really deserve the push but I'm kind of curious how his stuff ages and I'm looking at everything too and I see you know Ricky and Rocky being the tag champs and this is the peak for those guys but you don't really I don't really you only those guys are kind of underrated now if you look retrospectively because this is just right after the CMLO run as a team yes I would say they're underrated now it was like earlier that year when they were having those awesome like Rocky's Rocky's there yeah because you weren't on the previous segment but we Rocky's in results okay yeah he worked this he worked uh he worked Mexico the next day after this show oh okay but not was was any of the other pit bulls because I don't know if Bobby Quants is still wrestling at that point. I don't know if Bobby, Bobby ever worked ROH, and I don't think TJ ever did in that era. No, yeah, I'm sorry, I meant Mexico. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Rocky was alone on that one okay. show, so that yeah probably says yeah he yeah did there and. And then Ricky and Rocky didn't – I mean, a couple years later, they weren't really teaming up because Ricky decided to move to the East Coast to try to get more dates. And Rocky obviously stayed here in California. And, you know, it, I don't know. It seemed like it didn't work out too great for Ricky. I, I mean, I have not seen Ricky do anything since they did that thing on New Japan Strong where they brought him back as Black Tiger about a year and a half or so ago. And then he yeah. just disappeared. Yeah. yeah but I, mean, at, I mean, you look at this show. I mean, you got – the second in command in AEW. Yep. You got probably the second in command in New Japan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got Brian Danielson, who's on, on the discipline committee. Well, no, and uh, is also <laughs> booking collision with Tony. Um, yeah, I mean, and you got CM Punk and Samoa Joe. Yeah. So. Wait, yeah, who yeah. were you referring to as the second in command in AEW? Jimmy Jacobs. Jacobs. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, you got just, I mean, even going deeper, Hagedorn's AEW office, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Whitmer was, he was a producer there, uh, you know, and Nigel's an, an announcer, Chad Collier is a, uh, stage performer as a mentalist, so there's that, and then, you know, you got AEW producer Cole Cabana, too, AEW's Roderick Strong, <laughs> yeah, you know, NWA Lee, producer, uh, yeah, we Prince Nana. We mentioned him too. You know, it's well, yeah, we should mention Prince Nana. Yes, and you know, NWA producer Homicide too. So. The wrestler Joe Morocco, who works for the WXW shows in Pennsylvania, is the teenage son of Don Morocco. He's very skinny, and from reports, doesn't seem all that interested in being in wrestling. He's training on their alpha. Yeah, he don't last long. <laughs> yeah, he fine. does not last long. He's one of those guys that I think Dad was pushing him, and he just. He wasn't into it. Yeah, I forgot I mean, he even worked for off. I, I just remembered seeing him in results on his dad shows. Yeah. I was wondering, was he was Don already retired and living in Hawaii by this point? You know, it seemed like he's been retired living there forever, you know? Uh, Yeah, because Don was promoting shows in Hawaii not too long after all this. HCW. So. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, I mean, just send him there to train with Alpha, but yeah. yeah. He just, again, one of those kids that just didn't want to be involved, yeah. which yeah. is opposite a lot of them. A lot of them try to, you know, be involved because of who their dad is, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at KH match, basically all of his results are WXW and HCW. The only ones that aren't are uh, a wrestle reunion where he teamed with his dad against Bob and Brad Armstrong. That's a match. And uh, <laughs> working Kevin Matthews, of all people, on a VCW show in Oak Hill, Virginia. Weird. Yeah. AEW's Kevin Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, as we move on, the, mid, the return to, uh, to Lenore, North Carolina, after the sell of the previous show a few weeks ago, using the old area favorites on December 4th, drew about 600 fans. For a main event of Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, and Dusty Rhodes over Dennis Conjure, Bobby Eaton, and Stan Lane with Nikita Koloff as the referee. There was a post-match brawl, challenges, and Jim Cornette's cell phone call doing a promo to set up a January 8th show with Conjure and Eaton, managed by Cornette, facing Morton and Gibson with Lane barred from the building. In a cage match, the other angle that was they showed the tape promo for Tully Blanchard, who challenged Dusty Rhodes settled things once and for all, and Rose to the promo accepting his challenge for the next show. All right. This, the it, thing it, I want to see from this, forget the call. I want to see the video footage from ROH of someone giving Jim Cornette a cell phone in 2004 and trying to show him how to, like... Oh, well, no, this isn't ROH. This is, uh, this oh, no, is Break Price. It's, it's CCW, he's right? Part, but he's making the no, call. No, but Cornette's not there, Bix. That's what he's talking yeah. about. Cornette. Oh, okay. What I mean is it's that he's doing a cell phone promo online. I wonder how that went over. I figured he'd be giving a good motherfucker to the phone if someone just gave it to him about telling him what to do. You know, oh, it's the same night. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, he probably learned how to use cell phone from his good buddy, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, okay, yeah, I didn't notice which day it was at first. So, yeah, okay, yeah. so he's he's in the back somewhere of the Rexplex on Yes, doing a cell phone promo cell. before or after he does like an eighteen minute debate with with Bobby Heenan. But it's an interesting night for uh, Mr. Cornette. He's he's on he's on a punk sidekick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, I mean, I mean, this is a Crockett nostalgia show, and they oh, did yeah. pretty damn well in these shows because fans yeah. wanted to see it. And this yeah, wait, out I, drew the ROH show. They weren't that far from ROH, you know. And I forget yeah. was that Greg Price CCW. Or was that... Uh, I, I think it might have been. I'm not positive. And the other one that was running the same areas with similar shows was... What was that? NGW? That's Derek Dunn by this point in time. Okay. But in that era, there was... That was in the, that was in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. But the, there was another promotion that was running that area with similar shows that High Spots was also shooting. I mean... Well, it wasn't NGW. Okay. Um, I can tell you who it is. Hold on a second. Let me look and see. If the original uh, High Spots Wrestling Network was still up, I could tell you. But uh, December 4th. Okay. Maybe I'll not. tell you maybe which promotion this one is. I can't one tell is. you. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I don't see the promotion's name. Okay. That's interesting. It just, I mean, just says what I just said here. Dave doesn't have any. I thought Dave had might have had results, but he doesn't have results oh. of the show. So okay, I, I just read. And on cage match, um, 
the show is not there. There's a CCW show a week before in Dothan. Maybe it's a different CCW. With the Midnight over Luke Goldberg in Texas Rough Rider. And then the next Dennis Condry result uh, is Bobby and Dennis winning the IWC tag titles from Chris Hamrick and Tracy Smothers in uh, the Pittsburgh area. So there you go. All right, uh, as we move on here, NWA Wildside tape TV on the 4th at NWA Arena Cornelia. We have Brandon P., Brett Anthony, and Biohazard over Gino Martino, Sonny Roselli, and Danny Duggan. Well, one of these things is not like the other on that team. Destiny over Zero X. Jeremy V. over Masada, Texas Masada, by count out. Sauronaro and Seth Delay over Jay Fury and Nick Halen. Todd Sexton over Caprice Coleman. Wasai Boy title. Ray Gordy beat Jason Cross to win the title. Adam Roberts and T.C. Carnage over Sweet Dreams and Skeeter Frost. Vito Tomaselli and Sal Tomaselli over Don Juan and Chris Marvel. Fast 80 retained the junior title, beating Slim J. Jeff Lewis, Sean Timbers, and Ace Rockwell beat Rayman, Azrael, and Michael Adrian. And then Onyx beat Ray Gordy to win the Wildside Heavyweight title in the main event. So Ray Gordy won on one TV, lost on the next. So there you go. Yeah. Um... Would love to know how Winnipeg's Danny Dugan ended up on this show. Um, that dude was working uh, all over the country at that point in time. I remember that was a thing. Uh, he was trying his best to get booked on as many American promotions as he could to try to get his name out there. And he is he CWE or is he the other promotion that does C- all that? I think I think he was CWE. I'm checking K why you do it? Can I ask? Uh, were the Tomasellis regulars here at Wildside? They came came in. Yeah, they came in, but I won't say they were regulars. But they because, came in. Yeah, because in like 2003, they spent some time in California, and they they did like they did some BWG. They I think they did a rep pro show or two, and I want to say they worked for um, AWS. But also they worked, like they but, worked a lot of different places. Yeah, like, but they were they like were business guys. So I'm just like they really got around. I don't know. How, I, I'm like, I don't know how they were making enough money to do all this, to travel to, you know, Cordelia, Georgia, from wherever they were in, like, I want to say Chicago area, but I don't Yeah, they were based out of Chicago area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, he is the CWE guy. Okay, this has to be wrong. Unless, I mean, maybe you remember from him working Georgia and stuff. Like, this says he's only 36 years old now. I mean, I don't think that's the same. I I don't think that age is right. There's another Danny Dugan that has a separate profile, though. The, a British one. But, this one. I mean, if he started, it says he started, this has him starting January 03. It's possibly started as a teenager. It's the traveling in that era that would be weird. Um, yeah, it's him. Yeah, that's him. Okay. Same guy. Is he really only 36? Wow. But come so on, Dix. Were you he, really caught? He's like he Bill Watts. Been, there, Dugan. Come on, come on, Dugan. No, it's it, I know his name for, I've, from yeah, people who know okay. him. Okay, it's I pronounced so Dugan. Bill Watts always calling him Jim Dugan, and it's like I know. I know. Ever call it that? Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I get it. Well, well, the Georgia wrestling fans called Dugan Dugan as a heel chant because well, he, he said because he said my name is not Dugan, it's Duggan. Oh, so, so they cut. So they were chanting. This is when he was a, you know. 
first really getting on television mm-hmm. after leaving WF, and they started chanting "Cock Guy Dugan, Cock Guy Dugan." That was their chant for him. Yeah, they were making fun of his okay. cock guy. Yeah, <laughs> even okay. back, even in 1981. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for the big one. Rev Pro, the end. December 5th at the Qtopia Event Center in Los Angeles, California. The Qtopia Event Center. Uh, that had to be another name before that, I'm sure. But but this is the this is some place that was on I want to say Sunset Boulevard. Ooh. I don't. I there's never been any other wrestling show that happened in this place. It was really bizarre. I have no idea how Ron American Watchout found this place. I'm like. I park on the – and literally, you have to park on the street. You put one in the building, there's like eight parking spots. Otherwise, you're parking on the street on Sunset Boulevard, which is not always easy during, on a weekend, you know. And I walk in like, this is a pretty big place. And we drew a pretty good crowd. I want to say we did around – didn't say it here, but I want to say we did around somewhere 350 to 400, which for us was was good. Very for good. Rep Pro, that was very good. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> because, I mean, Rep Pro was a very niche – promotion in southern california um there were shows i've seen a rev pro that drew maybe 30 fans yeah <laughs> um it was something that you know it had more of a following from people outside of california than in california <laughs> the only time, yeah because the only times we really drew crowds tend to be when um you know we would bring in some like you know, luchadors, some famous luchadors, like you'll see on this show, they're on here. Yeah. Or like, you know, when when I did the Mass Match of Dragon, that was like, I think that was the se- I think that might have been the second or third biggest draw we ever had. I think this might be the biggest crowd we ever had, though. And I think my Mass Match of Dragon was second. See, I don't know if head. I, w- I don't know if I would say though that they had a bigger fandom outside of California because yeah, they did. it was well. Okay, here's well, I was going to qualify that. <laughs> I feel like the biggest following they had was from reading James Cobo's show reports on the Valley Driver. <laughs> but, which, you know, but, they, but, they, huh. but that's part of it, though. No, which were basically novels. But yes. um, but the tapes really weren't put out that much. Well, and you got to remember, too, though, is that the match that got us on the map was me against Dragon. And, yes. and that was summer of 2000. And um, by the time when Cobo was doing those reviews, that was like like late spring early summer or late spring of 2001 and we were at this we lost our original building which is you know some someone in the other business in the industrial park came in saw something going on and, and busted us so we got kicked out of there went the, and we had this little dojo if you ever watch the video you can only get like 30 people in there like what, about, the what was the church you guys ran the old church um and like a church because I don't know, I'm trying to think what you mean by a church because I don't remember us really running. Because after we ran, we ran, we had the original dojo in Anaheim, which uh, was what definitely was our favorite It was March spot. 2001, the show, uh, the oh, it's Clubber in Time show, or Clubber in Time. It was oh, March, God. Uh, March 2001, I'm, I'm, I'm not the one. It, it looked like you was in some type of, like... a basement of a church or something like that. I know, I'm like, I'm like going bad. to match. Bathrooms. I thought clobbering because he might be clobbering time. And like that so sounds like a like a um, PWG show. You know what I mean? That, that, that was you and his caliber against Mister Excitement and Rising Sun. That was Dragon B Boy main event. God, I'm trying to think where the heck we were on that. But time. it looked like it kind of. 
it looked like some type of church building. The way the way the walls were, and it looked like there were like pews. Because <laughs> we were in a weird spot. We hardly were ever able to run any. We lost after we lost the original building. We were like in trouble because you know we didn't really know we were going to be able to run. We didn't really have anywhere because Frankenstein's weren't even weren't really doing shows even at that point. And that if people don't know, there was this collector. There's this building that's used for collectors of like you know selling everything from pogs back in the day because that wasn't really popular in this time beanie babies like that kind of stuff and then like sports memorabilia but uh this guy named mark kapitsky had a wrestling shop and he was able to secure a whole section and he ran shows there we ran shows there for like two or three years and that's where the very first pwg show was too i'm just stalling while i try to figure out what place you're referring to (laughs) santa Fe springs well okay so that we went there. That's where they were during the summer. And we were. It was like an old indoor swap meet. Okay. Yeah. We, we had a swap meet where we ran like um, we were running there like every week for a good, a good few months, and then we ran there a few times after that because we got kicked out of the second dojo, the one where if anybody saw the footage where Kobo was talking about matches at this little tiny place. We lost that. We ran the school at the Santa Fe Springs place. Eventually, that didn't last either. And then, more or less, like training would have been in like Ronda Vera's backyard, which is hilarious because people who trained there would tell you it was just bizarre. You have a ring in the back, and literally, there's like chickens running around the backyard. <laughs> that Ron the, had. Okay, just, all right. Let me, let me, let me. All right. The ring was against a wall. Now, did okay. that jog your memory a little bit? Because that still sounds like the. Um, the second dojo, which I'm like, no, that can't be right. And I'm trying to figure out what, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just blanking on this right now. And you said it was in, uh, oh, Santa, it's probably time. Santa Fe How weird. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, was it the dojo? And, of course, it doesn't say. And I'm like, ugh. I mean, it could have been. But, but anyway. Yeah, yeah the sorry. I'm just trying to. wall. Because <laughs> I think that's the second dojo. Because this is, as I think Dragon B-Boy is the match that Kobo talks about. I'm pretty sure that would have been our little tiny dojo where it's against it, the ring is pretty much against the wall and you can barely fit anybody in there. And it was just like, like I said, you walk in, you're pretty much at the ring. <laughs> you know. Of course, there are Rev Pro 2001 shows on YouTube, but that one's not on there. Well, of course. <laughs> and you know what? I, I mean, the whole, is there any footage even out there? I saw, I think Viper put some stuff up, um, which is great because... I, I, Ron has said sometimes he has the footage, and there's times he acts like he doesn't, and I don't know if he cares to get out there or what. And I know some people, including myself, have VHS tapes. Someone told me he's trying to digitalize some of these tapes, and I'm like, all right, we'll see what's out there. What little I've seen, I've been pleasantly surprised because I was like, there's no way this shit I was doing in 2000 was going to hold up, and it kind of did. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, that's one of my favorite indie shows, you know, of that of that time period. Was that show? It was awesome. Yeah, but that's a whole nother story. You gotta get past the undercard too, because the undercard was not always the best stuff for sure. You had to get to where you yeah. gotta see whatever Super Dragon was up to, because this is definitely Super D. I almost said his real name. This one, Super D was at his was definitely at his peak. <laughs> yeah, I mean because it was it, took, it was Tokyo Guarantee, you and yes. Excalibur, and you know, I mean, yeah, Matt Sinister. I mean, yeah, Jason Allgood. I remember. I, the, the 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 line I made at the time, and I, you, you'll get this, Kevin. I'm sure, is I said that Jason Allgood looked like uh, if the ugly dude from Hard Bodies had a son. Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> the redhead dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and again, it's like that's where Red Pro's weird because 
you know, the hardcore, you know, the people getting the videotapes are like loving that stuff. Then meanwhile, we have Jason Allgood coming out with his gimmick was he was like Britney. He wanted to be Britney Spears, like boyfriend or something. He come out of a Britney Spears cutout, cardboard cutout. <laughs> and we had a guy from San Diego came up named Goalie Howe. I was like, we had these. Goalie Howe, yes. <laughs> which is one of my favorite wrestling names. And he came oh, out in hockey gear. Yeah. And these guys are like, this is such a weird mix with these guys then you have us doing a completely separate style which again you know it's kind of cool you have some ba- some basic wrestling and then you have straight lucha and then you have us doing our our hybrid our hybrid mix yeah, yeah. so like All i said right. i mean the easiest entryway if you want to see our style that's available out there is the xpw tag which you can find pretty easily with me and uh rising sun against uh super dragon and excalibur i say yeah. if anybody's never seen us that's definitely a good gateway map to go into absolutely all right, well, let's talk about the end. All right, we open up with the Galloneros over Diablo and Sonny Samson. You, you want me to give you some background on this as we go? Or how do you want to do this? Um, well, I'll read the results, and then you can you can go. All right, go ahead. All right so then we had Disco Machine and Scott Lost over Ronan and Johnny Paradise. A Revolution Pro Battle Royal won by Taro. Oh, that's right. Then a Red Pro Mexican Lucha Libre heavyweight title match as Top Gun Tawar beat Chris Bosch, not the basketball player, the wrestler, to win the title. Black Metal and Matt Sinister beat Buddy George and Cyanide. Mr. Excitement over Super Dragon, upset. Damian Say 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 said Halloween over Disco Machine and Psychosis, Nicho. Then uh, a Red Pro Junior Heavyweight title match as Quicksilver beat Scorpio Sky in a battle attack partners to win the title. Mm-hmm. And then the War Games barbed wire steel cage match main event. On this show, an interesting main event. Yes. American <laughs> Wild Child, Ron Rivera, Angel, and Human Tornado over Biggie Biggs, Lone Star, and R2K. The last match on a Rev Pro show was this. Yes. Which, yeah. Which, um, just to get, I, I'll get this out of the way. So, a few things happened that changed Rev Pro. If people would have saw Rev Pro in 2000, 2001, you see this lineup and you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, a couple of things obviously definitely changed. We talked about NPW show earlier. You know, that first gave the idea, you know, like, oh, look, this guy's bringing in a guy from the East Coast. You're like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of a cool idea. And then, you know, um, Excalibur, Dragon, and Disco Machine got in with Gary Yap, and then Epic came. So, you know, that definitely changed some things in Rev Pro because there was always, you know, hey, you know, Matt Sinister wanted to get involved with wrestling, dragging all those guys. And I don't think the other guys want a part of Matt Sinister, you know, and I'm guessing probably similar to Ron Rivera. And then obviously, if anybody knows about pro, Epic Pro Wrestling, that was just. Uh, yes. What a, what a promotion that was. What a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, what, they, I mean, they put on some things, good shows, but they did. Yes. They did. But oh, it was what a promotion. The end. I mean, one of my favorite things I ever did in wrestling was on, uh, which I don't think anybody, I don't know if you can find this. We did a parody of bum fights where I was a bum and I, and I, and I got, and I, and Super Dragon like destroyed me. It's a pretty fantastic clip. I don't know if it's out there or not. Maybe you look up Super Dragon fights a bum and it, it might be on YouTube. But what am I proud of? I don't remember that happening. I may actually have that on tape. And literally, it was like it was at like the uh, the back parking lot of a of a uh, strip club that someone uh, just say someone we know was woman was working there. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> And the fun part was I got thrown to a dumpster at the end. I come out of the dumpster and about six inches away from me is a gigantic shard of glass sticking up because we didn't even check the dumpster before I got thrown in there. 
<laughs> so that almost ended up turning out very horribly. Yeah, but uh, anyway, you know, Epic, you know, definitely, you know, was making these guys say, oh, we're getting matches against, you know, like Dragon wrestled Sabu and they have all these other guys they're meeting up with and networking. And then, you know, and then obviously PWG came around and there was definitely, I'm sure there has to be some resentment because I'm sure Ron Wildchild would have been on that show, Matt, and it's like all these guys are not getting booked on PWG. You know what I mean? And I'm sure, I'm sure there's probably some bitterness there because that's wrestling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, the last thing I'll say is too, is um, right around the end of 2003, we we started a spinoff promotion called Rev Rev Pro Rev X. I don't know Rev if you guys X. even are aware of Rev X. I remember it. And so we found a little movie theater in a town called Southgate, probably like 25 minutes, 30 minutes south of LA, depending on traffic. And what ended up happening was at first, like the main event of the first show was Disco Machine over Super Dragon in 2003. By the summer of 2004, there's like the main event is like. Buddy George and Cyanide and like Supreme was on some shows, Lone Star and Wild Child was getting more, was getting more of a reaction on these shows than the Rev Pro show. So I can kind of see what's going on here. We're more, the original Revolution Pro types are being kind of phased down because we're drawing pretty good at these Rev X shows and it's these other guys who aren't doing our traditional style. So that, that I think is why it ended up being like, on, you know, it's like, you know, it's my promotion. I want to do this match, and that's what it was. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of there is some, it's funny thinking like how us all friends and y'all political, but that's fucking wrestling. What else can I say? Well, <laughs> and also, I mean, it's the last show. Yes. Barbed wire, steel cage. Yeah. What was one you of the most popular? Well, I was going to say, no, what was one of the most popular tapes that Ron ever sold? Oh, yeah, of course. The, the Barbed Wire Cage uh, Christmas match from 95 in Tijuana. Christmas, yeah, Christmas 1995. I was actually there with him. I mean, that actually changed Ron's life completely. Ron just happened to just go down and start filming this footage, and Conan or somebody, like, just saw him filming and waved him down, and he went back, and I think, and, you, and if you ever saw it, he, there's footage backstage where he's filming the guy's, like, cuts on their on their heads and stuff. And then next thing you know... Ron's in, it completely changed. I mean, if it wasn't for that tape, there wouldn't be no rep pro. There's no way. We would never yeah. have gotten, yeah, there's no way. Yeah. All right, well, talk about the show. I mean, what comes so, to your mind with the memory? Yeah, and, and what sucks, I have no idea if this even exists on video. I only would have saw, I would have saw the whole show because I was getting ready for the Battle Royal, but I did see, like, the second half of the show. So I did get some help from the uh, new and cage match. So the first match of the guy in arrows, I'll get to them in a second, but uh, Sonny Sampson was the first thing I thought. I'm like, oh, because I found out later he actually was known as Sampson Walker. He did some work at ROH, like in Hanson, but he did a run in Puerto Rico in WWC, if you can believe that. Oh, wow. And my fun one, I, I was looking at the results, is he actually teamed. His tag team partner was Andy Levine. Do you remember that guy who won top yeah. of the house? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So bizarre. I was like, what? Wow. And so then I look at Diablo. I'm like, I don't remember Diablo. And for every I saw, Diablo is Dustin Cutler, who is Brandon's brother. Brother, yeah. yeah. And, you know, him and Brandon were at a little run in PWG later on. Well, mainly against the Bucks, I call them in like the late 2000s, I want to say. Yeah. And the, and here's the, the one I was shocked about. So 
and I and I and I vaguely remember this. The Bucks were the guy in arrows that night. Oh wow! Cage match, and I'm going. Oh, is that really for real? I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, I think it was because, you know, you mentioned you know. So originally, my gimmick Ultra Taro was for whoever was just breaking in and hey, we need a guy to do a gimmick. They would wear my Ultra Taro costume, and so they're like me, Super Dragon, Blitzkrieg, Mister Excitement. We were all Ultra Taro at some point, and I ended up is permanently hearing the gimmick. So the guy in arrows was the same thing. It would be used for like younger guys. It was like three or four of them. Uh, Chris, I remember this guy. Do you remember that, that, like the first one was the guy in wrestling a cyberspace. He was around for a minute in a rep bro. Um, but more prominently, like Top Gun Tall War was a, was a guy in arrow. And then Scorpio Sky, when he first started as a wrestler in rep bro, was a guy in arrow. And in this case, they gave it to the Bucks. Yeah, believe wow, it or not. That's fantastic. Yeah, because at first, when I was into the results, I thought it was going to be these guys named Phoenix Star and Zocre. They were known as Los Luchas because um, they were doing the guy in arrow gimmick in um, in uh, Lucha Vibu. And mm-hmm. Zocre is still doing the, well, they call him the crazy chickens now, Vibu. He's still doing that to this day. So good for him. Hopefully he's making some pretty good money still doing it, you know. Oh, yeah. wow. And the bu- the Bucks yeah. just started in August. Yeah. They are green. They are brand new. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and- that totally makes sense now. Because looking at the results, I'm like, it's got to be Phoenix Star and Zilk, right? And then I look a little further, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the Bucks. And I was trying to remember. I vaguely have a memory of seeing these guys. Like, who are these guys being the kind arrows? You know, because I was like, I was thinking, yeah, I'm like, all right, these are the new young guys. And then little I know how, you know, those guys are going to change the wrestling world. Yep, they sure did. And... Were they uh, Ron Rudo's repro graduates? Because Wikipedia does credit Ron and Rudo's dojo at least as yeah. being I don't, them and Marty Janetti as trainers. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like we were ever like, oh, you're graduating. It's not, you know, it's like, hey, you're uh, of course. I guess but, it's like, hey, you're, you're, now you can start wrestling. You know what I mean? I, I you know. It's weird when I think graduate. I'm like, eh, you know, you're going to start wrestling. Well, especially back then. Because, like, yeah. back then, back then, what, you, you know, wrestling schools weren't doing like the twelve week class thing that a lot do now. I mean, we used that uh, you know at this around two thousand four. It's like, hey, whoever just shows up at uh, you know, um, uh, Frankenstein's, you know, we had the, the ring was pretty much always one of. I'm sure it was Ron's ring. It was just always there. So it's like, all right, well, twice a week when the building's open, come in and you know just pay your ten. I think it was even like ten bucks, something like that. Just show up, pay some money, and. Do some warm ups and we do some drills and hey, then you're good to go. You know what I mean? So it's a good way for people to just get some ring time, I suppose. And also just age wise, Matt is like nineteen here and Nick is fourteen. Jeez. <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah, that would have been the first time I would have met those guys, probably if I did meet them. And I'm sure they probably just came and say hey to me in passing, you know what I mean? Okay, and I found an interview from oh not and that's what I'm looking at, where Matt said I was when I was around eight to nineteen years old. I decided to go to the Revolution Pro Wrestling School called Rudo's Dojo near Los Angeles. I trained there mm-hmm. for about two years under American Wild Child, Disco Machine, and Super Dragon, among others. I trained with my good friend Dustin Cutler. Okay, well, there we go. That's that. That definitely explains why Dustin would be there. Because I'm going. Was Brandon not wrestling yet? I don't know. I'm assuming maybe Dustin was older, but I don't know for sure on that. So let's see here. I mean, going through the results, otherwise, that's the main thing I wanted to bring up for people nowadays, because it's like, you know, Disco Sheen and Scott lost. And I'm surprised, you know, because Scott was never really around that much 
in Rep Pro. He was here and there, and I was going, wow, we have two of the PWG owners in, in a match on the last show. And I'm like, all right, well, because literally on uh, Disco and I went I was talking about this, we Disco came into the ring. He wasn't wrestling on the anniversary show where I lost my match the year before. Ron, while I'm in the ring, and more or less said that Disco Machine was retiring. And Disco had no idea this was happening. <laughs> and I'm just like, and he's just like, oh, okay, hi. And he's like waving to the crowd because he wasn't there to wrestle. He was there. And I'm like, oh my God. Then a year later, here he is in the second match on the show. Um, you know, again, him and Scott, which if you're PWG fan, you know he is. Ronan, if you're watching PWG a couple years later, definitely remember Ronan. You know, Hello yep. Kitty, is he would always be called. And the Johnny Paradise is just, I gosh, the guy who worked around SoCal, like Southern California, LA area for a really long time. I think years. He, yeah, years. You would see his name around for years and years and oh, years. Oh, yes. yes. So I get, to, so here's my fun thing. You know, they, I think they asked you, hey, you want to do the show? And I more or less was like, I was, I, I, I more or less quit, retired the year before this. I said, is that all this Battle Royal? I'm like, hey, I'll do the Battle Royal, but I have to win. And I was like, I got to, I got, I got to see on my resume that I won a battle royal. <laughs> so I was that guy, like, yeah, who cares? You can win the battle royal. I'm like, yes. And it was kind of funny because a bunch of the younger dudes were like all excited because they want, you know, was like, oh my god, I never got to wrestle you because pretty much I only wrestled my crew of friends because that's who I just wanted to wrestle, you know. Yeah. So then a bunch of guys was kind of like, well, like, like Johnny Paradise came up to me. He's like, I just got to lock up with you. I'm like, okay. He's like, I make sure I lock up you in the match. I'm like, all right, no problem, don't worry. Because his thing was, he'd always come up and try to fix the the top fin on my mask because always would slant just a little bit sideways. <laughs> so it's like, I got to lock up with you. But yeah, so that power well would have been me and mostly guys who weren't on the show. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't even know if I can name anybody off the top of my head who you guys might remember. There's a couple of guys I definitely know for sure, and, yeah, but no big names there. Um, so the black metal and that sinister Buddy George cyanide. Um, Buddy George is like the second grad graduate, quote unquote, along with Rising Sun, which I'm trying to remember if Rising Sun got hurt because he was a pillar uh, pro. But if you look at his cage match, he did not wrestle after like the summertime. He was done. He disappeared. And he only came back and wrestled a few matches in 2010 before. And then he died about several, a few years ago. And he was only like 33 years old. But like his girlfriend just found him dead on his couch. And I have no idea what happened. I never wanted to press his family because I've known his family. Like, like Ron was close to his family, like before wrestling. That's how long Ron has been family friendly with that, with that, with them. Um, but cyanide's an interesting one um, for any like Lucha fans, because cyanide um, was a big draw at this Rev X group, but his family were involved in real estate had money. So they ended up financing um, a group that would run the Olympic auditorium for a couple of years I want to say they're called FCW Bix. You probably know, you might be able to help me with uh, with that. Look that up because they ran some really insane shows. They like drew like thousands and thousands of people at the show at the Olympic. It was such a weird show because you'd have like top end luchadors, but then you'd also have Supreme and Cyanide and all these deathmatch guys. Mike, like, oh, I never went to a show, but okay, I can't imagine I, what the reaction is. I remember what you're talking about. It's not FMLL. It's a separate thing that did these. No. This it's, weird it, think, mix of luchadors and yeah, XPW guys, yeah, at all. Yeah, like I said, this guy was just running it. And I, I think it was called FCW. I think was the name of the group. And they ran several shows at the Olympic. They ran a show. In, oh, I remember them. FCW. I remember FCW. They yeah. ran a show at the Anaheim Convention Center. I don't even know if any of this stuff made video, but I'm sure people were like, 
what the hell is this group that's drawing a few thousand people randomly? You know what I mean? It's just kind of crazy. And they only did big shows. A know. full contact wrestling. Yeah, full contact. Thank you. Thank you. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And, okay, let's see. So their first show at the Grand Olympic Auditorium on February 2605, Carnage and Lone Star defeated question marks and Diablo and LTP. Ruckus... Oh. Which ruckus would that be? Uh, there was a UPW ruckus, wasn't there? Wasn't there ruckus? I mean, cage, cage Match has it being CZW ruckus over Human Tornado and Phoenix Star. Okay, uh, that, I mean, okay, then, but by that by that match, I guess that would make sense. Okay. Luke, who doesn't have a profile, but I'm sure is Luke Hawks, beat oh. Baby Slim. Supreme beat Cyanide. The Santino Brothers, Chaos and Mongol, over the Young Bucks, which... Oh, that's the show where Nick and Matt first used the name, I believe. Wow. They've go. told that story. And they're billed as Mr. Instant Replay and Sni Slick Nick. Yep. And then uh, Familia de Tijuana, Damian Cesar's Halloween, and Rey Mysterio Sr. over Los Hermanos Tina Mites, Vic Grimes over Angel, Psychosis <laughs> over Messiah, and your main event of Io <laughs> Del Santo and Mascara Sagrada over Pierroth and uh, Super Parka. What a weird show that is. And all of the shows are like this. Yeah. and they, But again, it drew. It actually drew pretty well for, for a while. I don't know if you have a tense figure there, but I know they drew several thousand people for some of these shows. Well, and they, it was a, all Mexicans. It was not, right, no XPW deathmatch fans. Right. Like, I remember hearing about how the crowds were just dead for all of the XPW yeah, stuff. Yeah, I remember hearing the same thing. Yeah. Which I can attest to, because there have been times I've, I've worked Lucha shows, and I'm trying to do my style, but because they they, they can tell I'm a gringo. They're like, you know, sometimes just like, mm, like, great, all right. <laughs> so I'm going, I'm like, I guess I'm not standing out enough, but whatever. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, and I know that, so I know more or less like Dragon want to wrestle excitement on this show. And Dragon's like, dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, I think he like offered a bit of excitement over. And these guys never really got to have a singles match against each other from my recollection. So I remember this was a really hard hitting match. And and I was surprised. I didn't know that Simon was going to win. And, you know, but they definitely went all out on that. It's a shame that's not on tape. Cause I remember that being a pretty damn good match. Um, and then, uh, and again, I don't even know what a, Mr. Excitement would be on video at this point. Cause he was on a few uh, of the early PDVG shows, but when excitement got a chance to be out there, he was he, he definitely could look really well out there. Uh, Damien Halloween over Disco and Zikosi. So obviously Disco filled in for somebody. And for the life of us, we have no idea who that would have been. Um, and and I remember this match, like all hell broke loose afterwards. Like Zikosi's being very Zikosi's like. Nearly, I was like, oh my gosh, we have a riot here because he was like going after fans. He was like throwing chairs, he's going bonkers. And I'm like, oh my God, we need to get him out of here. And then, and of course, you, it, I don't know how long to set the cage, but it probably took quite a while, uh, to say the least. So, American Wildchild, as we talk about, that's Ron Rivera. He's the one who was behind um, Rev Pro and ran the school. And uh, Angel, people would remember from XPW, and still wrestling to this day is a. Uh, Oh, uh, okay, 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 okay. Dirty Sanchez in uh, Lucha Vavoom for a handful of people who even know about Lucha Vavoom. Yes, uh, I've seen. I've yeah. seen. Yes, Dirty Sanchez. The uh, he basically he wears a flesh-colored uh, 
out gear and yes. mask that's kind of like you know a like a, a Mr. Not exactly Mr. Zero type thing, but with like a mustache on the mask and stuff. That, that, yeah, that's a good comparison. And yeah, I he, uh, the mask, yeah. And he, and he his has... gimmick is is taking poop from out of his trunks and yes. Yeah, he'd have a little baggie, and he would just like fling it at people, or something would happen. And obviously, everything would happen where he'd land on his butt and then like be selling it. That's where he put his hand in his pants and like flick it in the audience and freak him out and all that. And you know. uh, for for what it's worth, uh, Mister Excitement versus Nosawa on Robbie Bihari's YouTube channel <laughs> is uh, on YouTube. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I don't know how great that'll be because it is Nozawa, but you know. <laughs> but again, Nozawa's the first like foreigner we outsider we brought in because uh and that'll that helped us get some publicity out there because randomly we got contact through Nozawa through um Ron and myself, excitement and uh Yakuza. We work XPW, and there was this guy. There was a UFO match on the show. And I'm talking Anoki's UFO, if you remember the UFO. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was Justin, gosh, what was his last Justin name? Justin McCauley? Yes, Justin McCauley. I don't remember who he was wrestling, but then they had this guy with them who, Paul T, who ended up being the first uh, commissioner of PWG, and he was like our translator. We checked with him because I think he saw we were the only people who were going to connect with him, obviously, because we weren't like deathmatch and doing this our style. We just hit up with him, and he ended up always helping us for years and years and years of being translating and helping bring in Japanese guys. Cause that first year we brought in like Shinsuro Takagi, uh, Kiku Taro before he was getting guitar. He was still. Ebison. Ebison. He was, no, but, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He wasn't Ebison yet. He was just Kikuzawa. He, he was, was still Mitsunobu Kikuzawa. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A few times. Well, he, was that, doing, and, he was doing both. He was doing both. Okay, because this is before Osaka Pro. It's like 2000, the first time he came over. And then eventually, obviously, we, you know, and that was a great connection for us. And, um, so anyway, I was like, and <laughs> what was I going to go with this? Uh, let's see. I'll just move on here because, like I said, we got a lot of good guys and connections through just a random meetup at XPW. It's a small world. Um, I did skip over the, the Revolution Mexican Lucha Libre Heavyweight title, which is like the longest title name in wrestling, I feel like. <laughs> and it's even worse because get ready to hear where this title came from. Came from a group run by Jonathan Holiday. Hey. Yeah. Jonathan Holiday is running a group in Central California, and he really liked Ron and decided to make Ron his, yeah, you're being the Mexican Lucha Libre champion. And we're like, what? <laughs> what is that? And then that group didn't last. And then we brought to Rep Pro and made it, you know, made our own belt and decided, like, well, hey, this is going to be for the bigger guys. And then you have Top Gun Talwar and Chris Boss who were like, I doubt they're even 200 pounds and they're facing off for the, for the heavyweight title, you know, but that's what it would be like. Some of our bigger guys like Ron Rivera, Disco did sometimes, uh, Matt Sinister, some of our bigger guys. That's, that's something, that was something for them to do that was worthwhile and meaningful. And let's see, Silver Over Sky, it, for, the, for the junior title, we brought that junior title in, I think, more or less just to make a second belt for us, you know what I mean? The ones who... You no, know, the more well-known guys like Dragon, myself, and guys like that. And what's weird though is that this title went on a little after that. Like I think it, I think it was depending on other shows in like 2005 for like AWS and like a random super show that uh, Kevin Kleinrock was running. It's like death matches, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're gonna have like I think they had like a all-star show of different groups presenting matches, if I remember right. I'd have to you have to look at a cage match for all that. Um, 
My fun one I want to bring up, though, for the War Games barbed wire steel cage match. So Biggie Big is still wrestling. R2K, I believe, is still wrestling. But let me tell you about Lone Star. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, are to – are, are you any of you either aware of who Lone Star is? I feel like I know this somewhere in the recesses of my mind, but I can't place it. So turns out Lone Star now is an attorney. And the thing he's gonna that you guys might be aware of it is he was actually the attorney who helped wrestlers get out of their Lucha Underground contracts. Oh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Eric Anderson? No, uh, Andre Verdun. I think he was up now. Okay, that's Andre. right. There was someone else. Okay, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That's Lone Star. Oh, so there are two now, different. So there are two different lucha influence SoCal indie wrestlers turned uh, lawyers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I can't say Lone Star was not really a lucha influence. He was more his mask was literally like a like a the guy looked like the Star Man mask. Which I hate to say it like that, but the star wasn't as big. But he was doing a lot of deathmatch stuff because he was he ran a group that did a lot of deathmatch stuff. I think his name was Youth Suicide. I think he was like one of those backyard guys that. Was getting featured on like news clips and stuff back in the day. Oh, did this someone? I feel like there was another you suicide though, because I feel like someone worked one of the GCW backyard shows as he suicide, but okay. I don't think it was I mean, him. come on, that's a very generic name. I can easily see like more than one guy using a name like that. I hope well, I have the yes. name right. I'm pretty sure I do, but but yeah, it's still weird that the the last match of the Rev Pro show would have been. A war games steel cage match, you know, and I was worried for Ron because I remember I, I saw him do a thing where he had a broken bulb in his hand and he just tilted it up and poured it all over himself. I'm like, what are you doing, Ron? Oh my gosh, you know, and more or less, I think Ron was just ready to move on. I mean, I'm surprised Rep Pro lasted as long as it did, honestly, because it wasn't like we were ever doing that great. Um, Ron was making a pretty good living for a couple of years because we had a connection to the show called Nikki on the WB. I don't know if anybody ever remember that show. Yes. Yes. So yeah. So if you ever see if there's clips on YouTube, like Rev Pro's eyes are all over that. Like, uh, but Ron got in as the stunt coordinator. Uh, somehow Conan got word of the show and put them in touch with Ron. Ron's by the ring, and then Ron's it was like coordinator it, for all the wrestling. Just scenes. for the context, it was like Nikki Cox yes. as a Las uh, Vegas showgirl who somehow yes. gets involved in pro wrestling. It's her husband was a wrestler. Yes, yes, yes. And, and the husband is a, an actor that I never even heard anything from after this series, you know. And yeah, so they, we, we, but they did bring in some legitimate names. Like uh, the one you can find me on is he actually, or twice, it's like we had uh, Kevin Nash on twice. We yeah. had uh, Macho Man, which is funny because I was heartbroken because it's supposed to be Terry Funk. And it was, the character's supposed to be like an old, broken down wrestler. And Terry, maybe Terry's horse got sick. I don't know what happened the day before. <laughs> He like all of a sudden canceled, and Randy was in town filming Spider-Man, like at that exact yeah. same time. Yeah, what a weird small world. So Randy comes in as this old, broken-down wrestler when he's the most jacked of his entire life, arguably. You know what I mean? Yeah. As Bone Saw, I was like, yeah, all right. But I'm like, oh, do I care? I'm in the ring with Macho Man. We had like Mula was on the show, um, non-wrestler, but Robert Goulet was on the show as a guest star. You know. <laughs> So, hey, Bob Goulet. Yeah, exactly. So we had some good guest stars there. But again, it was a Sunday night show on the WB, and it wasn't too great. But Ron thinks it's a good money for the two seasons that it lasted. And if they wasn't for that show, I don't know if Rep Pro would have lasted because Ron wouldn't have had as much money, I don't think, to keep it up and running. Well, uh, remind me, when yes. when did Rudo's video end? When did he sell it 
to Lucha Goyle. Yeah, it had to be around. It had. It was earlier than this, I think. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, because I want to say that was more like earlier in the two thousands. Yeah, because I wanted to buy. I wanted to buy from Rudos Video, and then they closed. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because it's like I think we talked about this before. Uh, I, I definitely fulfilled orders for Bix. Yes, <laughs> you know, because more or less, <laughs> and this is so nineteen ninety nine two thousand. We at our original dojo, you know, we had a back room, and that's where I would run all the eBay auctions and do be just be burning tapes all the time. Yes, that and, was an eBay order too. I remember. Yeah, of course it was because what we would do is, of course, like. Here's um, Mexican, uh, you know, Mexican Mayhem tape was the one you talk about the the Christmas cage match from 1995. I gosh, I remember what the match was. I know it's Ecosis and Halloween against Thunderbird and Leon Negro probably. I think Leon Negro for sure. I'm not sure if Thunderbird's the partner, but it's definitely okay. three of the four. Yeah, but we're yeah, but regardless, so we'd have tape. We'd put up a tape like that, or uh, you know, like Wild Women of Wrestling, something like that, like this generic compilation tape and we put it on ebay and whoever wins hey you win and then we would email every single other person who'd been on and ask if they want to buy the tape too <laughs> just real real quick yes sir i'm looking at the nikki uh, wikipedia page yeah um victoria was on there lisa oh. marie from yeah. oh okay the, this is the greatest thing though they had Amanda Barris and David Garrison yes. as Marcy and Steve Rhodes on oh, the show. So I wasn't there for that, but Amanda, <laughs> that so awesome. I, I, I see that episode on there because um, towards, I think the last, one of the last, the second season, I was only on one episode of the second season, but I remember that Ron was so excited because Amanda was actually directing an episode. That's what the tie-in was. They played Marcy and Steve. That's so awesome. Oh my gosh! And that, Drew Carey was on there. Who he bought the he bought the wrestling right. promotion, which is which is funny because my favorite part of being on that show was uh, the promoter of the sh- of the the actor who played the promoter is a guy named Toby Huss who is one of my yeah. favorite. Oh, I love Toby. And, and if you don't know who Toby is, he was the voice of let's see, King of the Hill. He was Khan in Hank Gill's dad. He was Todd on Beavis and Butthead. He yeah, was in a bunch of those old. Um, he was Pete and Pete on Pete and Pete. He was the, already the world's strongest man for people yeah. who grew up in the 90s. Oh, just, I, okay. So, I didn't know yeah. yeah. But just such an awesome guy. And I and I actually saw him recently. And I'm hoping I get to hang out with him sometime soon again because just a great dude. Like, always my favorite part of being on there besides, hey, I'm making money in wrestling, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm making money in wrestling. But, and um, uh, Blue Meanie was on on there too. Oh, okay. That, that totally makes sense because, uh, at one point, Lumini was a Revolution Pro Mexican Lucha Libre champion. <laughs> How about that? How about that? So, any other thoughts on the end of Rev Pro here? I don't know what else I can really add. If you guys have any <laughs> questions, feel free. I feel I like mean, I... it's just, I mean, I mean, it was, I think it was the time, like you said, it was the time because PWG is now you know, taking hold as the face of the top promotion in SoCal. Yes, although that was more of a reaction to Epic and Millennium Pro going away than anything. But, I mean, you had AWS, which was running regularly. And AWS sometimes drew the best because they would bring in, like, Parka or like Blue Demon or Mil Mascaras, they were bringing big names to that they little were, air, to that little place, and they would draw like a few several hundred people sometimes for their bigger shows. And there were so many other yeah. promotions too, man. There was a lot. So of was but, yeah, but again, but again, they're fighting for a small piece of the pie because even back in, in 2004, 
um, shoot, PWG was running at that Elks Lodge in Santa Ana, California, and we were only drawing like 200 people at the most back then. You know, we ended up going to the, what was called the sweat box, I want to say, oh, it was that summer. The summer of 2004, I think, is when we found the sweat box. And uh, that's what it's lovingly called over the years. And that definitely when we started drawing bigger crowds of BBG. I like I'm saying we like I'm, you know, I'm related to owners and friends of owners. But, you know, I mean, something I'm a big family. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever asked you how like how did I mean, yes, you eventually ended up just being all Capistaro. Yes. How did you end up becoming the fake son of? Like SoCal Tijuana Luchador so, Ultra Taro in the first place. So should we say? I mean, we just we mentioned him earlier. So Leon Negro was the original Ultra Taro, who now who would be best known for being the second Zikosis. And I think, right. yeah. And uh, more or less, the long story short, he sold the gimmick to a local guy who just ugh, not not good at all. And uh, he owed Ron money, so as payment, he gave Ron the costume and the gimmick. You know. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like I said, it was just the gimmick that was being passed around to you. Like I said, Dragon was, Excitement was. My first match was, I, I don't know if I told you guys the story, was um, ape, my first match is at All Pro Wrestling Gym Wars in, in 1997. My huh. first match with no training. How about that? <laughs> you wow. know, because um, Roland Alexander wanted to bring in two of the Mexican minis. So he was going to bring in Ultimo Dragoncito. Yes, he's that Ultimo Dragoncito is still wrestling. And he's going to face Bikino Piroff. And the night before, I get a call from Ron asking me, hey, you're the only guy we know small enough to do this. Uh, Piroff's visa expired. We may not be able to get him across the border. And I'm like, I don't like refereeing. I had not wrestled. I had no desire to wrestle. And after about an hour, I said, okay, if you can't, all right, fine. I'll do it if I have to. So I went into my first match against a guy who's wrestling in Arena Mexico with basically I knew how to take a fall and I knew how to roll. That's pretty, you know, I just knew whatever I knew from wrestling around with Super Dragon as a teenager on the trampoline messing around, you know? <laughs> and he didn't speak English, I didn't speak Spanish, and I was and and that's like the West Coast version of ECW. Fucking terrifying, let me tell you. <laughs> but more or less, uh like I was so beat up, Blitzkrieg filled in for me the next night as uh as, as mini Ultra Charles Jr. Because <laughs> that's why I was Ultra Charles Jr. And then um, I changed to Charles because people, I, I was sick and tired of people not under, not knowing how to say the name. Now, and I saw that like Ultraman, so if it was Luchador Ultraman, he was gonna, he had to change his name to Starman because I guess word got out to, you know, whoever owns Ultraman in Japan. So he had to change Starman. I'm like, yeah, maybe I could just change the name. So we did this whole steal where I was just going to retire and I did a fake retirement angle and then came back as Taro, you know, and that, that's pretty much it. <laughs> mm. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I hope that whoever has the tapes does surface them because I, again, like I most like the stuff that shows up on YouTube is the stuff I remember being out there, which was only like really a two to four shows maybe. Right. And uh, I know Top Gun had some. Gave him to a friend of his, and the guy's been. I, I think the guy sent me a couple shows. And he said he's going to digitize some more, and I'll have to see if I can figure out a way to just put it on YouTube. Maybe I can just put it on my own personal page and just deal. If Ron gets mad, I'm like, all right, if I, I'm not going to make any money for this. If I do, 
I'll make sure you get some or whatever. Because like I said, it's been weird. Like, Ronda times it may sound like he has the tapes, and then there are times where it sounds like he doesn't. Yeah. And I don't think he really cares. He honestly sounds like he doesn't really care that much anymore. He definitely moved on. Like, and that's every our pro is done. It's like, well, you know, I'm not making money. It's time to move on in my life. And he's done very well for himself in his pro wrestling life. So, you know, like, good for him. You know what I mean? Because he had the, he had a pretty strong drive to try and make it in wrestling. And, and it just didn't work out for him. And he was able to come out the other side a better man, which not everybody can do that. Yeah, you got that right. And I feel like we should stress, too, because we didn't really talk much about what the actual in-ring style was. Yes, thank you. Um, There's not the direct link, because not many of the tapes were going out, but, like, what you guys were trying to do, which was basically, like, whether you call it just Japanese junior heavyweight meets All Japan with some lucha mixed in, or maybe more so Mishinoku Pro meets All yes. Japan... Like, Absolutely. Those are the main two styles. That was it was definitely New Japan Junior style, um, Michinoka Pro and All Japan. That was like our main three things. It might have differed from from guy to guy, because like Rising Sun was his he was all about Hayabusa and Great Muda. That's what he was all about. <laughs> that was like his guys. You want to be just like them. <laughs> but I feel like there's a lot of that in like the modern, like, New Japan AEW main event mm. style. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, like, this mix of, like, junior heavyweight and, like, 90s All Japan heavyweight main event. You know? Like, because th that's a thing I think, you know, when sometimes people would criticize, like, current era New Japan, it was that it didn't feel like New Japan. It That it felt mm -hmm. like, you know, and in that case, not necessarily being positive about it, but saying, like, it felt like, you know, Junior heavy, you know, guys trying to do junior heavyweight mixed with like big all Japan spots. Yeah, but and you know, even, and it's yeah. Go ahead. And now think about this: like before uh, Pro, you know, I mean, I was I hardly wrestled, but uh, a few are you know, Ron, a couple of the other original guys, like a you know, Blitzkrieg did a few matches here and there. Dragon was trying to break in. Here we are doing this style at American indie shows, and they were terrified. They wanted nothing to do with us whatsoever. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, UPW was like, "Oh my god!" I think once we uh, excitement got like a trout match against um, Yakuza, which was okay, but again, just like we're definitely not the UPW style. I I went to one of the UPW um, student shows because I'm like, "Hey, I wonder if I can maybe get you know mixed up, meet some guys," and. Uh, and I was going, oh, hey, I'm with this group, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we, they were, they, they wanted, they're like, oh, maybe we can loan you, like, oh, God. Well, it was like some of the the the, U, the UPW, like, gigantic, smelly, like, those kind of guys. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the worst possible mix, like, these big, lumbering dudes. When I was like, no, I want to try to get a hold of, like, you know, Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes, B-Boy, Joe. Mikey Henderson. And we did get all those yeah. guys. You know, I'm like, you oh. And, uh, you know, but I'm not thinking that these guys, some of them came from elsewhere and they just happened to be on, um, you know, UPW shows. Because I couldn't imagine, like, smelling of the prototype or whatever John Cena was doing or all these other guys. <laughs> I couldn't imagine them wrestling any of us on Rep Pro shows. Well, what was the interview Cena did recently? Like, Cena, Cena did some mainstream interview. I, I think I wrote up the quotes for Wrestling Inc., his first match was on some in the middle of nowhere SoCal Lucha show. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I wonder if he would have wrestled at like WPW, maybe. I could easily see that being a possibility too. Because WPW yeah. would that was the Lucha group that ran out of Anaheim to give perspective for people. And like, you know, that's where Super Dragon originally trained and a bunch of and they would just 
take who they would be willing to take whoever would show up sometimes. You know what I mean? It's one of those kind of things. Like, hey, you know, you want to show up and not get paid to wrestle? Hey, come on over, you know. <laughs> but again, there wasn't like, you know, it's it's different. The West Coast, there wasn't like three, four shows every weekend back then. You know what I mean? And people have like LA's such a big indie scene, but it never really, really was. You know, it's like when you think about GW now where they're drawing like they saw that uh, Ukrainian ballroom. It's still only like it's like less than a thousand people, and that's that's large for uh, indie crowd in this area for sure. The biggest drawing like shows were always lucha it, for out like from the you know from the eighties through. There were a lot the of shows, but they didn't draw. That's right, the- absolutely. Yeah, there was never. It was never. We're all fighting for a small piece of the pie. You know what I mean? It's kind of interesting how that was. But my point was, you know, back then, I was like. We're we're green. We don't. We're just doing this on our own. And oh god, for a few years, like no one wanted to touch us because, you know, they some of the other guys were scared of what we we're doing because you know we were doing a harder style. They see what we're doing, like, oh, these guys know it's a work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that was just our style, you know. Yeah. Well, we do have one more thing to touch on before we close this segment. The company that marketed the Paris Hilton sex video, Red Light District, will be distributing the Joni Lauer, Sean Waltman sex tape, One Night in China, that the Howard Stern Show people have been making fun of, with remarks like it's watching two guys have gay sex. <sighs> now, the, the difference between this one and the Paris Hilton video, though, is that both parties actually did sign off on it. Well, yes, that, yeah. that it did. Yes, it, yes, exactly. Yeah, because that's the difference. I'm sure at this point, the, uh, neither what I mean, I don't what either. They were very for work at this point, so it's like, hey, it's a payday. Because I don't think China was on the surreal life till a couple years no, later, both right? Going, both were going through their problems. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I remember when this thing, you know, hit out. People were trying to, uh, you know, get videos of uh, of what was going on and still shots and all yeah. that stuff. But. And it it sold really well, if I remember right. Of course it did. All yeah. those all those did. I mean, wasn't that one like legit one of the like the best selling porn DVD of the year or something like that? Yeah, I mean, where would Kim Kardashian be today if she didn't put that video? Well, if Chris Jenner didn't put that video out of her and Ray J. I mean, that's what made Kim Kardashian. Wait, who says that's what happened? Are you kidding? I don't know what about <laughs> that, this. That, that that was the story back then. That she that Chris Jenner was the one that engineered all that stuff to make a name for her, her daughter. <sighs> oh uh, yes. That was lovely. the story back then. Yeah. Oh, uh wait, Ray J okay, I see LA Times last year, Ray J says Chris Jenner Kim Kardashian lied about her involvement in the sex tape release. Uh, oh, Chris being asked a few days earlier about it, which if she helped release the sex tape on lie detector test, hold on. Okay. Now we're down a rabbit hole. Um, okay, wait, they, she was on Late Late Show with James Corden, agreed to take a lie detector test. The juiciest question was whether she helped her daughter, Kim Kardashian, to release her sex tape with her ex, Ray J. It's long been rumored that the release of the 2007 tape was actually orchestrated by Chris to help make her daughter famous. When the question was posed, the crowd at the Late Late Show gasped, but Chris calmly replied, It's okay. No. No. She answered with the man running the test confirming her answer. Uh... 
Ray J had previously claimed that he, quote unquote, never leaked it himself, telling the Daily Mail that the original tape was a deal and a partnership between Chris Jenner and Kim and me. Yep, that's the story. Um, a source had previously told Entertainment Tonight Chris did not negotiate the deal. It was negotiated between Kim, Ray J, their lawyers, and Vivid Entertainment. Steve Hirsch. Yeah, <laughs> was what it said that back in the day that Chris Jenner was involved in that. Interesting. Oh, you mean a noted uh, wrestling fan, uh, Steve yep. Hirsch? Absolutely, yes. But anyway, yeah, yes. there's wrestlers we talked about earlier in the segment that <laughs> might have been working for Steve Hirsch. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't. I, oh, sorry. I don't do. mean on screen. I don't even mean oh. on screen. Oh, no, they worked in. No, he's talking about. Yeah, I don't think this is a secret that some of the SoCal guys in that era were working at like the Vivid Distribution okay, Center I didn't or whatever. Know that was known. Yeah, yeah, there, there was a the hell. Right. I didn't know that was known. I'm like, how would people find that out? That's like, <laughs> you guys a very find that out. Business. Jeez. <laughs> but anyway, all right, let's close out the show with WWE, and there's a lot going on here. Paul Heyman's three months on the WWE main creative team ended on December 3rd, which, depending upon one's position regarding Heyman, became the biggest internal WWE news of the week for a number of reasons. That was loaded. <laughs> depending Heyman on one's dr- position regarding <laughs> <sighs> Go on. Heyman being dropped from the team wasn't expected by most wrestlers, a lot of whom were very negative about it. In hindsight, it was noted to Dave that Ranjan Schieber, a writer's assistant who's close to Heyman, he was on a three-month trial basis and has since given notice in the past week or so claiming a family situation, had mentioned to several SmackDown stars two days earlier that he expected some fireworks imminently on the writing team and strongly praised Heyman to those people ahead of the other writers. He didn't hint Heyman would be gone, but in hindsight, those who talked with him said it was now what they thought he meant and knew based on what he was saying. He told one wrestler who Heyman was one of the push, but was met with resistance that their spot had turned into a political game and intimated that the other writers had no plans for the person larger because Heyman did. Others said he had mentioned to at least one or the rest of the frustration of the writing team, which larger recognized their job at this point was to appease Triple H and write things to entertain Vince McMahon. He were throwing out many ideas as they can come up with, with no commitment or conviction to the ideas hoping Vince would agree to them or gave them a direction to take the product. The term glorified stenographers was used as well for the writing team. Already, this is an all-timer of The Observer as written by Paul Heyman. You can just feel it. You know? Like I, I want you to read these notes. I want Dix to read these notes as Paul Heyman. It's like, it's like might as well be. They do not have plans for you. Because I had plans for you, sir. Thank you. Glorified stenographers. Yeah. Uh, and remember, uh, Ranjan Chipper, I believe, is the one who wrote the uh, Slam Wrestling article about anti-Semitism and pro wrestling that included going to the UN with Heyman and then going out to, was it Katz's Deli? And then and talking about how Paul was an amazing menu booker, and like he just like oh all the things he offered me showed me at the deli, and then I forget who it was, but I remember someone pointing out that it was basically like 
Oh, he wowed me with this selection of amazing Jew food. Because <laughs> it was just basic stuff. It was like a yeah. borscht and knishes and corned beef and pastrami. And, like, Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's go back to the Observer. What makes the motion of Heyman more interesting is it just came days after Vincent Mann approved the concept of a revival of the ECW brand name for one-shot pay-per-view in early 2005. With Heyman off the team, there is no word that that is still the case. Heyman is believed to be back in the role he was in after his last demotion. Basically, a consultant to the writing team who will occasionally be asked for ideas and a television talent in the role of manager of John Heinrich on SmackDown. It is not clear if he'll be sent back on the road. He did work at the December 5th Massacre Gardenhouse show, but that was advertised for his demotion. The word internally was given that Heyman was caught not telling the truth, shock of all shock, <laughs> and dismissed from the team. And whatever the infraction, he was caught red-handed, which may have been a claim said by one source that he was listening in on a raw writer's call. Okay, I need to find that one. Hold on. That's it. I think that's in his documentary, isn't it? I don't remember. I'll, I'll, I'll Google. And I, I could have swore I remember hearing this story told on a on a podcast, honestly, it was like Court Bauer was telling, like someone like that was telling the story because you would have been on the writing, the general raw writing team during that time, right? If I remember that- right, I may be confusing this with another story where there was like a joke about something like this, but that like they heard Heyman breathing. <laughs> and they're like, who is this? <laughs> and someone uh, like was like, oh no, that's just uh, Krista Joseph breathing through his mouth. And and that Vince was like, God, DJ, just like, Jesus, take care of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Heyman was added to the writing team on September the 6th against the wishes of Stephanie McMahon when a spot opened up due to Bruce Pritchard taking a leave of absence. Pritchard has since returned, although he was not put back on the writing team, but that being the next step wouldn't surprise anyone. According to one source, Heyman, who was asked by Vince Person to come back, was reluctant to do so because he saw it ended up the same way it did the previous time, with him butting heads with both Stephanie and Brian Gewertz. There's no secret that Heyman and Gewertz are as opposite philosophically as things could be, as Gewertz is into wrestling as comic book comedy, and Heyman's into it as primarily drama and fake sport, and with comedy there only when it doesn't detract from hammering home the main points. Both were even reprimanded more than a year ago when arguments got so heated that both were said to be behaving like children. Shocking. In addition, there was resentment among many wrestlers that Gort seemed to have more power of management, despite him having virtually no respect among most of the wrestlers. There are a few wrestlers very close to him, like Edge and Kurt Angle. And with little product knowledge or time as a wrestling fan, while Heyman had to run a company for years and follow wrestling closely since childhood, is considered one of the smartest people when it comes to the modern business among many close situation, even some who would tab themselves as his personal enemies. Vince convinced Heyman to come back by saying he'd have his back, so to speak, but those close situations said that really didn't happen. It was said that Stephanie was mad from the start. Heyman was brought back against her will and was reflexively knocking every idea he'd come up with. One person close situation said Heyman was the only person fearless about suggesting things and even tabbed him as a threat to her dominance of the writing team. There was also a description of the New York swagger or confidence and Heyman bringing up that Vince had personally asked him to come back. Michael Hayes was also part of this, but in a different way. 
While Stephanie Gewertz knocked almost all Heyman's ideas, Hayes was far more political. Only speaking up when he felt he need he felt he found the hole in the ideas, and then speaking out against them. Hayes came across the other writers as the one who generally disagreed with the ideas, as opposed to hating the ideas because of the source. Yet the Todd has worked against Heyman for some time now, said to be half because of Stephanie's relentless burial of him and his ideas to Vince, and half due to Paul's own tendency to push against authority, such as leaving meetings early, hanging up on conference calls, and arguing with Vince. Vince started taking a role on conference calls, and on more than one occasion, Heyman wasn't there, according to one source, although that has also been disputed by others. A.K.A. Paul Heyman. Yeah. This softened Heyman up for Gewertz and Stephanie's most recent push to get him out. It turned into an internal catchphrase. Gewertz's constant complaints that Heyman was a cancer. Mm, boy. Oh, by the way, yeah. that line about hanging up on conference calls, as I was Googling, its I don't know if it just means angrily hanging up on conference calls, because the actual reason he got caught listening into the raw call and got fired was that he accidentally hung up and they heard the blank. I mean, it didn't have his name, but it was blank has left the call. And they traced it and it was his uh, his home in Scarsdale. <laughs> <laughs> it was known that Vince tended to support most of Heyman's ideas, including most recently approving a February 20th SmackDown pay-per-view main event of J-Bill and Big Show in a barbar match. According to one source, Heyman was able to convince McMahon to dial back the JBL push, at least slightly, as Vince was able to build SmackDown and WWE title picture around JBL for all of 2005, apparently crediting him for the recent ratings increase on the show. One person noted that while Vince liked Heyman's ideas most of the time and used many of them, he felt it wasn't worth the pain in the ass from the complaints by Stephanie Gewertz, as well as the problems of putting up with Heyman. The idea of doing an ECW preview show dated back a few months. It was first suggested by Rob Van Dam. And when taken into consideration, coincides with Van Dam's publicly doing minor knocks against the company. As far as saying ECW used him better, and ECW was the best period of his career. And it also makes sense of the recent Bite This show, where Heyman, Van Dam, Tommy Dream, and Rey Mysterio were less than complimentary to aspects of WWE's booking and pushing that ECW made better use of their talents. Makes a lot more sense. Dreamer even not Dave Lagana, the head writer of SmackDown, knowing he was a big ECW fan, yet couldn't find anything to keep him. That means Tommy, one of ECW's biggest stars on the active roster. Since Dreamer's roles in his John Laurinaitis' new talent's relations department, it's almost impossible to believe he'd speak out against the company concerning his role. If it wasn't pushing for an angle, in fact, if not leaving the, if not the leaving the chipper, one could easily think it's possible Heyman's demotion could be an angle to set him, set up him rebelliously starting ECW. That is almost assuredly not true. Being a WWE, you have hours of television. It's not about to shoot a major angle like this. Particularly working their own front office to the point where Stephanie was very upset. The word about Heyman being off became internet knowledge. Wrestlers normally are strongly discouraged from saying anything against the company's mindset in public, let alone comparing the company unfavorably to a different modern company. The writing team has been vindictive enough that when Steve Austin publicly complained about them in summer 2002, he was immediately booked to do a job on television to brought Lester in a match that made no sense to happen at the time. They also made Mick Foley so miserable that Foley broke ties with the company temporarily when he had a match idea for a pay-per-view, and there was a spot open in the six-man tag, wanted Foley to do it, and Foley turned it down. Not wanting to trivialize his comeback by simply being thrown in the match because there was an open spot and without a strong storyline build. Van Dam reportedly told me, man, about all the talent under contract that were for ECW with the idea of reviving for one night. 
McMahon and everyone who thought it was Heyman's idea, but Heyman was using Van Damme as his messenger. In meetings, Heyman always denied it being his idea, even though others on the inside turned it as Heyman's crusade. Vince was positive about the idea, as was reported Jim Ross, and particularly the Dudleys. Stephanie kept the void putting the idea on her to be discussed docket, so nothing had to be done on it. Then when the DVD did so well, currently number three on the sports chart and 183 overall, Heyman brought it up again in front of Vince, forced Stephanie to deal with it. Stephanie was said to be against it, and nobody knows if it would be done at this point or not. Another source said Stephanie had never publicly said anything against it, but when she probably asked the writing to step their opinions, their belief in how it was brought up was that she was against it, and thus they should be. And word of that got to the wrestlers, there were ex-ECW wrestlers who were led to believe she was the holdup. One of the big questions originally was whether the show would be handled like a normal WWE show with the agent involvement, same type of production, as opposed to a different feel, and really be Heyman's own one-man creative show. But if it is done at this point, Heyman will have very little, if anything, to do with the creative end, as it will be put together by WWE's creative team and the WWE agents, just using former ECW talent, currently an active roster, roster, and probably Tommy Dreamer, since he works for the company and possibly one or two outsiders. It would be like the gimmick a few years back of Extreme SmackDown during a rating sweep where people expect an ECW-like show, but it was nothing like it. In reality, Extreme Moniker only seemed to mean something on the internet as ratings were the same and they had been even with it being hyped as something special. The idea was just to do one show, but as natural, once the doors open, several former ECW ties, many of whom were frustrated with their lack of push, were hoping it could become an annual thing where they could play a major role in a big show. All right, there's a... Uh... A lot going on here. Um, <laughs> this era right here features so much drama with the writing of WWE television. And I, Kevin, I think it just coincides with the fact that Stephanie is the one in charge of the writing team and her being so inexperienced in that type of job and her being as young as she was, and it just it seemed like it was a recipe for disaster. Yeah, because I mean, oh, sure, you watch wrestling, you're around it, you're alive. Doesn't mean you're gonna be able to all of a sudden be in charge of how many other writers are on SmackDown. I mean, I've heard the numbers was in the was like 20, 30 writers sometimes that the company would employ, and you know, and when we talk about the SmackDown later, oh my goodness, and like, whew. There's some rough spots in there, to say the least. When did she take over? Because SmackDown, I remember, had a great run there with, like, the SmackDown 6. And well, she was, so, I mean, she was the she, head writer of everything. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. She was head writer of everything, and then I think in 02, Paul takes over SmackDown with Ed Kosky, I think, running Raw, right? Sounds right. And then eventually Paul's taking off out of head writer, but it's still a writer. And then eventually he's off the creative team completely, which then you know, eventually leads to this run. But yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of this is that as they're changing this structure, it's that Stephanie is the one who is nominally in charge and her, her qualifications besides being a McMahon or what being on headsets with Vince for a year, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, yeah. And I don't even say that as a slide to Stephanie, but like, cause it just, it, I mean, also how old is she at this point? 27? Something like that. Yeah. Right. And, and meanwhile, at, at 27 Paul, and 04 and 01. 
or in 2000. Four, when she uh, she's, no, she's 28 here. 28 yeah. here. Yes. So she was 25 when she became head writer. No, 20, 24. <laughs> 24. It was 2000, September 2000. Just turned 24. Really? Probably 23. You had to turn 24. Mm-hmm. Because her birthday September 26. Yeah, and she was, I see, September 24th. Um, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I think Paul being Paul is a lot of it, too. That he's playing his games and all that. Because um, I, I feel like... Paul and, the words, Paul and the words are just so opposite. Yeah, and obviously I would think people mature and things change, but I do wonder these days, now that we have a better idea of what Brian Gowertz is like, how much of it was just that he was fairly normal? Yeah, because going to a wrestling family is not being normal, to say the least, no matter what you're doing, behind the scenes or in front of the camera. But, like, when you see Gewurz on Twitter, in the documentaries and stuff, I haven't read his book yet, He he's really, like, he comes off as the, you know, lone sane man. Mm-hmm. And... I wonder if just he was just not carny or maybe even like overly show busy enough to fit in there with a lot of the, you know, more wrestling types. Well, that's thing though. He comes in with a different background different, and one to make it has a, his own vision of wrestling, which is against what a lot of other visions of wrestling are at that time. You know, and nothing like that would that ever happen right. again. Contacts. Yeah, but he's lucky he made the right, the met right, right friends in that company. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, he 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 did quite well leaving wrestling. Yeah, exactly. understand why he was even there. He made the right friends. You know, like I mean, not that's just, what I mean. But rocket, I mean, but, but I mean, Dwayne. It's mentioned them, yeah. Edge and Angles mentioned here. You know, yeah. But Rock was being, obviously you know, the big guys one. that are, yeah. you know, of course, but he's not here. So, I mean, Edge and Angle are two of the top guys in the company at the time. So, and the thing is, and the thing is, is, is like Dave said too, the most important thing, if you're with the Raw, Raw team is a piece of Triple H. Mm-hmm. At that time, you know, if, if you're if you're a piece of Triple H, then, you know, you're doing all right. One other thing I thought was interesting too was they were talking about. The ratings, you know, kind of going up and wondering if it was the JBL thing. I mean, it wasn't around this time that I don't know when I was discovered the whole thing about the ratings in the Mexican markets was so much higher because of Eddie and Ray. I don't know how relevant that was at this point. Obviously, it was a few months later. Well, yeah, but JBL did have some stuff going on in his favor with metrics that was showing that he was... He was doing he was doing ratings on you know on his own. Okay. So there was that, but yeah, I mean Eddie and Ray, of course, definitely were key to Hispanic ratings, absolutely. So, but yeah, I mean, because there's so much Heyman stuff in here. I mean, I mean, I mean, you read what Dave is saying here, and yeah, I mean, this is coming out of Paul's mouth, most of it. Just the beats of it, like it sounds like Paul. Like, that's the thing, like, that you can just, no- you notice it. It's like, when, you know, the letter he wrote, you know, you know, or, uh, 
in 2001 to the torch that we read on the Patreon show, where it's so obviously him, just from the verbiage and everything. You know, here it just really shines through in a way that it honestly, I don't remember it being this strong in other eras at least. But, you know, in this era, though, you go to uh, the message board at otherarena.com. You know, what was the common narrative and from people who had had relationships with Dave, it was always, you know, oh, that's Brian Gortz's fault with the picture of Heyman. Oh, that's Ed Kosky's <laughs> fault. Oh, that's Vince's fault. Oh, that's Stephanie's fault. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, um... I even... Let's put it this way, too. The whole, the thing that people complain about when Fightful will do a, you know, Paul Levesque is high on kind of like little news item in a rundown. Paul Heyman was the originator of that. You know, Paul Heyman is said to be really high on test for the ECW revival (laughs) type of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So... Like, yes, like, it, 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 this is, like, as far as stuff where it's not, like, a quote or anything, though, I feel like this is the most blatantly Paul and Paul and Friends of Paul fed thing we've ever read on this show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, I just thought of something very else, by the way. So, we're talking about the end of November, beginning of December, 04. Well, I guess it was technically beginning of December. Chris, do you remember what started a few weeks before this on the Death Valley Driver message board? No. Hint, it was started by the, the promoter of All Elite Wrestling. Oh, the sleaze thread? <laughs> yes. Do you remember a poster by the name of G. Gordon Liddy? Yeah, of course, yes. You go back and you look at that thread, what survives on Wayback Machine. <sighs> Boy, does it seem like G. Gordon Liddy is either Heyman or, or someone who talks with Heyman. And what is the thing that G. Gordon Liddy posted in that thread that became famous? Randy Savage and Stephanie. I'm not saying it's Paul, but that just hit me as we were talking now. Like, that timing is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm trying to run what the other examples were. I would have to pull up the thing, but it was like there's it, there are multiple things in there, and then even if you try to, if you find anything else that's from still from him at that time, that's just like it feels very Hamony, and we know Paul would do this kind of stuff, whether on his own or feeding stuff to people. I mean, he got it from Eddie Gilbert. You know, Eddie would go on CompuServe under a sock account to you know to. uh solicit feedback on GWF he was booking. So that just hit me the like I I feel like here's the thing though with the Stephanie and Savage thing. I feel like at first no one believed it. Especially because like the way it was said in the post was like, oh she was 14 in 1994, which is not true and blah blah blah. So I don't know if it's anything that anyone would have really given a second thought to at the time. But, and I mean, you'll probably remember this, though, there were a lot of people in wrestling keeping up with that sleaze threat. 
Oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yep. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> you were in wrestling at the time, so you would yes. Have. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, Meltzer told me at one point years ago that his understanding was that there was some version of that going around before the sleep start. I'm not saying that to mean it's true. I don't think it's true. But if you're maybe someone in the company who had heard it, and then all of a sudden you see it show up there, you probably start wondering about some things. Yeah. So. All right. Um, we talked about this off the air, about the torch and what they might have had. I went ahead and put what the torch did have about this in here. So, I mean, we'll, I mean, there is a couple of interesting things a part of this. Uh, of all the recent talk about Heyman's creative triumph of ECW and the influence he has had on the industry as a result, one thing I'll, often overlooked is what a mess his career was before ECW. <laughs> Heyman could not last in any corporate group situation predating running the show in ECW. He had numerous fallouts of management in WCW. Before that, he didn't get along with Vern Gagne in AWA, which, which he was hardly alone there. Since the demise of ECW, whenever Heyman's been put in a position of influence within WWE, he's drawn criticism within WWE, even from his supporters, who see him as someone who is just too stubborn to do what is necessary to last within a set structure. Last week's decision to move him off SmackDown's creative team was said to be the result of Heyman playing mind games and getting caught in a lie. Others say that Heyman creates jealousy among others in power because he speaks up about what doesn't make sense, exposes a lack of wrestling knowledge of others in power, and ends up creating a situation where in order to save face, his incompetent political opponents end up drawing attention to Heyman's faults in an effort to remove him from their domain. Okay, I I have to jump in here. Wait, listen closely. Is this Wade or Jason? <laughs> this is uh, Wade. Far as I know. Okay. Write this down. <laughs> Heyman creates jealousy among others in power because he speaks <laughs> up about what doesn't make sense, exposes the lack of wrestling knowledge of others in power, and ends up creating a situation where in order to save face... His incompetent political opponents end up drawing attention to my uh, Paul Haven's faults in an effort <laughs> to remove him from their domain. From their domain. Who else yes. would? I know it's not a direct quote. Who the fuck else would say? Who would say remove him from their domain? It's classic. It's classic Haven. Yes. Heyman is historically known for not being the most diplomatic of people. I am not historically known for people. (laughs) (laughs) And the McMahons are especially sensitive to that. As evidenced by their recent hiring of Hollywood's Tom Shehak as managing editor of the writing team. And Wade, make sure to put sarcastic quotes around managing (laughs) editor. They like corporate types who follow rules and don't create a lot of drama and rock the boat. Corporate types. Heyman attended the November 30th SmackDown production meeting, sitting in next to director Kevin Dunn and lead SmackDown writer Dave Lagana, and presented the script for the show at the meeting. Then three days later, he was told he was off the creative team. Heyman was head writer of SmackDown for an extended period two years ago. He spent the remaining part of his WWE as an on-air talent, but the man's frustration with dealing with him as a member of the creative team may limit his opportunities to contribute in that area in the future. 
limit his opportunities to contribute in that area in the future? If it was anyone other than yeah. Paul that was coming from, would just say, work on the writing team in the future? <laughs> yes. Um, and isn't it, isn't it funny how once, you know, Stephanie's done in that type of role and Paul's back in the fold, Paul has influence and is able to pull strings, which is what he's been doing for the past few years. So, yeah. Well, I think the fact that Brock brought him in helped. Yeah. And that he was, and that when he came back in, he was Brock's guy. But he's also the puppet master of the whole Bloodline saga, too. So. Yeah. I would, uh, that would not have been my word choice. I, but yes, he, he is the one behind that. And of course, I mean, None of one of his guys is back in the company now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Punk mentioned the word wise man more than once in his return promo on Raw. Yes. So, yeah, he's 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 having the best run in, that he has ever had in WWE. That's for sure. And if anything, he's had more power since the last time he officially had power in uh, 2019 or whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> I still can't get over uh, what was the phrasing there about uh, his domain. domain. It was a uh, domain. It, 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 okay, drawing its attention to Eamon Sultan in an effort to remove him from their domain. Mm-hmm. An effort. <laughs> well, going from one Paul to another. Triple H had promoted his book, Making of the Game, and the movie Blade Trinity, which premiered on December 1st in Toronto, has done recent interviews with TSN's Off the Record that aired on December 7th, as well as Penthouse Magazine, which came out this past week. Wow, Steph, this stuff's tastefully done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this story's a good one because it brings up his not not being popular among his colleagues and another resentment of his being married to Stephanie McMahon. In all his interviews, Triple H makes the point that while he'll be doing acting roles, the top line on his resume will be pro wrestling, and that he won't be like The Rock and leave wrestling for the movies. In reality, if he got the offer as The Rock guy, there's no way he wouldn't. He knew he turned down a lot of non-speaking roles or movies with one or two lines where he'd play a bouncer. He said Hollywood needs new action stars. He said one or two movies a year would be the most he would want to do. He said he avoids going to bars, mainly because of guys wanting to take him on. He said he'd rather play heel than face. He deflected criticism having his input by saying Vince has the final say, although he didn't deny he has significant input. A lot of people look at me and go, you have an advantage. You're the son-in-law. Vince is where he is today because he can separate business from everything else. If it's right for business, he'll do it. If not, he won't, no matter whose idea it is. We all have input within our characters. Vince really wants the wrestlers to be comfortable with what they're doing. Because if you feel it, you'll give a better performance. And as Vince says, nobody knows the character better than the guy doing it. But Vince decides the ultimate direction. Triple H said he hated the Katie Vick angle. Claiming he said, Vince, this is horrible. This is not going to be good. He said Vince wanted it very dark and disturbing. But he wanted to play it for comedy. Dave thought watching it that it was being played for comedy. But Vince was adamant. We did it, and I tried to do it as good as I could. But when we were leaving, I was in the car going, man, that was brutal. I didn't even want to watch it when it aired. 
He claims he hated it being brought up and that he's never talked to Vince about it, which is Dave said that's believable. But knowing Vince, he'd think it was great because people still talk about it, don't they? But you can't hit a home run every time. That's one thing that that dude has always, when this when that topic come up in, in all the years past, he's always been consistent with his hatred of that angle. So I firmly believe that he hated it. And Vince wanted it to be dark and disturbing is interesting. Yeah, let's have a necrophilia. <laughs> make, make it seem like you're really fucking corpse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah just, just make, make a pun about rigor mortis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's exactly what I mean. What you would expect? Yeah. Oh, he did an you interview know? with SoCal.com in our week, or or, or roughly in our week. Because I'm looking at the at there. I found a a Triple H archive website that has a bunch of interviews from '04. They don't have this one, but they have a bunch of stuff from his book tour, including uh, AOL Radio Sports Talk and uh, WWE.com and. IGN Sports and ZWire.com. Well, the article got Triple H talking about a lot of things. What hurt the article was nothing was brought up about the decline in popularity over the last few years. If business was booming with Triple H's top star, son-in-law or not, he, he still gets some criticism no matter what. There would at least be some justification for not changing the status quo. The argument rarely brought up is business in the toilet and the company needs to prepare for the future, which means moving new guys into top positions. There's some of that being done, particularly with John Cena and Randy Orton and the big day Batista tease. Although Batista's actually turning 36 in a month, but there's a, he's a new character wrestling-wise, as well as Carrito and Shelton Benjamin to a lesser extent. When it was brought up that a lot of the wrestlers don't like him, he said, here's my feeling on it. There's an old saying, it's lonely at the top. Whether you're one of the top guys or going to be people that hate you. There's always going to be people that don't have the ability but think that they do and they think they should have your spot. The fact is, if they had the ability, they would be there. There was always There will always be that kind of jealousy in any business. But I don't read the dirt sheets. I don't go online. Anybody in our business that needs to go online for justification as to whether they had a good match or not, for a 12-year-old on the internet to say they did, that's the reason they're not a top guy. <laughs> If you don't know whether you had a good match or not, if you don't know whether your interview was good or not, that's the reason you're not a top guy, because you suck bad enough that you can't figure it out on your own. (laughs) And and you know what, though? I can tell you right now, from my time around, some of the worst wrestlers I was around thought they were just the hot shit. I was actually hearing this guy talk about their match and going, did I watch the same match as you? And then some of the better guys would like absolutely just rip apart. Think of like the little tiniest thing that we, that we thought, oh, we could have done this instead of this. It's just funny how there's that, that, that that happens in wrestling. Well, I I tell you this, though, who would have known that he would be forecasting a lot of what 2023 indie wrestlers would be doing. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because that's a lot of that goes on today. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 not just indie wrestling either. Not just indie wrestling. No. But oh, I wow. do love the uh, the fact is if they had the ability they would be there. I just hear Vince McMahon going, "Grab that brass ring! You gotta grab it if you wanna make it." You know. Like you know that, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, it worked out for all those guys 
Yeah, I mean, of course, though, he's going to say that, though. You know, he's going to defend his position. And he's going to make sure that, you know, they're trying to make it seem like I didn't get where I'm at because of who I'm fucking. <laughs> you know? We're yeah, married, as he we're should, not fucking, we're making love. Yeah. <laughs> as he should defend it, you know what I mean? It's it's his career, and he's like, obviously, it's paid off for him of what he's been a company man for 25, almost 30 years now. And to, and to his defense, he was doing a lot of stuff before he was with Stephanie. Yeah. He was he a was heavily protected, perhaps overly protected top guy before they were together. Yes. Yeah, he was sitting on production meetings. Oh, he was sitting you know? on production meetings going back to 97. That's what I'm saying. So uh, he was positioning himself well before him and Stephanie yeah. were close to being together. So yeah. have we ever he had the, heard the right? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was good. He had the right, wrong role models in that. You know, he's hanging out with all the. He's hanging out with Shawn Michaels, and he, he's seen the good and the very bad. So he's learning what he shouldn't be doing. But he's, you know, like, okay, let me look, focus on the wrestling side, but not what he's doing after hours. You know, he's like the clean guy of that whole bunch. Of that he whole was play. the cleanest one of the whole crew. Yes. Triple H has never been a and drinker. He's never been a pill guy. Yeah. He's never, you know, whatever. Yeah, Say what you will about bodybuilding stuff, but like. He's never been a quote unquote partier. He he learned he learned from those guys though of how to play the game mm-hmm. behind the scenes, no pun intended. Yeah. You know, and that was so. after that hard lesson he learned at the curtain call. You know what I mean? That was definitely a, and he a paid lesson his he dues too on that yeah. one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, we need to note if we're bringing that up. All he really lost out on was was King of the Ring that year. He's Intercontinental Champion, what, four months later? Right. Or five yeah. months later. Yeah. Hey, but still, it worked out fantastically that that that, that did happen. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely changed the wrestling world for the better, you know. Interview with a score, a Canadian on sports station. He was asked if Pat Patterson left because of his political power. And he said, you have to ask Pat that. He said he and Patterson get along great and that Patterson ate Thanksgiving dinner with the family. And that he thought Patterson may come out of retirement. And he does. Yeah, he does. Um, he's around a good bit after this. So, yeah, there's <clears throat> there's at least part of the Triple H media tour for his uh, bodybuilding instructional slash semi memoir thing. Yeah, the fact that he had like a book out at this point in time though is pretty funny. But that, I mean, that Blade Trinity thing, I mean, that was the thing that got, you know, he was promoted in that, but he never got any other non W movie roles again. So, yeah. But WWE was funny back then, though, in that if you had a career for four years, you can write a book. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were definitely like doing well, that. Well, that just was the book boom. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was that, the, and also the, it was mainly promoted as a bodybuilding book. Oh, okay. Yes. Raw notes from Baltimore on November 29th. They had a change of heart. I was pushing on TV the week before an advertising battle roll for the title, putting the odds greatly against Triple H. Vince came out before the show and announced the title wouldn't be on the line. Yes, anything could happen in the battle royal, and Steven Richards might win, and that would be terrible. He instead said the win of the battle royal would face Triple H in the main event for the title. So everyone on the Raw roster, plus Viscera and even Jonathan Coachman, with the exception of Triple H and Randy Orton, 
who was the acting GM that night, who's not allowed to be in the title picture until Triple H loses the belt, were in. <clears throat> For whatever this was worth, the only two people who did get ring intros and on camera were Batista and Chris Jericho. Very good battle royals. They told a few stories. The key eliminations were Jonathan Coachman jumping off the apron when ben Chris Benoit went to swing at him. Batista clothesline and Ric Flair over the top rope. Batista later insincerely said it was an accident. The company realizes how wild people went the previous week with Batista, so one would assume there's a long-term, please long-term, idea to turn him. And there was. Eugene eliminated Maven, which led to a Maven turn. Fans blew a lot when Shelton Benjamin was eliminated by Edge, so Shelton's starting to catch on. The final four were Batista, Jericho, Benoit, and Edge. Batista threw out Jericho. Batista and Benoit won the ropes. And Edge tried to eliminate both of them, but Benoit managed to roll back in, and Batista was out. Benoit and Edge then fought, ending on the apron, and both jumped off the apron and landed about the same time. Technically, Edge landed first by a millisecond. They had the refs arguing over who won the match, which went 1831, leading to the next controversy. Randy Orton, under pressure, went to Vince. Vince explained that Orton was the GM and had full power and needed to make a decision. Of course, this made no sense when Vince overruled Orton's decision earlier when the company apparently decided what they advertised wasn't the best idea. <laughs> Edge wanted the shot, and Orton said he'd get back with him later. So, that, uh, you know, another WWE, both guys hitting the floor at the same time battle royal finish. You know, and it was, yeah, it was fun, too, because you, if you noticed... All throughout the show, they would switch angles. Like, oh, here's the angle we have. But conveniently, the raw replay sign is blocking exactly where they landed on one of the angles, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, they need to answer it because this is unlike Saturday Night's main event, you know, Hogan Orndorff in the cage and right. stuff like that, you know, or Brett and Lex. You got to make sure, I mean, it's a live show. We got to make sure that we get that, you know, we don't show anything that's going right. to put a, you know, black mark on our story here yeah it was the third camera angle i think they showed that was coming from the uh the back where you can kind of actually see what kind of happened and i'm like they did pretty good considering what they're trying to do here but for it but for you know what you battle well it was a pretty fun match I do have to say that yeah all right bix let's play the aftermath with maven here as maven is turning uh on on eugene so let, let's let's see how maven uh this is after the match? Yeah. Okay, because I was trying to figure out what to queue up. Because Taro had mentioned off-air that the elimination looked very terrible, but I haven't been able to find it, so... Okay. Terrible in a good way. I don't know if you can find it. Because literally, he grabbed... Like, Eugene barely grabs a hold of Maven. You see Maven's eyes start bulging out of his head. And he just grabs him and, like... Looks like he barely throws him, and you just see Maven take the biggest jump all the way to the floor. It's pretty. It's pretty funny. Well, Snitsky uh, just getting eliminated by Jericho. All right, so here's here's the aftermath with Maven and uh, Eugene Dinsmore. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Everyone is on tons of steroids here, by the way. <laughs> Weird yeah, we won't say who's on the screen there. <laughs> you see that? <laughs> the person that's yeah. on the screen right now, by the way, at the t uh, you know a year or two later, would be pointed at by people on the roster as someone. Actually, wait. Actually, where this show ends up, I can say who. Excuse me, where this story ends up, I can say who it is. It's Edge. 
Edge was uh-huh. pointed to by wrestlers on the roster at the time as like, this is a guy who, when they started the wellness policy, he got off the stuff. He knew he was a top guy. He needed to set an example. Mm-hmm. And then the signature pharmacy bust happens. And it's like, oh, yeah, he was buying all sorts of shit. <laughs> it wasn't like when Sting was asked to get off the juice by Bill Watts and he actually apparently really did. You know what I mean? Back no, like, no. Edge just looked like he got off the gas. Ugh. It's funny. <laughs> oh, he's going to that place! <laughs> yeah, the roid rage. Oh, if you want another sign of how AEW is turning into something it shouldn't be. And, and we had Edge going to that place last week. <laughs> I can't believe this. I've had two chances to become the world heavyweight champion the past three weeks on Raw. And nothing. Absolutely nothing. Which, as you fans should know, is important because that influences how you get paid. You can learn more about that on my YouTube channel. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, what do you want? He looks like he's practicing his YouTube thumbnail faces already in 2004. <laughs> oh, Eugene yeah. is holding a Eugene teddy bear as he walks in on uh, on Maven and Shelton. Um. Will you help me put this on? Oh, it's his tag title. Oh, that's cute. Help. So now you want my help. First you go out and you eliminate me from the Battle Royal. And you want me to help? You think I'll help you? Please. Just... How the hell do you even have a title? Whoa, whoa. Come on. Calm down. Oh, calm down nothing. You know what? I've busted my ass the past four years and I have nothing to show for it. He can't even spell the word title, but lo and behold, he's got one. I I can't. I spell T-I-T-L-E. I spell. I, give me another. I spell. Oh, I'll give you another. Okay, you're doing, Twinkle. Listen, there was a bloody battle roar, wasn't he, Sunshine? Every man for himself. So what if he threw you out? You'd have done the exact same thing, and rightly so. Now, do we have a problem? Yeah, we don't need to see that. <laughs> yeah, speaking uh, of guys that's in great shape, Maven. Yeah. And speaking of people yeah. who can actually say is on steroids because he talks about it <laughs> recently. <laughs> um, yeah, oh yeah, this is, uh, yeah, for, you know, tiny pants jacked out of his mind era Maven. So it's like, even if you if you just put this on, you would know he's about to turn heel because this is jacked Maven. And he was mainly a heel is, when he was veiny Jack Maven. But the thing is, I mean, you look at him here and you, and you can see that this guy had some potential. Yes. As a, you know, as a heel. I mean, he was really good there at being a dick. Yes. And they they just kind of used him as just a kind of filler prelim heel. Really? They didn't do much with him. Should, yeah, it's weird that they, you know... I guess it's because of all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the, what? Uh, the, uh, the 2004 version of the Rat Patrol? Yeah, well, there's Randy right there, yes. The Randy Ward, <laughs> the leader of, of said Rat Patrol. Um, to, uh, so the, the, the sign of the term Maven, based on the fact that at all the house shows where he worked with Edge, they couldn't get the fans to cheer him. Well, Dave guesses it was the only move, but what turn Maven heel was the booking in his match Triple H? 
if he's going to feud with Eugene, it's a prelim feud. But Maven wasn't even on the radar a month ago, so it's improvement for him. If they're really serious about the tease of him joining Evolution, he'll be the Paul Roma of Evolution. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And again, he says four years, though. But again, you're on for four years, never really featured except for like, what, the first month after he's done on Tough Enough? And such he a hard business. Four be years. Yeah. That's the thing. He hasn't been there four years. I was just saying, yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> because that would have been 2000. There was no tough right. in 2000. I mean, yeah. he's there in 2000, what, two? On the main roster, yes. That brass ring. Going yeah. back to that brass ring, Chris. Yeah. So. Also, I had no recollection of Candace Michelle already being a thing at this point. Well, he ran Jordan Heiner to be the, his makeup girl. Was she in Diva the Search makeup. or was she hired separately? She was in Diva Search, wasn't she? Uh, I did not remember the makeup girl thing either. Uh, well, it didn't last long. Yeah. Um, which Dave knows that's Vince's new idea. Lots of faceless sets of boobs to bring back the teenagers. Good luck. According to Wikipedia, she was uh, she after she participated in the diva search, she got hired. That's what I yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. Yeah, she was in the first one. Oh, she had just debuted on TV as a character though. Two weeks early, and the thing was, and the thing was, the funny thing at that time was that she's doing this stuff while Cinemax is airing uh, her soft core porn work. You mean as, as well, Mackenzie Montgomery, or whatever it was? That's yeah. what but Wikipedia was says. She, but then there was one she was billed as Candace Michelle on uh, Hotel Erotica, maybe. Well, it's a, it says uh, between. O two and O six, she worked as a fetish model under the name of Mackenzie Montgomery. But I think she's listed as Candace Michelle in Hotel Erotica. Wait, there were I don't remember this, that her her fetish movies were used against Linda McMahon's campaign. <laughs> we got a post on Diva Dirt about this. If you oh, want to watch you. Candace Michelle Hotel Erotica, it is on uh, xvideos.com. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. you're not gonna see anything. Oh, Diva Dirt, Diva Dirt citing the Daily Caller. Jesus Christ, what was the... Uh, she, yeah, she was on uh, the episode called Model Behavior. One of, uh, yeah. Okay. In 2002, and she's listed as Candace Michelle. Oh, so ah, the glory days of Skinamax. Uh... A great actor. Oh, by the way, I was able to pull up the first page of the Sleaze thread. So just to get an idea as to some of the things as to why one might think G. Gordon Liddy, excuse me, quote-unquote G. Gordon Liddy, is uh, Paul Heyman or Paul Heyman adjacent. Um, first, His first reply is a negative post about Jim Cornette. Um, second one is indie-related about whether or not the Christopher, Christopher Street connection is actually gay, which... That's probably not a Paul thing. Uh, yeah, there's some stuff that's indie stuff. It's probably someone that's more likely like Heyman adjacent. And then there's game the Savage Stephanie thing. Honestly, from reading some of this, yeah. it seems possible. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, then there, then there's this one, which just sounds like it's just to put Heyman over. Paul Heyman used to get blowjobs behind the ECW parking lot at 3 a.m. while writing checks to a line of a few wrestlers. Which which wrestler was giving the blowjob? Oh, 
Oh, God, another one. The sinister minister supposedly stole Joel Gertner's wife. I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, it's not true. All right, Lita and Victoria beat Trish and Molly Holly in 6.46 when Lita pinned Trish after DDT. Good match, but we've seen it 50 more times over the next year. Hey, I would take that because I'm like, wow, actually four the four best women in the com- in the company. I'm like, oh, like I was pleasantly surprised to see a good women's match. On. A, very, a very rare occurrence in that. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we get another Muhammad Hassan Davari video. Oh, this yeah, is one of the early ones. Yes. Yeah, we got to watch this one. Okay, is um, taking us there? Uh, okay. Here we go. It's the Baltimore Ravens in the crowd. Let's see who's uh, in there. My name is Muhammad Hassan. Holy steroids! <laughs> yes, he, looks he is like jacked he, to the gills. He looks like he ate Rick Rude from uh, 15 years earlier. <laughs> that we talked about last week. He who's sending who's saying stuff to Louisville is what I want to know. You know. He ate Rick Rude's detached penis. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! What the fuck? <laughs> Oh my god. He he is like all tracked shoulders and pecs. Like his entire body. Yeah, he was massive. You you look at this guy and you're like, holy shit, this dude right here is gonna be a big time fucking star. Just why I was look. Who who's well, the uh, Baltimore Raven that's doing the people's eyebrow? I try I, I can't place sure. it who it is. It's not in the major, not not Ray Lewis or Jonathan Ogden. I can't place who that is, but yes, he is doing a very good rock impersonation. He could have been using in the Young Rock show, you know what I mean? Possibly, <laughs> yes. All right. That's a clip. He looked kind of like the guy who would play young adult Young Rock, but obviously not. <laughs> he was like the guy from Black Eyed Peas, too, a little bit. Mm. My name is Muhammad Hassan. I am an Arab American. I grew up right here in America. Inam shodustam Muhammad Hassan. Ma dotaz bachigi tu Amerika zendegi kadim. I went to the same schools. I ate the same food. Oh, so is this like a recap of all the vignettes so far? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Because we haven't done any of these before. And there was never any animosity between us. با همدیگه رفتیم مدرسه، با همدیگه غذا خوردیم، هم با همدیگه تلویزیون نگاه می‌کردیم. But since 9/11, you people tend to generalize or stereotype people like me. بر سپتامبر 11 شماها ما رو نگاه می‌کنید مثل حیوان هستیم. فکر می‌کنید ما دو تا مثل بچه‌ها هستیم. I see all of your prejudices. I know the dirty yellow underbelly of our country. And I got white people because we're of Arab descent, we are singled out. We are humiliated. Because my name. Okay. We knew this at the time, but especially now, you watch this and this montage of him against actual Iranian American Jean Davari. It is so fucking obvious that he's an Italian American guy. Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, it was obvious then, but even more obvious now. Yeah. Look, I think they yes. would kind of jack up his fake tan once you he started well, wrestling. You can't change but... his face. <laughs> you but can't he... change his face. 
He's obviously Italian. Yes, he. I mean, he looks like a dude that would have been hanging at the shore. Like, as, as non-Middle Eastern people playing Middle Eastern people, like, how do I put that? Because obviously this is not a thing anyone should ever do anymore. It's kind of insane that it was done as much as it was. But, like, you think of, like, you know, like, Nestor Serrano on 24. Kind of maybe could have passed a little for Middle Eastern. Maybe. Mark Copani does not. George Weingroff. Because George Weingroff had, like, more of the hair and stuff like that. Mark Copani looks like a dude that had been on the fucking shore. (laughs) He looks like he would have been hanging out, you know. Uh, you know, on the shore every summer and doing all the shit that you saw on Jersey Shore. I mean, the hair, the well, goatee. George Weingroff's just a Jewish kid from Florida, isn't he? I know, but George Weingroff, though, had the way his hair and beard was, you could see where he could have been a Middle Eastern guy. Well, and he ended up briefly, he, ended, he worked as Sheik Hussein, didn't he? Later he worked on. as Sheik Hussein, in, yeah, in Memphis. Yeah, during, in 1990. During the Persian Gulf thing. Yeah, um, one of the internationals, uh, and, and uh, yes, with uh, Sheik Fabiano. But oh, oh and we, yeah, uh, and uh, we, we need Shogun to remember that and Toja. We need to remember to call him. Mike uh, was already raw pretending to be Arab when he was Muhammad Farouk. I mean, I do remember from yeah. that Detroit stuff. I don't yeah. know if he was ever actually supposed to be anything specific, but uh, <laughs> but also remember that's a ICW promoter, uh, George Weingroff. Well, not that time. Right. No, no. But uh, on the Savoldi thing, there's been some stuff recently where he's ICW promoter, which I'm guessing well, so he was not he was hurt. Yeah, not wrestling at the time. So it, he was hurt. Yeah. The, OK, the stuff I saw didn't have that context. So I see that. I'm like, are they doing the thing where like Lanny's a wrestler and an announcer and they don't explicitly ever say that he's the same guy, even though he's obviously the same guy? But no, no. Right. no Weingroff was just hurt. That's all, all right. it was. Back to 04. His name is Muhammad, and his name is Kazaro. <laughs> Kazaro. Yes. Kazaro. Yes. Kazaro. <laughs> what, did Tracy Smothers t- teach him how to say Kazaro? <laughs> no one will get away with treating us like this anymore. We are Arab Americans. By the way, even though I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be like a pair of Arab Americans from Michigan. Uh, yeah. Because, right? Isn't that the idea that they're from like yeah. Dearborn or wherever it is that has the really yeah. good Middle Eastern pop- population? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. On the wall at uh, Hassan's Post. uncle's convenience store, yes, was a Connecticut Post clipping. <laughs> of course. We demand the same rights that any American has. And if you don't give us the respect that we demand and his case even more then I will beat it be stormy out of anyone let me turn him who gets in my way why is he a heel? because <laughs> that that Cosro guy speaks another language aggressively that's, 
aggressively, yes. It was How- also still, you're still dealing with the after effects of 9-11, three years. So. And Iraq War. I had, yeah. I had no idea he was using the name Cosro at first. Cosro Vizieri. Yeah. Cosro Devar, excuse me. Devar, yeah. yeah. But, I was like, but named what? after Shiki, yes. Of course, of course. But I was just like, wait a minute, how long did that last? Not very long. <laughs> no, he was Cosro Devar for a while. Does he really? Okay, because I just always... Yeah. Time, I think... I'm trying to remember if they drop it completely while Hassan is still there. Uh-huh. But by the time he's linked to other acts post Hassan, he's just right. Devar. Uh-huh. Gotcha. You that know. makes sense. So, also, like, but of course, the name, but the name is the Heat too. Trying to give him a you know an Arab American name is their idea of Heat too for some reason. So, right. Dave, so Dave, well, yes. Well, no, I was going to say too yeah. though that also led to the awkward situation at uh, the greatest Royal Rumble in the beautiful kingdom of Saudi Arabia. When him and Arya came out together, and they were Arya Davari and his brother Davari. <laughs> Dave said, I sure was glad that uh, Karam Gabar uh, chose K1 when he saw this segment. Dave says he has no idea what Davari was saying, but give him the chance just through delivery alone. This guy was scary great. Scary being the operative word for this angle. Well, that's followed up by Ric Flair beating Jerry to King Lawler with a figure four leg lot using the ropes in 614. This was Bill's a Legends match, and they noted it was Lawler's birthday. True, he turned 55, same age as Flair. Lawler looked younger, but Flair looked far more athletic. A basic comedy match. Ross said it was only the fourth time the two had ever wrestled. Dave recalls two from the 80s. In 1986, which was 85, when Jaron Crockett were briefly working together, there was an agreement that Law was going to be Flair Memphis for a short term, like a week or two NWA title run. For some reason, everyone's forgotten about this, but Lawler even did a deal since he was playing months in advance where he said if he didn't win the world title, he would retire <laughs> since he was 37 and had always said he'd retire at 35. Sounds funny today, but Lawler in his 20s always said that. Anyway, the political winds changed, or maybe people didn't trust each other, but they did a DQ finish in the big match. At the end of the year, when Lawler hadn't won the world title, he just said, well, I know what I said, but I feel great. I'm not retiring. Exactly true. That's what he said. <laughs> um, this match was more of a comedy match to get Flair a win before Charlotte. After Lawler sold that he hurt his knee on a second fist drop. Um, This was the third time they worked together. Yeah, because they only had one match in 85. One TV, the TV match eighty two, the match in eighty five, and Memphis, then this one. yes, and then this one. So there were no. Well, Go ahead. My question is though, when they were doing like the tags for the Bass, were like Lawler team with Dusty, were they fa- were they facing Flair and some? And no, no, it was usually Arnoli Tully. And Tully. Oh, okay, because Flair be defending against somebody. Flair okay, defending against Coco. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's what that show was. Because that's what I was thinking. Dun- like, did Flair wrestle Coco? Yeah, yeah because Dundee. Drop the title because he didn't want to wrestle Flair. He didn't want to do oh, Flair. No, they were right. No, it's correct. This is the fourth. There was one in Lexington too. Oh my goodness! Uh, we'll see that that one gets forgotten. Yes, it does. It was Rupp Arena, September. Yes, yeah, September fifth, eighty five, wow. seventy eight thousand dollar gate, New Kentucky Pro Wrestling record. Uh, co-main event. Well, it went on next to last. Flair over Lawler by DQ in 2803 over the top rope DQ. Show clo- Okay, show closed with a cage match. That's why it went on last. Was, That's why that yeah, was okay. Dusty and Magnum over Ole and Arn. 
And then, yeah, the Memphis match was... That was on the 30th. 86,000 dollar gate, 9,496 fans in attendance. And yeah, but those aren't on video, thing. right? No, right? The Lawler. The only one the only one on video is the TV. Of course. And, and the Coco match is on tape too. Yeah. Right. Lawler well, the, yeah. hated the match. He felt okay. like Flair should have worked a match to suit him, but instead he worked a match, the same match he had been working that everyone was seeing on TBS. And if I remember right, according to our dearly departed friend Scott Bowden, the w- big spot that really bothered Lawler was that Flair just kind of on his own called doing the, you know, run up to the turnbuckle and get slammed off spot. The problem being that Jerry is shorter than most of Flair's opponents were in that era. To the point that Jerry couldn't really make it look good. And Flair basically yanked Lawler's arms up to make it look like he was slamming him off the ropes. And Lou, as you're saying that, I'm watch- we're watching them face off and like, yeah, you know, Flair has a few has, has a few inches on him. <laughs> yeah. And, and Flair's a guy. One. Oh, God. Yeah. And yeah. Flair's a the guy. Baby leg. Sorry. Yeah. No, baby arm. Maybe <laughs> no, but Fla- oh Jesus, that backdrop did oh, not go well. Was, oh my God, that was scary. Yeah, look that, that. I mean, that looks like that was Lawler's fault, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Lawler's. Lawler like, didn't, didn't do that spot much. But like, okay, you're the wrestler. I'm assuming that what's going on is, is that the way he's turning, Flair can't post off. Yeah, correct. And, and it, it, yeah, and and it, he didn't really bend down very far either. But and he, and but again, you got to remember, Flair always took those a different way than everybody else. Right. He might he be used to back off for guys taking. Right. He might not be used to that either, because Flair's the only guy who really did it that way. Yeah. You know? But anyway, that's uh, a, a cool thing to happen to have yeah. the Flair Lawler match. Yes, here. but uh, Jr. won. Uh, Dave, nothing. I guess. <laughs> All right, so after this, Randy Orton hires a new diva, Bix. So let's go to the clip here of, of Randall Keith Orton as GM. This sure feels like a reaction to all the stories about him mistreating the diva search women, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess. But a victory for the nature boy! Damn it. I thought King could have him. I really did. Melina, what do you think of the show so far, huh, sweetie? Well, I think. Oh, hey, it's Malena. <laughs> He's just Malena, out of nowhere, right? Uh, out of nowhere, though. Yes. <laughs> Let me make sure I heard that right. King and Heaven, I really did. Malena, what do you think of the show? Oh, so he did far? say Malena. Well, he did say I think Malina. it's great. Now, there's something I've been meaning to ask you. Go ahead. <laughs> Is it true? Did you really sign me to be the newest Steve on Raw? Malena, what's the point of having the power as general manager for the day if you don't use it? <laughs> Congratulations. Oh. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Oh. Thank you, thank you, thank oh. you. Oh, no, thank you. Oh. Now, sweetie, if there's anything you need me to do to return a favor, please, just let me know. I'll do that. Uh, come in. Hey. That's the wrong man to be asking that on it. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, you wanted to see me? Uh, as a matter of fact, I did. You see... I've been thinking of a way to give back to the fans. You know, all those fans that have supported me through all this time, I, they need a little something from me. I can feel it. And I think I've got a good idea. Well, what does it have to do with me? Oh, young lady, it has a lot to do with you. And 
and you as well. You see, you asked me earlier, Melina, what is it that you could do to help me out today? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. And you too, Maria. I'd like both of you in the ring later tonight on the show. Because you see, the people aren't just going to see a triple threat match for the world title tonight. No, no, no. They're going to see a whole lot more. Ooh, are we going to wrestle? No, you're not going to wrestle, but ladies, it'll be a whole lot better than that. What could be better than that? Well, anyway, still to come here tonight. Anyway, you slice it a great main event. Tri- it was coach, not Jay. Yeah, but, uh, okay. Well, last time we did a row off from this era. Was it 04? It was 05, right? I think so. It was like mid-05. There was a segment with Maria and John Cena. Yeah. Where we discussed how it's a know-it-when-you-see-it thing, but in this era, it's when you see it, you can pinpoint the segments that seem to be designed specifically to push a top guy into a sexual relationship with a woman they had just hired. <laughs> But this was a one-off deal, though. Cena Maria had actually interactions. Yes. Interactions. But, but the reason I bring it up, besides just the tone, is uh, you watch this and it almost feels like Randy just sends Batista a text after, like, hey, get a load of this. <laughs> I did well, like the young lady. Hey, young lady, I'm like... Come on, you're, like, come on! You're you're pretty. You're about the same. And age. they're all of us pretty much the same age. They're all like in the early to mid twenties at this point. The thing is, though, is the thing I remember about this segment, though, watching it live was they like Melina's there. It's the first time she's on television, and it's like we we should automatically know who she is. Right, we know who Maria is. Yeah, but Melina's been OVW, as Dave mentions here. Do you realize they had to add like the Freebirds developmental that this company would split them up when they brought them up? Not to mention they never let Michael Hayes do an interview and then bury him on heat for being a subpar worker. Because this is Melina being with Eminem in Ohio Valley. But is this the point where Joey Matthews is not signed yet? I think so. So that's presumably why she was brought up on her own. And then this doesn't last long, and she ends up being taken off TV. And when she comes yep. back, it's as part of it's as part of Eminem. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so, for the record, at least in terms of their current ages, uh, Maria's forty-one, Randy's forty-three, Melina is actually the oldest at forty-four. Yeah, they did a Shelton piece, which was a lot more uplifting than the, that dark piece the previous week. They pushed that all the neg- negativity was turned around when he got into wrestling and showed lots of high school wrestling clips, noting when the Nationals in high school and could have gone to any Division One program. Dave always was told that Shelton had all sorts of offers for football, track, and wrestling coming out of high school, but something happened, which may be explained next week, and he wound up on the other side of the country going to junior college in California, never played football. He probably would have wound up in the NFL if he was that good of a football player, had whatever problems not happened. Do we want to watch this? I mean, the thing about this is that you, it's hard to watch this without having to watch the other one. Mm. You know, the ones before. They, the build to this, what this talking about. You know. But Chris, we talk about this. The big spot on here is who appears in this segment. Shelton's mother. Yes. His, his actual real mother. <laughs> yes, is that Not mother. Uh, Thea Vidal. But Thea right. Vidal, yeah. All right, so here we go. Oh, boy. All right, so now we're playing this. <laughs> All right, so next came a deal where a bunch of faceless women, Melina, Candace, and Maria, the announcer, 
know why Stacey they Because you're doing something. And Stacey Keeler, who aren't faceless. Keeler was super over as they were in Baltimore. They showed a 50-year-old woman with a Keeler sign in the stands, and Dave thought they said it was her mother. Well, let's see what Randy Orton has in mind for these ladies, shall we? As only Randy Orton in this era can. And real quick, with what I'm paused on here, holy collision, were they not drawing well at this time? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, side opposite hard cam, it's only the lower bowl. To the right of hard cam is pretty much just the floor. And then we see, you know, a little bit of floor on the side of hard cam. And you can see they haven't put in a ton of seats on that side on the aisle. 5,300 fans at First Mariner Arena. So is First Mariner now that royal, what what, what is that now? Because I know that that royal. It's the CF CF Bank Arena. Oh, okay. It's It's a 14,000 seat building. But it's the Baltimore Arena. It's a 14,000 seat building that they announced 5,300 for, yes. And, well, also, remember, it's the Baltimore. Remember, though, the Baltimore Arena. No, it's fine. It's not like most arenas. It's like like the Now Arena in Illinois, where there is, like, a stage area at one end. So, like, for wrestling, you can set up the entrance stage over there. So it's not the, it's, it's, you know, sections off differently. So, anyway. What's the sign? Triple H fears the Asian sensation. Whoever the hell that is. I'm assuming that's some wrestling rumor site personality. I don't know. Maybe he's friends with Sick Boy and whoever else at X Wrestling. They look good, though. They look real good. Now, as your acting general manager for the night... By the way, since we haven't even discussed it, why is he acting general manager? They had every week, different general manager. Oh, this was the uh, b- 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 this was the Survivor Series deal. Yes. Yeah. Where the winning team and whatever match it was, each got a week as Raw general manager. Yes. I am required to deliver to you the hottest show possible. And what's a hot show without hot women? (laughs) So I've asked some of the most beautiful women in the world to come down to the ring with me tonight. We've got Melina, Maria, Candace, all beautiful women, all drop-dead gorgeous, perfect tens. But, but, no one knows who they are. There's something missing. There is something missing. More hot women. (laughs) So I've asked for two more of our raw divas to come on out here and join me in the ring. So let's hear it first for the raw. Why did they suddenly start dubbing in fake crowd noise there? It's a live show. I don't know. But that's obviously what happened. So I'm confused. Diva search winner, Christy Heavy! More is always good. They're dubbing over uh, the Union Underground song, right? Uh, yes, that may have been what the dubbing was about. Or was it Union Underground, or was it uh, someone? It, it's th- the Idiot Walk is the song, or whatever, right? Yeah. 
or no, it was called something else, but everyone focused on how they had all these women walking out to a song with lyrics like do do the idiot walk. You mean the Hives? Yes, yes, it was it was that. Yes, yes, sorry. It was the Hives. Yeah. Union Underground was who did the Raw theme. And believe me, don't don't think I haven't been blowing her phone up, but for some reason she's been warning, blowing her Randy's facial expressions are fantastic. Oh, he's fantastic. This is, he's, he's in his element here. Oh, yeah, he is. Coach. He's just Jane Track and Maven riding shotgun with him, and it'd be just perfect. How about Coach talking about the blowing up the phone of a woman who does not want to hear that from him? That would never catch up with him years later at any other job. Next up, we've got Baltimore's own hometown sweetheart, Stacy Keebler. Happened to have, happened to have a raw divas without all the legs. Well, it just means the natural thing. See, this stuff they always pay, paid for to make sure they had rights in perpetuity. <laughs> if it yeah. was something that they actually like did an album deal for. She's there got you going go. on. Yeah. The welcome home Stacy sign, yep. Yeah. Don't blame her. Stacy, a former Baltimore Ravens cheerleader in the National Football League. Some of the Ravens here at this, uh, this one of the Kings, remember Park, they go. Please don't go above the bottom rope with those heels. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, she was she was smart there. Yes, yeah. I was like, oh god, don't no, we don't want to take broken ankles so, here. Between between being the tallest by far and wearing those gigantic heels, she's just yes. completely towering over everyone too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this still yeah, shot's perfect. She's like, looks like almost like a foot taller. Than yeah, than poor Melina. Melina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the first Mariner Arena. Oh God, it's even worse when you see her with all of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she looks yes. taller than Randy. Yeah, <laughs> she's right about there. <laughs> no. Now, you girls, you have no idea why you're out here. Let me explain. Let me tell you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's the holiday season. It's a time for giving. So what I've decided to do is give you people the very first ever raw lingerie fashion show. Now we're talking. I think business just picked up. (laughs) Now, girls, girls. You had no time to prepare whatsoever, and I understand Supposedly that. In a shoot, too, so, by the way. I asked. Yep. What? Yeah. Let me read. Let me read what Dave says here. Um, 
Dave says he didn't think the women had any notice. They're little tricks people do for bikini photo shoots to rid themselves of the last bits of atipose tissue, which you did a few days' notice. And by not doing so, these women, for the most part, didn't look like people's fantasy magazine models. Let's go. <laughs> I would think that qualifies as sexual harassment in some form, but... Spike TV to allow for a few extra minutes on the show, and they unfortunately did not oblige. So, if we want to do this, ladies, one by one, you're going to have to undress right now and model your lingerie right here, right now. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen... Shall we have the lingerie fashion show? Yes, we should. Yes, I want to say it to you. <laughs> Girls, balls in your court. Ladies. I'm reminded of how, was it Phil Schneider used to say that uh, Northeast indie crowd sometimes came off like they were part of a street theater production of The Accused? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this feels like that. Yes. Well, I just watched... Um... An ECW um, handheld from a TNN taping in, um, fuck, I can't remember. It was in in New York, New York State, uh, from 2000, where two girls were in the crowd. And, of course, they got the badgering of, you know, they showed their tits. And they very happily obliged. But when they were doing it, and they did it multiple times, in fact, they were standing side by side with each other and blah, blah, blah. There were dudes that was right there in the crowd that you could tell that they were fighting an internal battle not to touch them. Okay, I I need you to quantify this. Because they had this look on their face, they were looking at them, standing beside them, and it's like you could tell that they wanted to grab, but they knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. But you could just look at them and tell that they wanted to do it. Yes. Fan cam, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, meanwhile, back to Baltimore. I want to see a screenshot of uh, Stacy's mom when they said they're going to do this lingerie show. (laughs) Well, (laughs) she's pretty much ready. I mean, so she's wearing the shortest attire of the group. So I'm sure Mike today would approve, or maybe not, actually. You look at you look at three of them, Melina, Candace, and and uh, Christy. They're wearing hose, mm-hmm. so they came prepared with their hose game. Hose is in hosiery. Yes, hosiery. <laughs> yes, panty, panty hose. Yes, yes bitch. Sir, come on. Yes, yes, yes. It looks like Maria and Stacy are not. No, they're they're bare legged. Yes. What will it be? Uh, will you do it? Obviously, it was not sprung on them during the segment, though. They clearly learned about it when they got there. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, none of them are good enough actors to, like, if this was sprung on them in the in the spot, we would be able to tell. I think. Well, and plus, you never know. What if they were, you know, wearing lingerie underneath? You know, what if they were bare? You know, you know exactly. This wasn't the exact shoot on the spot. My God, even better. (laughs) <laughs> that, that is so inappropriate this whole 
Never come back to bite me in the ass. <laughs> all right, now here's what we're going to do. I want you all to line up along these ropes here. There you go. There you go. Go on now. Go on now. Perfect. I tell you what. Malik- Randy yeah. Orton. Randy Orton. Uh, I've been to a, quite a few Hooters bikini contests in my lifetime. Uh, Randy Orton definitely has the uh, has the has the gravitas to be a Hooters bikini contest host <laughs> because he's doing a fantastic job here of being that type of guy. I imagine what a shame he missed. He missed out. <laughs> imagine career. him and Stan Lane with his Hawaiian Tropic experience doing like a bikini <laughs> contest DJ off. <laughs> All right, let's go back. Do we think Orton's fathered any future Congress people? <laughs> you're first. Well, let's add some music, please. Well, none of these ladies are going commando. <laughs> I gotta hope they are. They're trying to prepare. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Cut the music. Cut the music. Ladies and gentlemen. Understandably so, it's Melina's first time in the WWE ring, and she's a little bit nervous. She might. So, could we get a little bit of encouragement for Melina? How about it? Maybe that's why she's a little embarrassed. We need to help her out a little bit. There we go. Very awkward. Well, also, which, which, which I guess it plays into the thing that she's a, it's her first time in the ring. So she's probably doing it on purpose. Well, also from the way she was fidgeting, uh, she appears to be terrified. She's going to fall out of that bustier. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's that too. <laughs> she does not appear to have come prepared with any uh, boob tape, as they call it. Boob tape. Yeah. Have you ever heard of it referred to by any other name other than boob tape? Not really. There you go. Souvenir there for the acting general manager. Well, I think the crowd really helped her get in the mood rather quickly <laughs> on her first night of the job. Randy Orton just hired Melina. I think she'll probably be around for a while. I would suggest. Yeah, there is nothing keeping her in that top. <laughs> Randy Orton's going to do this every night he's general manager. I, I think he can stick around only for a little while. If he's going to do this. Fabulous! Fabulous! Candace, let's see what you got, baby. Yeah, let's see what you got, Candace. Yeah. Oh no, you gotta be kidding me. Oh. oh. Uh, Candace is my new favorite. She's wrapping her dress around Andy. <laughs> I never got to do Jr. when I was doing the Raw Diva search. Yeah, well, you know. Like, I guess, oh, Candace is so hot. Candace is our new makeup lady. <laughs> I think I may need to start getting some makeup right now. A little anti-shine. Ah, uh, 
KD, did you see her <laughs> sucking on toes on Cinemax, though? Yeah. <laughs> Randy, Randy is making this whole segment. He really is. <laughs> he is making this whole segment. I'm just waiting for one of the announcers. I, I can't believe they've not dropped the. We hope we get a wardrobe malfunction because that was 2004. Yeah. The famous mm. wardrobe malfunction at the Super Bowl. Yeah. It just makes me wish we got more of this type of Randy Orton. Yeah. Because Randy, you know, was always this serious, you know, Viper, you know, yeah. legacy, this, that, another. He's so good at doing this type of shit. Yes. Oh. And it's funny because it's like I wouldn't have expected this because he was barely a baby face. And I'm like, oh, my God, I remember just this run. It's like, oh, not but very it, good. But here he is it, here. I'm like, wow, he's pretty hilarious. Yeah, well, he's in his natural habitat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yep. All right. From his facial expression, he looks like he may be on his way to hitting his finish, too. (laughs) (laughs) It won't be out of nowhere. More to go. All right. I can sit here all night and watch this. Maria, let's see what you got, baby. And by the way, neither woman so far has worn anything that they would be wearing if they had any idea they would track a new member. If they didn't have any idea they were going to be on. You know, I've been training her a little bit, too. Not to do this, but... Is there anything up top? Laugh like me. Look at Randy in the background. (laughs) (laughs) He's biting his hand. I couldn't tell what I wanted, but whatever it was, it was going to be good. Man, uh, she is fantastic. Young Miss Wharton's getting uh, quite the collection of souvenirs, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know if he thought this was going to happen, but you can see he's enjoying it. And who wouldn't? Everybody in this arena right now, probably everybody at home, is wanting to be Randy Orton. I'm usually not jealous of anybody, but i got to be honest with you right now. I wish I was standing in that ring instead of sitting next to you. No offense. Thank you. Now I want to know why you run that Raw Diva search, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) What was I about to say? Um, I don't even know. (laughs) Oh, uh, it was something about Maria. Now I don't remember what. Well, show us why you won the Diva search, baby. Yeah. I got a feeling this is going to be T-Bone to death. T-Bone to death. <laughs> she, she is hot. I, I'm just wondering if she can do that split. Oh, she's asking him to take the dress off. To what take did she ask Randy? Did, yeah. did she ask Randy to do what I think I she did? Well, you might be able to. No, <laughs> oh, oh, Randy. Oh, you. Oh. This, this is just... This is just tremendous. This is my favorite Raw of all time. What, a, what an honor to be out here. I'm sorry, Jerry. I apologize if I'm stammering a little bit, stuttering a little bit, but I, I, I'm beside myself. And I've been around these women for seemingly months. But yeah, they, they didn't look like this when I got to be around. I think this crowd, all these guys in here, they're absolutely speechless at what they're getting to see. I know I remember what I was going to say, that um, 
I, I get what Dave's point is, but I really don't think any of the women look like what he's saying there. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. They're, they're, they have nothing to be ashamed of. No. Oh, I don't even mean, I mean, even, even by the, sta- <laughs> I mean, even by the unrealistic standards, like, I, I don't see them yeah. looking out of the ordinary for that. No. No, 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 no. They were ready for action. Orton is licking I, his well, lips. Not so... Randy. <laughs> <laughs> or Coachman. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine if Waller was on the call for this? <laughs> yeah. That, I wonder if that's why they, they, they have Waller. Because <laughs> yeah. that was the whole thing we didn't mention is that Orton came out and said, oh, it's your birthday. You're going to wrestle Flair. And I'm like, oh, now I'm like, how convenient to take Lawler out of the booth. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Oh, yeah. He's he's licking his lips so much that you'd think he was on ecstasy. He's he, he's not on <laughs> ecstasy. Are we sure? He's, he's, he's going through ecstasy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Time for the main event. Well, only one left, folks. Please, not the belt. Go ahead and say she's made me with that belt. I'll take it. Oh, she's wondering what she's going to do. It's her plan of attack. It's her game plan, so to speak. She's a football fan. She wants wants Randy to unzip that mini, mini, mini skirt. I can't can't believe that Randy is sharing this with us here tonight. Thank you, Randy Orton. Thank you a million times over from everybody. I think I speak on behalf of everybody. JR, you, are, are you still breathing? I'm with you. I'm concurring here. Well, Randy Orton won the... I can picture Rhodes, uh, Rhodes, Ross's internal monologue at this point, which is basically just <laughs> cowboy hat emoji, cowboy hat emoji, <laughs> yeah. cowboy hat emoji. Sauce it. Well, Rebel's not in this competition, so... Uh... <laughs> That's, if w- that's if his du- yes, but if WWE P porn existed uh, in 2004, <laughs> he, he would he would be pounding the like button uh, on this evening. Yes, he's a professional. Come on. Yes. Find a way to thank this audience, boy. Did he ever find the perfect way to thank this audience? Oh. JR, this is the absolute closest you've ever come to sex. Be honest. Come on, be honest with me. No, I can't. That, it's not? I've got two children. Well, there's other ways. <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, the milk only comes once a all week. All right, all right, all right, all right. Don't be a jackass, okay? <laughs> JR, just because you're frustrated, don't be upset I'm, I'm now. Don't, don't ruin the moment for all of us. Hey, I'm not mis- I don't know about you guys, but that is the best fashion show that I've ever seen. And I think it calls for a group hug. Gentlemen, it is one of the biggest main events in Raw's history. Oh. Tonight, a triple threat match for the world 
Speaking of treating women well, Chris Benoit. Uh, uh. Dave noted this was FCC-approved lingerie. This may have kept the audience from tuning out, but it was so trashy. And it goes into the thing about the notice. Well, hey. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It yeah. was what it was. <laughs> also, looking at this graphic, like, people who thought punk looked dead inside on Monday need to look at this Benoit graphic. Good lord. I saw he was like looking when he was talking to Orton. I was like, oh my god. I forgot how scary he looked even before everything happened. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. Oh, but ne- next we've got uh, Regal and oh, Eugene against uh, La Resistance. Oh, but oh. we got the Simon system mm. too. Oh my god. Yeah, shall we hear from uh, uh, Mike Bucci? Yeah. And now, the WWE Slam of the Week is brought to you by Simon Dean's Simon System. The patented system that helps you shed unwanted pounds. The Simon System. Change your life for the better. So wait, are they not able to sell any actual... They're using their own thing to to do sponsorships. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So Eugene and Regal beat La Resistance Cube Tag Tops 344 when Eugene pinned Conway after a stunner. Maven attacked Eugene and ran him into the ring steps. Then we get Jericho and Trish backstage trying to one up each other. Jericho noted if Lita was a walking KOD, kiss of death, that Trish was a walking STD. Anyway, it was noted that Jericho would be GM next week, and Trish would defend her title against Lita. Is that the one that Flair was meant? That's the main event, yes. Flair was man a big day for limiting him from the Battle Royals, saying they were there to win together and then go in the main event and lay down for Triple H. Flair said he'd have done it, and Dave had this look on his face, and Flair said, you would, you would have laid down, wouldn't you? Dave didn't answer. What's weird is he got that completely wrong, too, because I remember it was like they were asking, it was like, I always, uh, Flair was saying, oh, I always got your back. And then he's like, hey, if you have his back, right? And he's just standing there, like, non-responsive. I'm like, that's completely different than what I just read in the notes. <laughs> yeah. They're doing everything right they, that they screwed up in the Orton deal here. Absolutely. Which is, that's true. Very true. Many of us saw the title wind up being held up with Triple H been one edge and 14-23 of a three-and-three-quarter star match. Excellent match with great heat. Wait, what the hell is this segment? Oh, 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 Trish. No, 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 no. With the laundry on the clothesline. Oh, okay. Well, they didn't mention this. All right, let's see what this is. Uh, Oh, they're selling it. That's a lingerie. Autographed by all the divas. They just took up and handed to Randy Orton. That's a lingerie these ladies are wearing earlier tonight. It's available on uh, www.auction.com, though. And you can bid on these items. Oh, look, they're Stacy's autographing right now. You can bid on these items till 5 o'clock this Friday. Yes, all week. It's all game worn. You are the. <laughs> what, game what, worn. what are they going to do worn. customs too? <laughs> can, can i sponsor each of their spots on the show oh my sleeper kid wasn't involved in this though so no 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 but it's on it's on clickwrestle.com clickwrestle.com no, nobody's fa- faking using chloroform here okay so, so. 
Seriously. Well, none right, of that so stuff it... ever made it onto Click Wrestle, I don't think. <laughs> no, but it was, it was, believe me, there's a lot of it out there. All right, this was an excellent match with great heat. Ben wanted a tope on both of them early. Ben Wade sharpshooter on edge. Triple H made a save. He got Triple H in the crossface. Flair and Batista came out. Batista pulled Ben Wade out of the ring. Kato went a clothesline. Orton came out as Triple H and Flair were booted out. Batista seemed happy about being booted out. It should be Batista and Flair being booted out, not Triple yeah. H and Flair. Benoit used a German suplex and Sharks on edge, which Triple H made to save. Triple H attacked Orton. Benoit did three more German suplexes on edge, went to the top for the diving headbutt, but Triple H shoved them off after a rep thumb. Triple H got a chair. Orton hit the ring and stopped them from using it. Orton hit Triple H with the chair, sent him over the guardrail. Benoit put the crossface on edge. Edge went and tapped. Benoit rolled to his back. Dave couldn't believe they were doing the Kensuke Saki Kazuki Fujita finish, since that was the worst finish of all time. Actually, Dave thought they were doing the uh, Carlos Newton Matt Hughes finish that inspired Angle Undertaker. Tap before pin question. Combined with Kurt Angle, Daniel Pewter, the guy with the submission on his back, and then he is being pinned before the tap. So the ref counted three on Benoit and Edge tapped. Mike Kyoto said Edge won the title. Pearl Hebner said Benoit won. In reality, this time it's slow mode. No question, Edge won. Such Edge's first tap was slightly after the count went down for by Kyoto for the three. And technically, you have to tap three times for submission. Edge's nose like it exploded with blood everywhere, perhaps from an Aaron elbow. All three worked hard in this one, so the belts held up pending next week in Charlotte. Overall, a very good show aside from the lingerie deal. Actually, technically, you don't have to tap three times. It's just, at least in MMA and I think jujitsu, you need to. It just needs to be purposeful. <clears throat> You yeah, can, like if you t- you can tap once and it's the referee can be like, okay, that's a tap. Yeah, yeah. But let's take a look at this. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah let's watch it. Fight it, Edge! Fight it! Whatever you do, fight this! Oh, yeah. Clearly. Also, yeah, there's no reason that well. Triple H should be in the rematch. Anyway. They did not time that well at all. No, but also, like, the way this goes down, why is Triple H getting a shot next week? Why isn't he just losing? Why is he in? Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think they wanted to do the more dramatic tap. So the audience could, so the audience could see, you know, like a big more dramatic tap when it should have been just, you know, the old tap the shoulders or something. But that probably would come across for the grand audience is one. How about the degree to which the crowd realizes this is a fuck finish and is not buying into yeah. any of this? Yeah. yeah. Well, and plus, you gotta remember, they were already bait and switched once already on this show. You know, yeah. they were told the Battle Royal was gonna be for the championship. And yeah. then they do that, you know, bullshit finish, and now you get another bullshit finish. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Champion. It's been a new world heavyweight champion. Wait a second, I 
acting general manager trying to figure it out here. Uh, Triple H. Well, Triple H has no idea what happened. He got blasted by Randy Orton. Oh, Triple H knows what happened. He just lost his world title. He knows it. The question is, ladies and gentlemen, the question is, who is the world's heavyweight champion? We have seen history tonight. Who is the champion? You'll never forget. November 29th, Monday Night Raw. We've seen history made. Hey, hey, it's a pet peeve of mine that more so WWE, but also other promotions never like clearly establishing rules for specific situations and stuff that like they always handled ambiguity in three ways so badly. Like, you know, the thing with the. Okay. My thing is. There's more than one ref all of a sudden in this world title match with three competitors. You know what I mean? I mean, you get three by about a bump, and also it's like, well, it's, wait, a dusty, wait. it's a dusty finish. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, ugh, you know. But it reminds like, me oh. of like when they do the thing where like the two guys put the third guy in a submission and he taps, right. but it's like right. you, you, only one person can win, so we have to continue. And it's like, why don't you just make a rule from that point forward? Or even a call on the fly in the match that the person who tapped, even though it's not an elimination match, has been eliminated. You know, the one like, thing I was hoping for, which would have been a neat little continuity thing, was even the same two referees argue on the same side as they did in the Battle Royal. But I don't think I don't think it was uh, Hebner in the uh, Battle Royal argument. So like I was wondering, Kyoto was siding on the same guy of both things. That would have been kind of an interesting little take on, on you know while I'm watching it. And then less than two months later, the Rumble has an accidental uh, simultaneous double right. elimination at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Cover up for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. That that took long enough. Let's continue. I think we still have a lot to go, don't we? <laughs> oh, we ain't got SmackDown yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Raw on 29 drew a 3.94 rating, 4.03 first hour, 3.86 second hour, 4.94 million viewers. The average viewership age has dropped in recent weeks to about 35 so new viewers are skewing younger but raw is the only show with the average viewers under the age of 41 including the experience show on saturday morning aimed for kids but meanwhile the viewership now the average viewer probably is 54 because all, all the same people are watching it 20 years 19 years ago <laughs> well, that's wrestling yeah, yeah. And that's i mean that's all wrestling yes yeah it was the third straight big week for the show since they began doing the more detailed storylines with Bayface GM. It was the highest rate episode of Raw since June 21st, barely beating out the previous two weeks. The big game was for the Battle Royal, which added 557,000 viewers between the midpoint of the match and the finish. The post-Battle Royal with Orton talking to Vince, Edge, Benoit, and Eugene Maven argument at 253 to a 4.6 rate, 6 rating, and 5.42 million viewers, and was the high point of the show. Lita Victoria Molly Trish lost 103,000. Flair Lawler tanked in the number two spot on the show, losing 228000 to a 3.99. The faceless women's lingerie deals was Eugene and Regal and Lovers. It's not lost 89000 The big surprise was Benoit Edge Triple H, lengthy title match only gaining 5,000 viewers to a 4.09 overrun, which is terrible for a main event. Wow. So that tells you that bait and switch really didn't work. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? That bait and yeah, switch I mean, pissed people off. Oof. Yeah. Alvarez noted that Melina's underwear that she wore on Raw was auctioned off by WWE for 600 bucks. That's so disturbing. Oh, would he have said that if it was Maria? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
I just, I mean, you just don't want to think of what these dudes did when they bought this lingerie. You just don't want to. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> all right, speaking of Alvarez, we and have his review of like, I mean, to be clear, like, this shit happens all the time with women selling gear. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's not just, oh, yeah. it's not just wrestling either. No, I know, but it's like, yeah, but, but here's the thing in wrestling, with as far as collectors. With men's gear, it's usually stuff from, like, famous matches, or more so, like, stuff that's not, like, tights that end up with, like, collectors of, like, the Conrad type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With women, it's indie wrestler's gear going to uh, a certain element. But, yes. but not just that, too. There's the old Amazon wish list a lot of these girls would have up and, you know. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That's, that, 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 that's a lot of that that goes on. Oh, absolutely. A lot of that that goes yep. on. <clears throat> but, hey, I don't know if the hustle. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as I see, as we're about to get into SmackDown, I, I realize we're not far enough in to have the Randy Orton uh, stories yet, because uh, Amy Webber is still there. Yes. Oh. SmackDown, Chico reviewing. Taylor Long met with JBL, Orlando, and their general, generic chick and the Bashams. That's Amy Webber. Yes. Apparently, the Bashams are JBL's new co-secretaries of defense. Alongside Bashams to face off with Booker and Eddie. And Undertaker and JBL in Orlando in a handicap match. Strange, the only people happy about this were the Bashams, most because they were just pleased to still be employed and to get a match on the A show. Well, B show. Brian had no logical explanation for why JBL and Orlando were upset to be getting a 2 1 advantage in a match against The Undertaker. RBD and Ray and Tori Wilson faced off with Renee Dupree, Kenzo Suzuki, and Hiroko. <laughs> no, SmackDown was bad at this point. <laughs> Oh Sorry. god! Just Kenzo just falling into the rain there. Tori also, Shaw was the, standing. Haven't these two two teams been feuding for like six months? Basically, uh, Brian knows that Tori's job was to stand on the apron and look hot and stupid. Thanks, thankfully, she's fully capable of doing this. <laughs> wow! If there's if there's one person in this world that does not hate Renee Dupree, it's whoever owns the tanning salon he frequents. <laughs> Tori and Hiroko got into a brief cat fight and rolled over Kenzo. He was so pleased with this that he did a hip swivel. Ray went for a six. There it is. Ray yeah. went for a six one nine. Yeah. Hiroko, but Renee cut him off with a spine buster. Brian may have been the only person watching this show who cheered when she was saved. Dave, Brian's not sure what happened to Renee, but suddenly, yep, Brian opened his eyes and Ray was pinning him. The best thing Brian could say about this was it was a crowd pleaser. Although, you know what I'll say though. Just from watching little bits of this with the sound off. Here it comes. Here's the here's the six one nine attempt. Oh my! Ray, male and female violence. Oh, thank you, Renee Dupree. <laughs> um, Cutting them off there. Well, that was a nice little like you know, spinebuster there. Kenzo does seem uh, very into being a uh, sports entertainer here, though. Oh, oh, oh absolutely. Renee with the French tickler. Oh, is that what they call it? Say, oh, you mean his dance? Yes. Yes. And I have to say, my mind was blown because I have no recollection that Rene Dupree and Kenzo Suzuki were tag team champions in World Wrestling Entertainment in 2004. Like, yeah. And that might be the second weirdest Rene Dupree tag team title reign in wrestling. Because you guys know who we, te- who we won a championship with of Noah? Oh, I don't remember. This is in the last This is in years, 2020. Right? Yeah. 2020, E.L. Dr. Wagner Jr. Yes. So fucking weird. <laughs> so yeah. weird. Yeah. 
I was like, what the hell is Ray Dupree doing to Noah and being a tag champ? But I digress. <laughs> Al Snow led the tough enough guys to the ring. He asked Ryan Reeves, oh. right back, if he wanted to quit due to his broken ribs. Yes, Al, I do, <laughs> Ryan said. Then he added, psych. He smiled so wildly and proudly that Brian really felt sorry for him when he just got absolutely no reaction whatsoever. I, I kind of want you to play that if you can. Okay. It's hilarious. It's, it's, Hilariously bad because he thought he was being so smart about it. Like, oh, yeah. Right, well, also, just check this out. by the way, you buried the lead that they won the GHC tag team titles from the team of uh, now Michi Marufuji and Masaki Mochizuki. Uh, yeah. And look at yeah. the Miz dancing around there. Yeah. Uh, oh, you mean noted uh, not childhood wrestling fan, the Miz? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike Mizanin. Yes. Oh, never bite to a house show. God. <laughs> One of these men going to have their heart broken tonight. Ladies and gentlemen. Look at the Ryback just, tr- just trying to look tough. Just taking his position. <laughs> have their heart look broken tonight. I know. But Pewter's putting on his best Tito Ortiz right there, too. You he know? does. Very but, Tito. But yeah. look at how the Ryback's just like, ah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, here we go. He's getting about to get in his pose. And I forget. Who's the fourth guy? Justice Smith. Justice Smith. Okay. Yes, old Justice. All right. Al Snow uh, appears to be trying to have Chris Jericho's exact hairstyle at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, your four tough enough competitors. Mike Mazanin. Ryan Reeves. Justice Smith, Daniel Pewter. And this is so piped in, this crowd noise. Each of these men are competing for $1 million, and the competition is really heating up. And as such, Ryan Reeves, I'm required again to ask you, due to your two broken ribs, do you wish to quit Tough Enough? Yes, Al, I do. Whoa. Psych. Hell no, I don't quit. So bad. Okay. (laughs) Well, since there can only be one winner of this competition, only we gave each of the contestants. Um, Yeah, that's why I said it was so bad. It was like, oh. I'm dumb as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Also, not the most interesting thing to happen with Ryback. Oh, yes. Of late. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Brian noted, uh, said no joke. This is the I'm playing of the video of Ryback uh, making out with Shrek for them, to be clear. Yes, I, I had. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually reading the notes. No joke. This is the epitome of a joke not getting over. And if Brian ever told a joke and didn't get over to that degree, Brian thought he was spontaneously combust. They then aired recorded clips on the Titan Tron of each guy saying who'd he vote off if given the chance. Miz. Said he voted off Pewter because he was such a kiss ass. Plus, he said Pewter claimed to be a UFC fighter but never fought in UFC. Pewter got kicked out of this. Reeves said he voted Pewter off because he was the only one not there for wrestling. He was there to market himself for ultimate fighting. Pewter enjoyed this one as well. Justice said, You guessed it, he voted off Pewter. Confidence should not be verbalized, he said. Fuck off. Sorry. Pewter did not pick himself. He picked Justice because, well, the Basham shut him down down fast. 
Al then announced that the fans had voted off Reeves. See you, dude. Justice is next to go. Though that's no surprise. Al then announced that the last two guys will face each other in the pay-per-view with a regulation boxing match. Miz will shove him down in shadow boxing. What a fool. He shall die soon. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Brian was wrong because... I don't know if it was the degree to which Pewter underestimated how good an athlete Mike Mizanin is. I don't know if he just found a really good coach. I mean, I don't remember which of them actually wins officially the boxing match. But, like, Miz did everything possible to, like, just totally neutralize him in that. Yeah. Like, Miz overcame the odds even back then. I mean, being that Pewter's, an, like, he's not a boxer, but he's a trained mixed martial arts fighter, like, it was really impressive what Miz did there. Um, also, just from the way they're lighting and shooting everything, yeah, this this taping did not draw well either. No. Backstage, Hiroko gave Kenzo a brow beating for always staring at Tori and never staring at her. This is Brian's exact quotes here in the newsletter. Mm. What's so great about Tully Wilson, she asked. Uh, Can these two people really be this bad at speaking English? Or is Vince commanding them to butcher for his own amusement? Brian knew Kenzo, knew zero English when he first came over here, but wasn't Hiroko more fluent than the last time she was doing promos? Anyway, Kenzo said Tori had a nice everything. Hiroko was outraged. My milkshake bling all the boys to the yard, she proclaimed, <laughs> which caused Taz to punch the microphone. Therefore, Hiroko said she, next week she was challenging Tori to a bra and panties match. Brian had several <sighs> things to say about this. Number one, for a period of time, he hated that milkshake song more than any song he'd ever heard in 29 years of his life upon that, this earth. But after hearing the promo, Brian thanked God it was creative because it spawned that line during this promo. And that line brought Brian such great joy. Number two, this is the funniest SmackDown moment in months. And number three, Brian is madly in love with Hiroko. He realizes he's fickle, but he didn't give a shit. Well, they got to listen to this. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. All right. No! You are giving me headache. Good. I'm sick of this. You're always staring at Tony Wilson's body. You never look at me that way. So, what's so great about Tony Wilson? She has nice. Everything. You want to see everything? Fine. Because my milkshake bring all the boys to the yard. (laughs) So... Next week, I'm challenging Tolly Wilson to a match. A bra and panties match. What? Bra and panties? Bra and panties? <laughs> Kenzo is very happy to, to prospect of that. <laughs> there you go, Brian uh, Milkshake right brings the boys Brian to the yard. Brian call him on that line. And now. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny too because I, I looked it up. They're still married, and I was like, "Man, why didn't she ever go with him to like?" I mean, I don't know. When, you know, he, he had that run Triple A where he was a total sports entertainer too, and like she could have been a good part of that act if she was down there with him. 
this is this is something that you watch this now and you think holy shit you know? yeah, exactly <laughs> well also that it's very obvious that vince was like you gotta script it so it has as many r's as possible yes yeah <laughs> oh my Rah, god tori yeah oh my goodness <laughs> Yes, sir. I, I mean, so, put the letter R in there as many times as you wish. I mean, it's just insane to think, that, you know, that this stuff happened like this, even back then, you know? Oh, it's so nuts. They were still doing bikini <laughs> contests on shows of 10 years after this. Yeah. I know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the way that Hiroko and Kenzo was portrayed here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, meanwhile, on the other show, we just saw the old, the Arab Americans, you know? Yeah, I know. It's just crazy to think that, I mean, 2004 is 19 years ago. I know. I mean, it's crazy yes. to think that, that we're that old now. But, man. I forget the, yeah. in storyline, is Hiroko supposed to be his wife? I don't know. I don't think they ever call her Hiroko Suzuki. I think they just call her Hiroko. Hiroko, right. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, but, but obviously that, they're kind of That probably implies something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That promo definitely implies they're a couple. Yeah. So, goodness gracious. Nothing else. All right. As we continue here, <laughs> Jesus came out oh, with Carlito no. for a match with Charlie Haas. Carlito, arm in a sling, cut a promo saying it wasn't cool that Charlie was hogging on the girls like Dawn and Jackie. He told her she needed to get with someone. Dramatic pause. Cool. Carlito is the man. Then the bad guys beat the crap out of Charlie and it's over. The big spot was a chain-assisted heart punch by Jesus. Excuse me, that was John Cena's chain, all right? It was. Yes, it was. Teddy Long met with Carlito and Jesus backstage and yelled at them for their heinous actions, and he signed Jesus and Cena to a street fight. We should remind UW you, alumni. this is after Jesus stabbed John Cena in a nightclub. <laughs> With uh, the implication being it was ordered by Carlito because you know how those colognes are. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And I'll just say, hey, you know what? We're going to talk about Rev Pro on this show. There you go. We have Jesus, hardcore kid, was a part of wrestled a, quite a few shows for Revolution Pro Wrestling. There you go. Well, what are you talking <laughs> about? We already talked about it. Wait, wait. Yeah. Wait, wait. Nudge, nudge. I will say, you know, 18 months before this. Oh, wait, wait. Let me think. Oh, my God. Not even that long. I've never seen hardcore kid, Jesus, at like the second ever PWG show, talking to Ozawa, talking his ear off, telling him, how much he wants to wrestle in Mexico and asking all these questions about Mexico. And it was all, meanwhile, I was looking at him like, why the fuck would you want to come to Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> and then a year later, bam, he had his little run with WWE. With Nosawa's point yeah. being, you are a tall built American. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, uh, our Paul T was our, was our, the original PWG commissioner. And he was like the translator for Nosawa and all those guys. And so he's translating this conversation. And Paul's looking at me like, what the hell is with this guy? And I'm like, I don't know. He just loves fucking Lucha and wants to go to Mexico. <laughs> Pretty much. You know? And eventually he did just after WWE. And yeah. that random all Japan run of Zodiac. Yeah. Yeah. 
Booker and Eddie had an argument backstage. People wonder why no babyfaces are over these days. They both said they were going to win the belt of the pay-per-view. Yawn. Eddie and Booker versus the Bashams. JBL came in and did commentary. That's a good place for him. Bashams clearly decided to be getting another chance of working their asses off, taking flat back bumps on the floor the whole nine yards. He, Booker got the heat. Highlight of the match was JBL browbeating Michael Cole about everything under the sun, including his abject lack of athleticism. So they're getting that act going already at this point in time. He also made some type of sports joke that Brian didn't get, but made his buddy Vince laugh like a madman. <laughs> Eddie made a big comeback, ran wild, broke down to a four-way. Eddie Lowbridge dub and doing so Lowbridge Booker. That was interesting. He All right. for- hey, Chris, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you, I'll tell you the joke because Vic's not going to know what we're talking about. So okay. here's your first example of JBL made a very dated reference. Cole asked JBL his strategy and he said, Hey, do you ask Tom Landry to tell Joe Gibbs if he's going to use a four, three defense? <laughs> so there you go. I knew yes. you'd appreciate that. Well, Joe Gibbs, at that time, his back coach was back in the NFL, I think. Was he really in the yeah. 2000s? Oh 2004, yeah, because he came wow. back and coach. He came back and coach Washington. Yes, it was. I mean, well, Tom Landry's at least like 10, 15 years. Well, it may have been 04. It may have been. Okay. All right. When did Joe Gibbs go back to the. Oh, my God. Because Steve Spurrier, he replaced Spurrier. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. It was 2004. Right. Holy. Yeah. Wow. He had one half of a correct dated reference. All right. Yeah. All right. You know, because you figure you were talking about like what, like what, Newt Rockney or. Well, you know, I mean, well, you know, it was coaching the Cowboys at the time was Parcells. So you should oh, say Parcells. Oh, it was Parcells. It was not Jimmy Johnson. Okay. I was thinking Jimmy Johnson's the 90s. Sorry. Well, Jimmy Johnson's working for Fox at this time. Right, of course. But, um. I thought yeah. you liked that joke, though. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that is great. Um. Broke down to a four-way. Uh, Eddie Lubridge uh, do a Lubridge Booker. It was interesting. He went for a top for a fog splash. But Booker grabbed him and started screaming at him about the low bridge. In the confusion, Danny, not Eddie, and the Booker, and then pinned them using the ropes. Yay, damage <laughs> JBL snuck in the ring and killed both Eddie and Booker with a clothesline from hell. Tony for this. That was a hot crowd. That was in everything. Next, we get the Kurt Angle Invitational with Kurt Angle versus Sebastian McCauley. What? Brian will bet one million. <laughs> yeah, what? Who? Brian will bet one million dollars that Sebastian McCauley does not win the Kurt Angle Invitational. Angle offered a handshake and got more heat than virtually everyone else all night with that one move. He is the man. He then he then beat the fucking fuck out of Sebastian McCauley. <laughs> I hope this happens every week forever, my Brian's buddy Vince said. Brian could not agree more. He did be matched on pay-per-view, but the weekly 30-second angle squash on SmackDown has been among the highlights of the show each week. Yay, Kurt! He grabbed the mic afterwards and told generic Joy, George Giovanni, who's a new bell ringer, to get in the ring. She said no. He said nothing would happen to her. He just wanted to po- Someone just wanted to apologize. So she went to the ring, and Luther Reigns bowed his head respectively and said he was really sorry for last week. He said he was thrown out of his house at 13. Spent much much of his life in prison. He had no Thanksgiving, no friends. This, he said, was why he lost his mind last week. He offered to take her out to dinner. My treat, he added. No strings attached. She said thank you, but she had plans for later with the Big Show. This is the point where she is Big Show's special friend, Joy Giovanni. Yeah, <laughs> everyone in the ring was gobsmacked by this statement, as was Brian. 
Luther offered a wonderful apology, and all he wanted was a date, no strings attached, and she shot him down. They tried to convince her to change her mind, but out came show. Angle bailed. Luther Mark Jindrak died. Showed and challenged all three of them to a match right now, but the heels declined. Holy shit, what a <laughs> what a group of people in this ring here. This is you know what? This right here is the original uh Bufette del Amor with Mark Jindrak with the Reigns. Mark Jindrak banished the SmackDown to get him away from you know Orton's uh yeah, rap it influences. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um Real quick, because I think we should play this briefly. Um, I do feel bad that we had a dated reference, excuse me, a JBL dated reference, and didn't have Dave's uh, recap because of how much he hated <laughs> JBL's dated reference. Uh, for that, let's go well, to come one on, of he the, wasn't uh, broadcasting yet on a regular basis. Let's also, on that note, go to one of the unpublished versions of Gary Hart's memoir. Uh, let me find the right line here. Okay. Dave Meltzer makes himself out to be something really special. He's nothing more than a gossip monger. Even below Rona Barrett. And yes, I knowingly threw that name in there just to torment him because he has this bizarre <laughs> hang-up with quote-unquote dated references. And this is a phobia <sighs> coming from a so-called historian, mind you. Yeah. I want to hear uh, romantic just... Luther Reigns with his... Uh... <laughs> I'm sure he's just got. I'm sure. I'm sure his Viagra addiction is on his mind at this moment. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I'm asking you for an opportunity to go to Pause. dinner with me. He looks like the uh, the ape, the monkey in the suit on The Simpsons here. Oh yeah, he does. <laughs> he looks. Oh God, he does. <laughs> he looks like he's been injecting growth hormone into his face. <laughs> when they showed that shot, the wide shot of him in the suit standing there, he looked—he definitely looked like the monkey in the suit. I mean, also, hey, look, someone else we can just verif- de- verifiably say was on steroids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh god. Which, yeah, for those who don't remember, remember a few? Well, don't remember the whole thing. A few years ago, there was a man. Uh, what was the name? I forget. There was the documentary guy, and then there was the the steroid dealer, who claimed for weeks, "Oh yeah, I have all the." All the details on Roman Reigns, a steroid dealer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, that's right. And then it turned out that this guy had <laughs> actually been Reigns. dealing steroids to Luther Reigns. Yes. And oh, yeah, they, all they knew was that it was a wrestler named Reigns. Big difference. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I can make things right. Now, what do you say? That's all we need to do. <laughs> yeah. Curse and say yes is pretty cool. You missed the apology, but that, that's fine. It was just that oh, look at Big Show. There. Big oh, Show God. is big. Yep. Oh, and his legs didn't work then either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Look. His legs are in the same like spot that they were two weeks ago. In a way. More or less. Well, it's going all three of them. <laughs> There you go. Big show special friend. All right. It was announced that the commercial this match would take place at a pay-per-view. So there you go. Tough enough guys came out in drag oh, no. to ensure that they're never in their careers will they ever get over. Al did introduce Hardcore Holly. 
Miz was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> he was clearly the only one who ever followed wrestling to any degree. All they came out laughing at this ridiculous punishment. Oh, Al oh, Miz followed that, wrestling, you say, Brian? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it, it's very <laughs> obvious that he followed wrestling, you say. Al said all three contestants are going to have to hit on Bob. Once Bob heard this, he tried to bail. Al accused him of not being tough enough. Don't go there, Bob said. Al kept going on and on and on and on, and finally Bob acquiesced. This was a fast-forward moment if there ever was one. Crowd hated it, and once it was over, Taz said, and I quote, Thank God! Miz won, for the zero you that cared. Sam ended with Bob punching Al. As he was leaving, he chose to pie face one of the three contestants. Brian will give you three guesses who that person was, and the hint is that Bob is a huge pussy. Well, we're not fast forwarding this, are we? <laughs> we're gonna play this. Uh, yeah, Daniela. Uh, well, oh, oh my! That is really Dan, right? Remember the challenge sent out earlier tonight that well, we have to get in touch with the feminine side, the personality of the three. So, say that again. Speaking of stuff that couldn't be done today. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> we go, yeah. I'm curious, like, what wording did they use? Did they use the word drag? Like, how did they, how did he describe they, this and setting I think this they up? Lily's just said women's clothing. They had, if I remember earlier in the set, they said, you can't, you can't contact the makeup people. You're on your own to, to put you together your outfit and your makeup. It's not because yeah, it's not like drag. They're not doing like exaggerated drag type makeup. They're just they're in women's clothes and wigs. Yes. And obviously, this was all a shoot, right? Oh, Peter's wearing makeup. Yeah. No, I I know he's wearing makeup. I mean, not like exaggerated drag queen performer like makeup. Right. Well, we ain't got them all yet. (laughs) I'm I'm saying that if he was on Drag Race, he would not have enough flair to get past to get you know onto the show. So, as a reminder from past between the sheets lore, uh, New Day has their first meeting with Vince about what they're doing about the gimmick. Yes. And they talk about how they want a comedy element. Yes. Uh, Vince trying to somehow relate to them about black comedy opens with, I remember Flip Wilson. (laughs) <laughs> Geraldine it was uh, quality television yeah. and meanwhile this is what 
30 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 30, Justice yeah. Smith looks like Flip Wilson as Geraldine. Yes. And the, oh, yes, the wig, yes, time, the wig and the makeup it, style. and Yes. yes. yes that, that's totally yeah. it. Yes. Oh, yeah. But again, the, I mean, what's the age medium we set for the show in their mid-30s? It's still even young for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been what late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. my brothers were 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 young because yeah. they had the flip and Geraldine like um, dolls. Oh, okay, that, that oh, was okay. out of the time. Wow. Okay, so the Flip Wilson <laughs> show ran. Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So the Flip Wilson show ran from when? Seven seventy to seventy four. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, it's been off the air for more than thirty years. It did have a brief <laughs> nick at night. Yeah, run. Uh, what was it like? Late night. It's crazy because, and it wasn't like Flip Wilson was so relevant after that TV show. I mean, I don't know when how old he would have been when he passed away, but I don't really remember him doing much after that. No, he really didn't. I mean, he was he did stuff, but he wasn't in the, you know, major right. media. And the comedy and, world did change after that too. For yeah. days, also, you know. to tell you to tell you how short that Nick at Night run must have been. In the 90s? Oh, no. Okay. It was TV Land. It says TV Land from 97 to 06. Oh, okay. So yeah. it is actively airing in reruns at this time. Okay. So there is that. But anyway, let's... let's... Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Like, I, I, I got it. Yes. Vince was involved in the wig selection here. Oh, oh yes. Vince is involved oh, yeah. in everything here. Ah, like, yeah, yeah more bags. <laughs> <laughs> when you walk out there, make sure you're sassy. <laughs> Serena Wilson. Serena Venus, whatever my name is. <laughs> Serena Venus. I'm telling you. Compare him to the most muscular black woman you can think of. What <laughs> <laughs> a trap song. Miss Jones. Oh, my God. Miss Jones. What do you call Miss what is that? I don't know. Oh, that's a little. Look at all his heels. I mean, this guy looks a little comfortable on that guy. Whatever that whatever he is. Uh, Let me tell you something. I was trained by WWE Hall of Famer, the unpredictable Johnny Ross. And I gotta tell you, I never, ever had to do something like this. And I think I was huffing up. But then again, I didn't have to show that kind of emotion, I guess. But uh, Mike was at it. We got a hell of a sense of humor these guys. Some are missing, some are green, some are black. <laughs> oh my. Uh, he might lose his balance, so his balance coming up. Hey, and the justice, whatever. What's the... Okay, I'm going to skip ahead to uh, Bob. Yeah. You, yeah, because I don't. When you see the look on Bob's face when they say it was going to happen, I don't think he was clued in. Also, the look happen. on Miz's face as I was trying to find the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. core Howie! Okay. Why? Well, yeah, well, that, that right there. A little he knows. Oh, like, no. oh shit! What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I would not expect to be out here. This hardcore Holly, Mike Lazanin. Oh god, Holly is gigantic here too. Like, my oh, god. Yeah. <laughs> like you watch this, and I, I, I am not joking. It's like Jesus Christ. Has anyone shocked someone died of a heart attack within a year of <laughs> yeah. this? God. Oh, 
They're all in Greg. They might get dragged around this arena, but Holly looks like he's smiling, which is about once or twice a year. This kid, uh, uh, I, I think Holly's probably, probably laughing at them, actually. It is pretty uh, humorous. This is also after he came back with a broken neck, right? Okay, yeah. all you have to say, man. Well, if anybody was, uh, was homophobic, it would have to be hardcore Holly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very surprised he's coming out here into this well, situation. Well, look, uh, uh, Zanuck, whatever wow. his, uh, her name is, is holding the ropes up in Shell, but, but that doesn't even show. Well, these are some of the ugliest women I've ever seen in my life! Uh, well, yeah. I can't argue with the hardcore. And you know what? It's because of your warm and caring and genuine personality that I thought that you were the best person to come out here and help me tonight. So, uh, gentlemen, and I, I use the term very loosely, <laughs> the rules are this. You'll each have 30 seconds <laughs> to convince <laughs> Hardcore Holly he's the object of your affection. Oh, then the audience will determine who the best female impersonator is. All right. What? That face is like, oh, I don't no. think Holly signed up for this. <laughs> Al, I came out here to judge a contest. I am not the desire or affection of any man. At least I hope I'm not. <laughs> But Al, I'm out of here. This, you're on your own on this one. I came out here to judge a contest. I'm not doing this. Bye. Whoa, 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 wait, Bob, Bob. Hardcore, hardcore, hardcore. Wait, 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 wait. What are you saying? Are you saying you're not tough enough? Huh? Oh. Hardcore. We've known each other a lot of years now. Also, it just occurred to me with the mannerisms that Miz is very obviously doing his mom. As the inspiration for this. And yeah. the makeup style and everything. But you know what? He's brave. He's he's going all in. No wonder he got yes. smacked afterwards. Yes. He's going all in on this. Yeah. Again, scared. 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 He wants that gig. Don't go there, Al. Hey, hey. These tough enough kids were man enough to dress up like women and walk out in front of all these people here in Richmond, Virginia. You're telling me... You're telling me you're not man enough to stand here and just listen to them? That's not the hardcore Holly I know. The hardcore Holly is up to any challenge. He's up to anything that needs to be done. The hardcore Holly is saying, okay, it. Al, shut up. Enough. I'm fine. Okay. I'll do, it. do I'm it. I'm fine. I'm fine. You're going to do it? I'll do it. You're yes. going to do it. I will do it. I will right. do it. Yes. All right. All right. Game on. Yahtzee. Okay. Here we go. Hardcore. Why don't you come over here yeah, and stand? Yeah, like 110 okay. in character. Gr guys, stand over here. I need to turn around here. As, as drunk. All right. <laughs> Hold on. This is going to get good. We should get there now. Remember, to Randy Orton in this. You thing. each have 30 <laughs> seconds to convince the audience that you're a woman, and that hardcore Holly is the object of your affection. Okay, and Michelle Mazanin, you're up first. So work it, girl. Why is it, why is Peter the only Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, she, 
He Mike looks like Davy Rich. I mean Stevie Richards. Davy Richards. Totally Stevie Richards right there. You know. I love that you brought up someone who actually did do gay porn. Accidentally, it looks like it looks like Japanese pool boy from ECWA. There you go. I see the short oh, well, no, excuse me, Davey Richards like... didn't do gay porn. He made a video uh, for yeah. his wife that was, quote-unquote, yeah, stolen yeah. from him. I know. And then I said the wrong after, Richards. Not yeah, the right and then Richards. after, his, uh, <laughs> after, after uh, the controversy died down from him lying about it, the uh, yeah. good old, what was the guy's name? Uh, Fred Sugar, who, of course, a gay porn empresario named Fred Sugar, put the video back up. Uh. <laughs> So. Yeah, that was interesting. And he just disappeared again for like the fourth time. Oh, I know. Shocking week. that Davy Richards also would lie about anything. But... Okay. I, I can't watch anymore. This can we just move on? Yeah, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I totally we need to get why. through this anyway. This is long. And... Fair enough. Don was in the ring, gra- gratuitously stripping. <laughs> well, they had to after the seven we just had. Jackson ran in. And attacked her, Jackie Gator. Yawn. Teddy Long finally came out and told them to knock it off. Brian, he said, I'm sick and tired of all this hating. He screamed, holla. Therefore, he signed Don against Jackie at Armageddon with Charlie Haas as the referee. Yeehaw. Next segment, please. Maybe they'll put Charlie Haas with Don Marie and he'll break up with Jackie in real life, said Vince, who's hopelessly in love with the aforementioned Miss Jackie. You're an evil man, Brian said. Vincent, I am a selfish man. <laughs> Fair enough. Undertaker, JBL, and Orlando Jordan in a handicap match. Loud, taker, chance. Brian wants to stir to see just that there's 20 minutes left on this show. Good God, please no. Good God, sadly, yes. Yeah. Undertaker single-handedly beat them both up for nine minutes before they finally cut him off. Then when they cut him off, they, cut, they got two whole minutes of heat before he made his big comeback. The comeback lasted a minute or so before Taker was kicked out. When Taker was kicked in his, T- Taker was kicked in his big de- old dead balls. <laughs> Taker, of course, made a big comeback after the match and destroyed Orlando with a choke slam. Bash has made it to say. Taker sat up, then JBL hit him with a clothesline from hell, and Taker took the best clothesline bump he took in years. And Taker sat up from this as well, so Bradshaw hit him with a belt shot. Okay, we get it already. <laughs> Show thankfully ended before Taker made his one man comeback and killed all four guys. Yeah. Leave us that down. Oh, man. So, Bix, like, you know, you can feel my pain. Now, look and see how much time is left on this file. Because I was thinking the same what? thing. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm like, are you it, – there's it, it, literally, you know, 15 minutes – is it 20 minutes left in the show? Or yeah. so? They're just coming out and going, oh, my God. This is going to be dreadful. I'm like, I got spoiled by a good raw, and here I am with this. I'm like, oh. God, I do at least have to say at the end that um, in the when you see like uh, take yourself in the corner here and you'll see it's coming up here. Champion uh, does lay in him pretty well with these punches here. They had the right camera angle. It looks like he's just punching the hell out of him. Well, we'll see. That's nah, not a surprise. Of course, yeah, it's right here. See, look at that. <laughs> see, and that go. shit in Maggle. That's right. <laughs> Smackdown drew a three point four rating. Three point eight realistic. Estimated 5.03 million viewers. The show did a 3.6 in New York, 4.0 for the Jackie Dawn angle, 3.8 in Los Angeles, 4.3 for the Jackie Dawn angle, 4.1 in Chicago, 4.5 for Eddie and Booker against the Bashams, 
4.9 in Philly, 5.8 for the tough enough guys in drag. I presume that that is the peak for each market. Yeah. 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 Two, 2.9 in San Francisco, 3.2 for the tough enough guys in drag. 3.1 in Boston, 3.4 for the Undertaker versus JBL and Jordan, 5.4 in Dallas, which had a 6.7 for Jackie and Don. 3.2 in DC, 3.5 for Eddie and Booker and Sebastians, 4.4 Detroit, 5.0 for the Tough Enough Guys and Drag, and a 3.7 Atlanta, 4.4 for Undertaker versus Jordan and JBL, 6.0 in Houston, oh. 6.4 for Eddie and Booker arguing while stretching. And that was with Michelle McCool leading him in stretching, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I guess Booker's getting that Houston, uh, you know, bump. I don't know. Yeah. No full details on the show. Segments on the vague details that the first Tough Enough segment gained about 290,000 viewers. Bashes and any Booker gained 145. Angle Challenge with Big Show and Joy gained 290,000 to a 3.6 rating. Peak of the show. Christmas in Iraq and Tough Enough Guys and Drag lost 145,000. Undertaker versus Jordan JBL stayed even. Can I say real quick, you just went through that whole list of every single market, and you didn't say in any of those markets the peak was the team ang- was what was actually the biggest angle. The angle challenge had the biggest Wait, and it wasn't a peak at all. Yes, exactly. in, in any of those any of markets. The, like, I guess the top 10 markets, right? Yeah, yeah. it's so weird. weird. Which I'm like, these are all work, brother. <laughs> yeah, something's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, some house show stuff. Augusta George on the third before 2,500. Main events saw Benoit, Orton, and Jericho over Triple H, Batiste, and Edge, who suffered an injury flare. As usual, Orton pinned Triple H to RKO. It's actual double RKO and Edge as well. Coachman tried to interfere for, on Benoit, but that didn't work. Flair and Dave was cheered more than Benoit and Jericho, and even played like faces. Eugene and Regal beat La Resistance, even though Maven attacked Eugene at the finish. Shelton beat Christian in an IC title match, which was the opener. Moolah and May were introduced to the crowd. They also brought Diamond Lil, a midget woman wrestler from the 70s who lives with them to the show as well. I'm sure hey, they um, did. Yeah. So wait a minute. Um, I mean, you would know more than Chris. Uh, Chris, how far would Augusta be from wherever the uh, the Moolah Ranch is? Do you have any idea? Uh, Augusta's on the right there at the South Carolina line. Okay. That's what so, I was thinking. Yeah, it's, right. it's very, very short distance. Yeah. All right. I was just curious. I'm like, that's so random. I'm like, wait, Augusta must be the northern part. Gotcha. Yeah, because North Augusta is in South Carolina. Oh, okay. Thank yeah. You. On December 4th in Worcester, before 2,000 fans, Taker pinned Heinerreich in the main event after a choke slam in Tombstone oh. 15 minutes. Ooh, 15 minutes! <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. JBL and Booker T after a low blow to keep title. Kenzo and Renee over RVD and Mysterio when Renee pinned RVD at the Heroku through powder in RVD's eyes. The advertised Big Show Kurt Angle match turned to a one-on-three with Show against Team Angle. This will avoid Angle having the tickety bumps. And then with Show, Cho Slam and Luther Reigns and Ginger at the same time pinning them both while Angle backed off. And now wait a second. Heroku through powder? Come on, it has to be salt, right? Come on, we're going to do the stereotypes. <laughs> it's got to be salt. It, 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 I, I'm assuming it's supposed to be salt, but I mean, at this point, for over a decade, they've been using powder as salt. I well, know. She, well, she also was a geisha girl, too, so who yes. knows? Yeah, I, I know. It's just too easy to make that, you know, I know. I know. That, that joke. MSG on the 5th saw pretty much the same show before a crowd of 5821. Oh. MSG. <laughs> paying $244,000. The fifth lowest MSG crowd for wrestling in the past 65 years. 
The last show to drop that level was January 16th, 95, headlined by Diesel over Double J. For their <laughs> 5,400 fans. The modern all-time low is August 25th, 94, which drew 4,300 for Sean and Diesel versus the Head Shrinkers and Brett and Razor against Owen and Anvil. You know, the shows that drew bad or worse was 49. A show headlined by Gordis George against Ernie Dusick, which drew the all-time modern record low of 41.97. And Mark George's only appearance at the Garden because it's considered such a flop. How about that? Yeah. Wow. And a 1969 show headlined by Bruno against George Animal Steel. Keep in mind, there was no wrestling on television on the York market at this point in time, which drew 55.27. Yeah, that was the thing, too. It's like there was several years. I think it was a few years where, you know, like I see these Bruno numbers. I'm like... I thought he sold out MSG 171 times or whatever the fake number is. And I'm like, there was several years where he was only getting a half house and it's because they didn't have TV. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There so, was some of East. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, going. I, I pulled up results to see if that was one of those, uh, run every city. Well, all three of the New York venues in the same weekend, uh, oh. deals. And it was, uh, it actually gets worse. Oh. Nassau, the next day, uh, same basic lineup. 1,500 fans. A 10% house. Wow. And Meadowlands, the day after that, 2,000 fans. Wow. There's some of ECW and shirts and DVDs at the show, and I'm and then the cost-cutting measure, for the first time in years, an MSG house show, there was no pyro at all. But most sports had a good show, even with no marquee matches. Undertaker over High and Right was the last match. They're advertising if Undertaker won, he'd get five minutes with Paul Heyman. Heyman worked the show, but not Worcester. But after Undertaker got the win with a choke slam and tombstone in a bad match, JBL and Jordan came out to attack Undertaker. Booker and Andy made the save, and Undertaker gave Jordan a choke slam and JBL a tombstone in the show. During the brawl, Heyman was also laid out and sold it like everyone left the arena. And sold it until everyone left the arena. JBL early beating Eddie and Booker in a three-way. Jordan interfered constantly, and the finish was Booker after a belt, pinning Booker after a belt shot. Renee and Kenzo were already in Mysterio with the brief throwing powder, this time in the Ray's eyes. Jackie and Don Marie's match saw Jackie win, but Don Marie went for a chair shot. Tori and Hiroko both got involved with Wilson and Jackie running out the other two. Show beat Angle on Reigns and Jen Draft with the same double pin on Reigns. Jen Draft finish. So things to note about this weekend as it pertains to things we've written about regarding the heels and house shows. Spike Dudley, the heel, beat three babyfaces by himself to keep the Cruiserweight title. JBL beat two babyfaces and three this coming week to keep the WWE title. Since it was MSG, Angle took two bumps, including flying through the ropes. Taylor Long's the highlight of the house shows. He told JBL he was a disgrace to the white race. He, la- he later told JBL that he was the HNIC, oh, which is a slang term for head Negro in charge. <laughs> uh, Maybe sure. 10% of the audience knew what he was talking about, and when it got no reaction, Long quickly spelled it out. JBL and Long were going on autopilots. Their debate was at 3 p.m., and, and they kept on about tonight. JBLC is moving from New York to Boston because they don't need steroids to become champions there. That is fantastic. <laughs> and Dave notes, technically neither Gary Sheffield or Jason Yambi were on the Yankees when they last won the championship. And and come on, uh, we have the, the obvious baseball reference here is the Red Sox just won the World Series making that comeback on the Yankees. That's right, yeah. 
Jackie and Dawn matches have stunk just about every night. Shocking. <laughs> Asheville on the fifth for Raw was one thousand fans. Headlined by Jericho and Orton over Triple H and Batista. Flair was there as manager, and being where they were, that he could do no wrong. Triple H said the copying Flair's comedy has now copied the Haruka Egan spit spot. <laughs> Orton pinned Triple H to RKO. May even laid up a few Gene and Regal to beat Lobbers. It's not sitting both with belt shots as they were celebrating. Fans chanting ECW their new Simon Dean to Jerry match and Rhino Muhammad Hassan matches. <laughs> Ben one edge a double count out. That's both brought outside the ring. With Sergeant Slaughter and Arn Anderson doing the pull apart. They did a dancing contest with Molly and Stacy with the fans picking the winner, and you know the fans picked. But Coach said that Molly got the biggest response and declared her the winner. So Stacy didn't get kick Coachman. So there are your house shows for the weekend. Jesus oh. Christ, they are doing terrible business. Terrible. Uh. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Well, I mean, look at those lines. Like, why? I know that's horrible. It might, yeah, go to the garden to see the main event of Heidenreich Undertaker. And the undercard is horrible yeah. too. I mean, sure, there's JBL at the top, but still, it's like, oh my gosh. Still, it's that's so rough. Yeah, it's Flair has. A, I'm also just thinking about how like those last low points like were pretty much exactly a decade earlier too. Yeah. In yeah. Before. Flair has three-year contract extension on the table they expect to sign. His original contract expired last month. Esquire Magazine's two-page spread on Vince dedicated to what I've learned, which should be interesting. Among the things that he's learned, steroids work. When I took steroids back in my 40s, I could feel a tremendous difference. Should they be banned? Yeah. Dave said, stop laughing. What I learned from my XFL experience is to be smarter the next time I take on the NFL. <laughs> and, then, and then Dave says, "Stop crying." <laughs> sorry, sorry, that's that. That is so fresh. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, Rico. Well, yeah, well, he wasn't smarter next time because he didn't think not to tell the Ebersols about his plan. Yeah, well, yeah, but he was well. He's smart again because he got out. I don't know how much he would have lost selling it to the Rock. You know what I mean? He yeah, probably would have. I don't think they were trying to take on the NFL next that that second time. No, but he definitely was first time. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Well, Absolutely remember was. though, it, it you know it, it didn't really necessarily turn out that way, but it seems like he was wanting to be like the unwoke NFL or whatever. So yeah. there was that. All right, Rico Constantino is now working security at the Palms in Las Vegas and looking at getting back into New Vegas Police Department. And I believe he ends up becoming a taxi. Or like parking or taxi fine enforcement officer, and he gets like excessive force complaints for that. It was something like that. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I was like, what happened to that guy? You know, I have no yeah. idea now. Hardy, I guess Jeff has been yeah. filming vignettes on his own for when he wants to have a direction. Oh, is Matt? Oh, yeah, okay. Jeff's not in the company. And, had, and has shown the Triple H who has said to have liked it. Okay, well, there you go. Angel Medina, who was Angel Baldi's in ECW years ago, was about to be brought in for a bodyguard role. Vince was looking for a big Latino type to be another Jesus, and Heyman made the suggestion that he had a guy to fit the bill. <laughs> not sure this was an addition to Jesus or as a replacer for this one. Also not sure what Heyman's demotion does to this idea. Well, <laughs> well he never comes in, but yeah. also Angel Medina wasn't that big a guy either. Big well, enough. Well, and but to say next to Jesus, like, I can tell you, he's Jesus is a big dude. 
He was. Oh yeah, Aaron Aguilera. Was, Aaron Aguilera was a big, a big man. Yeah. 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 He, Before signing with WWE, Christy Hemme appeared on an infomercial for a DVD or a VIP lingerie parties using the name Sunny. The commercial still runs. That's why she was so comfortable doing that uh, lingerie fashion show on Raw. Including have a man take her dress off. So there yeah. you go. VIP lingerie parties, sexy parties. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Reeves and Daniel Rodimer will start mid-January in Louisville. Both had solid potential, although in the ring, Rodimer was ahead of Reeves. They delayed both guys' start because the company had started submitting new women there who are already working on both Raw and SmackDown, and they felt there was enough beginners for one time. It's believed that Chris Nowarki was on offer a contract. It's a good bet that no matter what happens, Daniel Pewter and Mike Mazzana will join them in January. Justice Smith just hasn't gotten the wrestling at all. So if he were to get a deal, it would be because the company does have the idea right now, based on John Laurinaitis, to find stars. That is, guys who are big, have good bodies, and are nice looking, and teach them to wrestle, as opposed to trying to find good wrestlers. And also looking lingerie model like booklets and all that stuff. You know? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> the heat between Pewter and Reeves from recent weeks seems to be over that now, now that Reeves has been eliminated and Reeves has admitted the people that Pewter deserved to win. That he was by far the best athlete and won virtually every drill, both on and off television. But his problem was he didn't believe Pewter really wanted to be a pro wrestler and was just wanting to market himself for UFC. Pewter told Alice Marvez in an interview that when Reeves realized he had gotten, actually got an MMA to make a name to lead to his ultimate goal of pro wrestling – that Reeves understood the situation better. He also told Reeves that the reason he kept telling him that he thought he, Reeves, was going to be voted off was a psych job, that he seen the DVD of Pumping Iron, and that's where he got the idea and felt Reeves was going to be his toughest athletic com- competition because he was so strong. Wait, wait. Chris, what, I thought you were going to say... from Pumping Iron? Yeah. I thought Chris was going to say psych, like he said psych earlier when he said, are you going to quit? Yeah, psych. <laughs> I know, like, that he's going to like... The Pumping Iron. No, but he, what I did mean, that have to do with anything? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's like the way yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is, the way Dave wrote this does not really make sense. I don't know. Todd Grisham was off heat this past week because he just got married. Hopefully, there are a ton of DVDs and he voiceovers this week while he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's Dave. Yep, that's definitely Dave. Because Brian would have said the uh, the other nickname for we Todd called Grisham. ECS. Yes. Yes. Uh, among the reasons for all the Divas being introduced at once right now is because they're releasing a Divas 2005 DVD in April <laughs> and want to get new faces over by then rather than it be another DVD using the same faces as on for the past three years. Oh, don't worry. Uh, Randy Orton's <laughs> going to push most of them out of the company by then. <laughs> but you just brought them all in, Vix. Come on. He wanted them all there and uh, featured on national television. Yes. Steve Kern has opened his wrestling school back up. With this, with his new WWE job as an agent, Steve Madison will be running the school day to day and in training. Kern is pushing the idea that his school will be the only school outside of OVW for wrestlers to be able to catch the eye of WWE talent relations and critique by an agent on a regular basis. Also, training as coaches will be Jeff Bradley and Dennis Midian Knight. Wow! And the wrestling world changes forever with this. And will we know that this time? This is it. Yeah. This is the birth of yeah. FCW, yes. Kind of. Crazy. I mean, by, well, by the, the time he gets... Well, the genesis of what would become FCW. The yeah. idea that Steve Kern could be a candidate for the new developmental promotion, yes. yes. Because when he gets the deal, there is there even a facility yet? No. And then there's the deal where they, like, for months, they send guys to Tampa, but they can't actually train... Because they like, there's been a delay in installing bathrooms and running water. 
Yeah. So. So they had to get away from like Cornette and Danny Davis in Louisville. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's so weird how that just happened. Or is that Deep South at that point? Well, it it, uh, it replaced Deep South, and then OVW right. got cut while it was OVW and FCW. Right. Okay. That's yeah. Right. All right. And we close with an update on Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> who's still in Prague, Czechoslovakia, filming a movie. He's planning on wrestling WrestleMania in Los Angeles and hopes the company comes up with a good storyline for his return. He's been studying his 70s and 80s wrestling videotapes during his downtime, in particularly the old Memphis, Dallas, and Portland territories. I absolutely love it, he said. The ideas I'm getting from them are amazing. Creativity plus simplicity. For the fans to easily absorb, absorb plus passion equals success. It should be mandatory for the boys to watch 70s and 80s tapes from all over the world. I agree with that. They have no this idea how much. So happy. They have no <laughs> idea how much that would help them. When the babyfaces sold, the people felt it. When the heels got heat, the people believed it. He returns to the U.S. in January after his current movie finishes up. He'll spend February promoting "Be Cool" with John Travolta and Uma Thurman. He's working on a daily for a Sony movie that he starts shooting in May. And has finally a deal for a big movie this summer. Do well, we know what movie this is in Czechoslovakia? Well, also, by December 2004, is it even Czechoslovakia anymore? No. (laughs) It's Czech Republic. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, uh, yeah. What movie would this be? Uh, 2004? A film in 2004? So it came out like like summer to fall 2005? Doom. 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 Oh, okay. I I Googled, what movie did The Rock shoot in Prague in 2004? And that was uh, it, it, it's doing, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And uh, the the one I think he's doing with Sony uh, was Gridiron Gang. Okay, I think. Yeah, because the be cool thing, I think, got him in. I think with Hollywood, some because he was willing to play he got, like more of an effeminate character, right? Because he's like a, a well, that bodyguard. Vince off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Vince was oh, oh like, yeah. Vince was like, you're destroying your career by playing. Yeah, I, I know. Well, meanwhile, he's probably like, I'm listening to Hollywood. I'm not listening to you, Vince. Sorry. <laughs> also, like, then he did all these interviews when the movie came out about how he was mentored by a gay man and how wonderful, what a wonderful influence Pat Patterson was on his life. Yeah, there you go. Which is funny because I thought Pat Patterson came out gay on, uh, you know, Legends House. Wow. Well, <laughs> he on. never <laughs> publicly said anything. I know. Like, and well, and uh, the other thing too, like I talked to Briscoe about, like he didn't like calling himself gay, like he did not like that. He would say, "I'm hey, Roy Cohn, Roy Cohn," in a different way. But Pat, in a different Pat, way, because Pat didn't care that Pat didn't care that anyone knew that he preferred he he was attracted to men and not women. Like he didn't, but the lay something about the label of gay and homosexual was what he had the hang-ups with. Again, that's what I'm saying. That's that that's it's the it's the Roy Cohn, but in a different yes. way. But, anyway. but can I yeah, but can I just say I just yes. love what he wrote here about just watching the old wrestling tapes and all that stuff because I did laugh because I'm going, wait a minute. Memphis, Dallas, Portland, who all wrestled there in the 70s and 80s, his dad. So he might have been watching some of his dad's stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know yeah. if that 75 Memphis stuff is out there, but definitely the 80s Portland with Rocky was there. 
And well, again, he's been, and Rocky was in Memphis in 87, too. Yeah, that's true. That's right. I don't remember if he was in World Class or not. He, know, he wore Dallas before. He was in okay. Dallas in the 70s. Gotcha. So I he's thought, watching Von Erics is what he's gotcha. watching. I was just thought I mean, that was amusing when I saw that part. I mean, given the time frame, what he's probably watching from Portland is that someone sent him, like, the first batch of the Buddy Rose tapes that got converted. Oh, yeah. That's what I was But, but his dad was in Portland in 81, yes. 82. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was some good stuff out there, too, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I can say I was so happy. You know, I just read. It's fun. And I, I know some people see me wrestle like we did. I did a hard style. But I will say there's one thing I did do. I was getting hit hard, but I did sell. And just like I said, when the baby face is sold, the people felt it. And I just wish selling. It's like my number one thing in wrestling nowadays. I wish there was just more selling. I just wish there was. Yeah. Because, you know, I've been taking out fantastic matches when I just see he's Hulk up all of a sudden after a movement. Oh, you know, that's that's me getting on my thing. But I'm just going to say my friend, I joke that selling is optional nowadays and it's just. Unfortunately, well, wrestling has changed so much. I mean, wrestling, has. wrestling has changed so much. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. if you get good selling, then yes, I mean that is a plus. But it's just it's gone to that you know that style where you know you were trade trading shots, yay boo. Yep. You know, no, it's no, all no. spot, 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 spot. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. it's just changed. It's, uh, yeah. And the, and again, I mean, anybody's watched some of my work or my peers' work 20 years ago, we we started up of all that style. And as weird as that sounds, here I am saying, oh, you got to sell more. But I made sure that was still a part of what we were doing. I was trying yeah, to tell what I mean, yeah. The Red Pro did have, you know, a kind of – Mixture of the st- the styles. Well, you yes. were trying to you were trying to do all Japan style selling, basically. But 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 you but you guys were were young were were old enough and grew up with the old stuff that you yes. also had it there. These guys today, the young guys today, they didn't they grow up everything. with that stuff. Everything is what it is. Everything so. is right. Everything is right there. Like you know, when we were growing up, we we had a we were lucky enough to live in the LA area. We get access to like all Japan, New Japan, and Lucha and. You know, that we found that we were getting Michinoka Pro tapes and we were just trying to just do all the stuff we loved on the video tapes and just make our own style out of it. You know? But you also had the, the stuff you watched on America television, too, yes. as well. Of course. Influence. Of course. So, but anyway. All right, Kev. So, uh, good show, man. Good show. So, if anyone want to plug, go ahead and plug away. All right. Well, thanks again for having me on. It's been two years. Hopefully we get on again sometime soon. Yeah. Um, you know, I if you want to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, you can find me at uh, Lock and Lowell, L-O-K-N-L-O-L-L, which I feel really weird about saying after we made those, hero- you know, the heroical. <laughs> I made, that, I made that nickname like 20 years ago seeing a Japanese band. The guy's like, yeah, lock and low. And I was like, I love that. <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. I mean, that's just, that's, it is what but, it is. Yeah, but, but, I, but I love it. And um, the other thing I, I do with my, my, one of my closest friends in the world, Disco Machine, is uh, if you're a fan of the craft beer scene or baseball, um, you can look up the Baseball Brew Crew uh, we're on YouTube. You look up there. We're going to be doing a show next Tuesday, which will be, you know, a day after this drops. And we're going to be doing a live celebration. We reached a thousand subscribers on our YouTube page. So that's going to be. Hey, a big- there you yeah. Go. So we've been doing a podcast off and on for like three years, but we went silent. Also, we realized, oh, we're going to make reels of baseball history and people like that more than us talking. But apparently I'm going to have to do 
Uh, Chris Zelder, I'm going to have to do a shoey live next week on this show. You know what that oh, is, no. right? Yeah, I got to do a shoey. Because we got the 501, my co my co-host did one. I said, and he's like, hey, we get the 1,000. Kevin and I are going to do one. I'm like, oh, great. Like, and all of a sudden, six months later, we got to 1,000. So here we are. But uh, yeah, look up Baseball Brew on YouTube if you like that stuff. Or look up uh, Beer Baseball on Instagram. And thanks again for having me on, guys. Absolutely. And uh, I got to also uh, admit that, uh, you know, Kevin's an Angels fan. And now yes. they have oh. taken my beloved Ron Washington as their manager. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Believe me, that's about the only thing I might be happy about the Angels doing this offseason. Sorry to tell you that, Chris. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> as we're still on an Otani watch here. Yeah, I know. This I know. Show. I'm not very optimistic about my, my top stars on the team that I've been following <laughs> for 40 years. I've literally told people I'm on hold with the Angels right now because everything going on. Well, you know what? You got the right guy as a manager. Right. And thank you. I'm, I'm you glad got, that. You got EY. You got Eric Young. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys have got a hell of a, you know, coaching department there. I, I love how and, you're, you're almost solely mentioning baseball names that overlap with wrestling names. <laughs> oh. Eric Young, Ron Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Bo, Bo, Bo Porter. Bo Porter. Convention. We got Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the Angels are on the right track now, at least. I really so hope so. I just hope they can keep some of those guys. I must well, if you can, then you're gonna build up new ones. So yes, there absolutely. All and right. Good luck to your team. Oh, thank you. Yes, we we need a pitcher. So uh, yeah. we're praying. We're rumor uh, as we record this, maybe a Dylan Cease trade. So Ooh. we'll see how that goes. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with that. Yes, thank you. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we we'll go back to 1990. Oh, thank God! And we'll, and we'll talk about the we'll talk about the first we'll All talk right. about the the first edition of WBF Bodybuilding Lifestyles magazine hitting the newsstands. Yeah. <laughs> we got uh, on TV. We get the debut of Honky Tonk Man as an announcer on Superstars with Vince and Roddy. So we'll talk about that. Dustin Rose is on the Brother Love Show. And we'll have news on uh, the TV tapings during our week featuring the debut of the Nasty Boys in WWF. Uh, Portland, we get something that Bix talked about on a recent episode between the sheets as the grappler institutes the Breakfast Club. On oh, yeah. So we'll have that. Herb Abrams record, uh, records, tapes some TV in Reseda. You oh, that's a town you're familiar with. I, I have wrestled in that building. <laughs> so we'll it's have news. Yeah. Wait, this Reseda building, yeah. not the PWG Reseda building. This yeah. is the country Reseda club. Country Club, yes. which yep. is now a church. It's located about a mile and a half or so from the from the Legion Hall. But yes, XPW ran there, and I wrestled there. And I actually saw a California Championship Wrestling TV taping there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, so, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> So we got uh, Herb Abrams taping in Reseda to talk about. We got the news on the demise of the AWA. We got some updates on uh, Joe Pettacino's GWF. Matt Watch, of course, on that on that bubble. Uh, the Fabulous Ones reuniting in Memphis. We'll talk about that. Plus, there's a bounty on Jerry Lawler's head. We'll have um, all kinds of other random indie stuff. We got a... Uh, Big Van Vader doing a big job in Mexico. We'll have news on why Kamala left uh, CMLL. 
including a, a couple of major CMLL shows during our week. We have news on Medusa and All Japan Women. We got the first ever SWSWF shows, combined shows. We'll talk about that. We got big shows in New Japan. All Japan's Tag League Tour ends, ending one of the best years they ever had in 1990. And in the NWA, we get Mike Rotunda spotlighted in USA Today. We'll talk about that. We'll have uh, news on people coming in and out of the promotion. We got uh, Ric Flair being driven around by Teddy Long on television. Oh, dear. Some very, very classic WCW TV moments. A fantastic week for that. As, As in, in WCW Snafu. everybody type? Yes. We got WCW and WF uh, leaving Joe Pettacino's block and why that's going on. And... Just who in the hell is going to be booking this promotion? We have news on that, and including a name that, well, including a scenario that almost happened that would have been definitely interesting. And what's Barry Wyndham doing backstage at TV tapings during our week? All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Kev, thank you as always for being on with us, and I definitely will get you back on in the future. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris Sands, so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Cheese Patreon Special Edition number 86. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to take a little left turn in our Patreon shows here. Uh, normally, you know, we discuss all kinds of stuff, you know, business-related or... You know, behind the scenes. I mean, there's going to be some business stuff and behind the scenes. I know, but I'm, yeah. I'm, but I'm just, but I'm talking about like, you know, stuff that's not involving things that's actually going on in front of the cameras. Right. A lot of Whereas time. this, it's going to be everything because this month <sighs> we are talking about Ultimate Warriors run in WCW. One Warrior Nation. That's right. And uh, this idea came to my head. As we were doing um, the 98 main show, the last one we did that had the clips. The of, mirror. Uh, it was the mirror episode. The mirror, yeah. the mirror episode, yeah. And we already done the one where the disciple was on his knees uh, pretending to fillet the warrior. And uh, it's just – I was like, man, this, this will be an interesting show just to do an all-encompassing look at this run of insanity, which only lasts three months, basically. So I just thought this, it, somebody needs to do this show where we can just have everything under one big umbrella here. And uh, we were, this was a good month to do this on, I thought, as, we're, as uh, the run basically came to an end in November of 98. So 25th anniversary of that. Yes, I had forgotten that he did last into November, that he was there for the show after <laughs> Halloween Havoc, until I did this. Well, he, anything was, I don't know if you had this in the notes, but we'll have it on the main show that we do uh, before this comes out, the, the William Lanham Survivor Series show. He was actually brought into Nitro in Wichita in mid-November, but was never used. I think that's in here, yeah. Okay. No, it wasn't even used. Think about that. So... All right, let's get started. So, yeah, Warriors shows up, you know, in what, August? Yes. You might be surprised to know that this was a done deal long before he actually showed up on television. Yes, although I should give the caveat that there are all sorts of, maybe Jim Helwig's debuting soon, maybe it would be good to debut him on this date stuff in the torch and more so the Observer for weeks and weeks that there was no reason to include. But even though so, yeah. we still have over four pages of pre-debut books. So, yeah. So, yeah. This was not something that was just thrown together and done. This was something that was building. So, let's go all the way back to March. March 16th, 1998. Arizona Republic, March 17th. Warrior Pins Wrestling Federation by Jane Larson for the Arizona Republic. The first man ever to beat Hulk Hogan has pinned an even more formidable opponent, the World Wrestling Federation itself. Valley businessman and one-time professional wrestler known as Warrior has won a Maricopa County Superior Court battle with his former employer over trademark rights to his distinctive name. Of course, uh, Warrior would be in the county with Sheriff Joe. <laughs> his distinctive name, face paint, trade dress, persona. Judge Stephen Sheldon ruled last month that Warrior created and owns this immensely popular wrestling character despite signing contracts that licensed it to the World Wrestling Federation, said Warrior's lawyer Sean Aiken of the Phoenix law firm Haber, Schink, and Johnson. At issue is ownership of the trademark rights are key to comic book, movie, and licensing deals. 
Warrior hopes to income from these enterprises will give him a slice of the multi-million dollar pro wrestling industry and catapult his Scottsdale-based Ultimate Creations, Inc. into the big time. Good luck with that. Ultimate Creations, which Warrior concedes has yet to be profitable, is built around Warrior's good guy superhero wrestling character, one who encourages kids to believe in themselves and become their own style of Warrior. Warrior's World workout videos, t-shirts, and posters all sold on his website, ultimatewarrior.com, are just the beginning. Warrior has a concept for a TV show, and he believes his comic books four so far are ripe for an animated movie. Oh yeah, four, the last of which was released over a year and a half ago. Warrior, who believes so much in his character that he legally changed his name from James Helwig in 1993, also envisions what he calls Warrior University. He originally planned it as a gym to train pro wrestlers, but now sees it as a chain of learning and exercise centers that will instill responsibility and self-esteem in young people. I want to make a kid realize he can achieve whatever he wants, the 38-year-old said. Wait, so was he wanting to turn it from a wrestling school into the fucking Infinity Cult from that SVU episode? <laughs> like, what? Well, maybe. He wanted to mentor youngsters, Biggs. He wanted to groom them. And uh, the ways of the warrior. A lot of indoctrination about how queering don't make the world work, I'm guessing. <laughs> but anyway, he might even resume his pro-wrestling career, though, with the WS chief rival, Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling Organization. The lawyer for Titan Sports, Inc., the business that created the World Wrestling Federation and made it tops of sports entertainment, said the wrestling group isn't on the ropes yet. Warrior civil lawsuit against Titan over breach of contract kind of mutated into a trademark dispute, and the judge's ruling is not the final step, said Jerry McDevitt of Pittsburgh law firm Kirkpatrick and Lockhart. Yes, uh, we should say, uh, according to what Dave Meltzer said on uh, Observer Radio recently, 2024 Observer Hall of Fame uh, ballot selection, Jerry McDevitt. Hey, yeah, I mean, he's probably uh, he probably have a good chance of getting in. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think it's a good idea to reward someone for how good they are at negotiating sexual assault uh, settlements. He's good at his job on his, yeah. on that side, I should say. Yeah, but he's good at his job. Well, look how many sexual offenders are in the Hall of Fame already, Bick. So I mean. Oh. Why not have the guy that defending them in there, too? But anyway, the opinion deals with the core's perception of creation. That's a different issue from ownership, McDevitt said. He said the Federation's deal with Warrior was simple. Duff uses fast television that were to make up a star in exchange for owning the character and paying him royalties on merchandise sales. Warrior says his passion to help kids grew out of his youth in Crawfordsville, Indiana. His father left his family when he was 12. Warrior says and has left his mother to raise five children alone. It was an exercise that helped him overcome self-doubts and a high school label of least likely to succeed. Warrior recalled, when I realized I could change my phys- physicality, I realized I could change other things in life, he said. Okay. Well, first so you of can, all. So you kind of get, you kind of get with Warrior how he had some issues when he was younger. Yes. That, sh- that shaped him. To a degree, yes. And the the trademark thing is being very oversimplified here, though. As we've talked about before, what happened was when he signed the contract in 96, part of the deal was that they would transfer the Ultimate Warrior trademark ownership to him as part of signing the contract. And it ended up being the belief of the McMahons and WWF that he never intended to see the contract out and did it solely so he could get the trademarks. Yeah. 
So I mean, this kind of gives it kind of gives you some context as, as well in Warrior and why he was so deep into his character. Because as a youngster, had this going on, he probably had some type of escapism, maybe. And he's still you a know. struggling bodybuilder until the Ultimate Warrior, basically. So yeah. he sees the Warrior as what finished taking him out of that life or whatever. Warrior says he was working on a chiropractic degree at Life University in Atlanta. Yeah. And facing hefty student loans when he was invited to wrestle in an outlaw league in 1985. That's an interesting way to phrase that. All I mean, of he was that. Rick, <laughs> Rick Bassman. And we don't know what kind of wrestling Warrior may have done before him and you know, Sting went to Memphis. No, he, no, they didn't do any. They hadn't finished training yet. They got tired of it and decided to start sending out promotional photos. And Jerry Jarrett was the only one who bit. So they never wrestled one match as a power team members. No, just the promotional photos. Okay. While some wrestlers are assigned a basic character and left to develop their own style, Warrior says he developed his costumes and persona on his own. It was a poorer version of Warrior then, he says. But after 10,000 cans of tuna and lots of sleeping on floors, things started to click. How far someone goes into business is all the town's responsibility, Warrior said. He soon caught the attention of W.F. where his character proved so popular that he was on the road 325 days a year in different cities every night. He fell in love with the Valley the first time he stepped off the plane for a match and moved here in 1989, he said. He had pro wrestling's peak in 1990 when the Tokyo Sky Dome for 69,000 fans, where he became the first pro wrestler allowed by the WF script to beat the legendary Hulk Hogan. But he grew increasingly upset with what he called the WF's deceptive business practices. Their contract was so constraining. They said they owned everything about you. Whatever you did, whatever you said, however you moved in the ring, they owned Warrior said. In 1991, he had his first fallout with OF and disappeared from the ring for eight months. He returned briefly in 1992, but their next agreement turned into a three-year hiatus. Well, I don't know what that is. Yeah, something in the OCR from newspapers.com got messed up here. McDevitt says that, among other things, Warrior refused to show up for matches, which had very damaging effects on ticket sales, federation, and other aspects of the business. He returned to OF in 1996 after working on a deal that he thought would give the federation back a ticket-selling name and give his comic book venture access to those merchandising and marketing power. But Warrior says they started using his comic books and always believe ideology for their own benefit, promoting it at toy licensing shows and telling him he didn't need to show up. He left again, prompting a flurry of court action over the alleged breaches of contract and trademark disputes. Aiken, Warrior's lawyer, said a case like Warrior and Ultimate Creation Inc. versus Titan Sports Inc. at all comes along every once in a, every five or ten years. One issue over who owns the rights to the name, Ultimate Warrior, remains to be decided at an as-of-yet unscheduled trial. Aiken says the issue matters little because the judge already said Warrior owes a character behind the name. McDevitt so said the match is far from over. And he does end up with the name? Not yet. Not until after the WCW stuff is over. But he does. Yeah. So, this is where... Uh, the artist formerly known as Jim Helwig is at this point. And it's the first, like, official thing saying he might be going to WCW. Yeah. Any further thoughts, or do you feel like... Well, it's a big, it's a, it's a good win for him in, in, in the court of law. Right, to say that yeah. he can do everything else, just we're not sure if he can be Ultimate Warrior yet. Yeah, it's a very good win for him. And it's the correct decision, because... 
even if he refined it in WWF, the the whole look, including the general design of the paint, was there before WWF. Yep, dingo. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.